going down right now. Episode 48 of the 22 Shots of Moods and Horrors coming at you live. I'm your host, Mood616, and of course, I've always got my two masters of horror. With me, NES Ruler, also known as Jeremy, and of course, we got the Double Shot J, also known as JP. What's up, homies? Wow, you're too kind. I'm a master of horror? There you go. I'm a master of horror, man. Yeah. That is awesome. JP's the master of the clits together. <laughs> the commander. You're the, the clit commander. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Episode 48. We are vastly approaching episode 50. It just seems like well, every week it gets one show closer. It does seem <laughs> oh, like man. that, you know? It's kind of weird. No, I, I hope it would it. I hope it would turn out like that. I remember when we were talking about episode 50 and like I don't know, episode 34, we're like, oh, man, we got tons of time for that. Now it's coming down to, we're like, holy shit, man, it's like right around the corner. Yeah. 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 So so speaking of episode 50, as always, guys, get your voicemails in. You get a chance to win something. We have about, I think about seven right now. So that's seven people who have called in and let us know their most influential horror film, uh, what they feel is the film that influence more than any other films and i've been surprised by the responses i know you two haven't heard them yet jeremy you may have but the films that are getting picked are definitely um a bit surprising to me but it's very interesting to say the least Uh yeah yeah so yeah definitely get those uh voicemails keep those calls coming man you know keep jp on his toes you know because every time you phone his actual phone rings yeah i think that's really funny (laughs) it it is i always wonder like if there's if there's ever too many like i'm gonna have to switch it up Um, because imagine getting like you know 10 calls in a day or something and if you want to leave a voicemail you can do so at 724-426-6665 and fuck you jp i remember it good shit dude good shit i love that 6665 you know, it just it just has a nice flow. To you know, it. I did that on purpose. Right? You get the oh, I know, I, but I love that how it's like six 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 five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I just like that. I mean, the, the, you you can't really pick exactly what you want, but they give you a list of available ones, and everything else was just stupid looking. That was the only one that looked kind of cool, so I just went with that. Oh, it's appropriate, and plus, it's really easy to remember too. Mm-hmm. You can't misdial that either. It's pretty hard unless you hit four sixes, but I don't know. Yeah, so what is going on in the life of the two masters of horror? Zuh. Well, I didn't know the masters of horror life was the broke life, but apparently it is. Well, that's what happens when you're a master, you know? You, Did you it? just you put yourself out there, you get known, and you're all good with so it. You go and you're master, like, master debating everywhere, and you're just going to, you know, JP, <laughs> JP loves debating that people could say that he's the master debater. Well, he master debated in public and uh, <laughs> got sent to jail. Had to pay. Had to get out of jail. Had to pay his bond because he couldn't miss the twenty-two shots of moods and horror episode number forty-eight. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna record it there if I had to. I would have found yeah. a way. Yeah. And even in jail, you were uh, being a master debater, and uh, <laughs> Mister Joey in the corner didn't like that very much. He wanted to be part oh, of. Oh no, the Joey! Action. He's not a big fan of that man. Yeah, but Jeffrey oh, yeah? in the other corner loved it. Yeah. <laughs> he, loved, he loved your master debating about uh, beneath the Mississippi. Yeah, being the worst movie ever. Awesome, awesome. So why but is yeah. it the broke life, yo? Uh, yeah. I I have no idea if I mentioned this on the show, but the you know my car totally we figured it out. It's busted. Got to save up for another car. So I'm super tight right now, but I'm still living 
you know, slightly happy watching some Masters of Horror films. Won't be able to buy a bunch of stuff lately, but I have a ton of stuff to watch, so that's that's a good excuse to start watching more stuff and buying. That's why you got a stockpile for these, uh, you know, type of rainy days. And or, I do. Or I have over a hundred titles at least that I haven't seen yet. Like I said, if we ever need to go into an underground bunker. All we need is Moods Collection, and we could be happy for about 17 years, 8 days, and 4 hours. Not at Moods Pace. But at <laughs> yeah, our pace, yeah. Moods will be yeah, done in sure. 8 days. You know, you know, speaking of that pacing, you know, I'm, I'm fucked like that, man. You know, so we were on Skype last night for 4 hours working on episode 50. I got off there. Well, some of us uh, were. Fuck you. Yeah, me and JP were. And, uh, you know, I had some dinner, and then I, I sat down and watched 4 movies in a row. Oh my you know, god! How do you not get like? I was up till I was up till four thirty, you know, and I was, but it it was one of those weird, weird nights where the first film I watched was complete trash, like fucking brutal to get through. The second one was really good, and then the third one was even better, and then the fourth one was like the best one. I was like, when does that ever happen? When did you go from like? Well, the, if you watch you know, the Killjoy kill kill Killjoy yeah, films, that that kill will joy. happen. Was you watching exactly. Killjoy by the? By any yeah, chance? No doubt, right? No doubt. But it was strange, man. I watched actually probably the goriest vampire film I would say ever made last night. It, it was fucking fantastic. Finally got my hands on it. I won't mention I'll talk about it talk about it next week, but it was just it was great though. It was one of those weird nights where I just didn't want to stop watching films because I was like, well, that was better, and that was better. And I was like, fuck. So, yeah, I watched yeah, Masters so it's of needless horror. to say, I was up till about five thirty because of course I got up at four thirty. I was all wired and I was like, I shouldn't really watch another movie. So I watched some YouTube and then after, forced myself to go to sleep. After we got off Skype, I watched four Masters of Horror episodes. I was up until well past four AM. Um, and then I woke up and watched a few bonus features for Masters of Horror. And, you know, I, I think we were all a little worried about can we squeeze in all 13 episodes uh, and, you know, will it work for the show and things like that. But I, I think it went pretty well. I know that you watched all 13 and like 10 movies since then. So I actually I, the first day I actually watched the first eight episodes of Masters of Horror and it just it just flew by like i i really enjoy watching the series so it just kind of yeah it yeah, just went by hard. super quick no yeah, was jeremy really- was kicking ass with it too because before i had even started he was on his sixth episode i believe yeah actually same with me yeah so. yeah and then um i just finished up last night uh i i planned it out pretty well i watched one a night for six days and then i just watched like the other seven in two days or something like that hmm <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, if this episode goes really well, I guess we're probably going to have to... Oh, it's going to be an expensive pickup just because they don't have a fucking box set. Well, there is a box... Well, yeah, I don't want to pay Blu-rays. $786 yeah. for a fucking skull. I'm in the same boat, but but honestly, you can grab the solo releases very cheap. Oh, yeah, I see them at Family Video. I just... The, you know, the interesting thing, you know, for as much as I'm a box set horror, like I love box sets and stuff. I had no interest in getting those box sets because I actually liked the individuals. And I think it was also because I think when the box set for season one came out, I already had, I believe, roughly half the season on like the solo releases. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I, you know, there's really no point in the second one went out of print before I even thought about buying it and stuff. So what about the third season? The third season, oh, the um, the fear itself. Yeah. I do have that. I have that little season box. Well, that's the only way you can get it. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. but that's actually a really interesting one too. It's really good. 
I, would, yeah, I, I have I'd yet have to, to see a single episode. So, I mean, our future probably will be Masters of Horror Season 2 and probably eventually Fear Itself if this episode goes over well. It's the Season 3. They just changed the name. The interest, well, the interesting thing about Season 3 is that it wasn't, uh, like, on the movie network. So this one yeah. was, like, it was actually a TV show. So it's kind of downplayed a little bit. There's no swearing nudity, you know, gore and yeah. stuff. But the episodes are quite interesting. It was very surprising to me. So, yeah, we'll, but, yeah. We'll definitely get into that. Uh, so yeah, the box set actually, you know, just touching on that really quickly. The I got the mausoleum set for the. I owned like four or five of the films on solo release, um, but as the show got closer, this set was like twenty dollars on Amazon one day, so I grabbed it, and I actually that do really like cheap. it. I do like this set. The the first season of Masters of Horror. I know people have complaints about it, and even the second season, the skull set. I hear a lot of bad things about, but this, this mausoleum set, I was actually surprised that it actually, you know, fits pretty well. The only problem is they are in cardboard sleeves, which isn't very nice, but I, I kind of like the design and the way they're housed besides the sleeve part. Yeah. in, in the skull one, aren't they just kind of housed themselves? Like they're just yeah, kind of, yeah. they're just kind of vertical. Yeah. yeah. That's strange. That's kind of strange. I saw it at half price books for 70 bucks. It's not that bad of a deal. So what is the deal with that? Why does that one go for so much money compared to the first season? I think that it was harder to make. I, I, that mm. would be my guess. But then again, but it's like, yeah, I want to know why they didn't it, make Blu-rays. They made the Blu-rays for the first season. Why didn't we read or didn't we talked about this one time? I think that they said or something that they sold like shit. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's why they were two dollars. Well, when you rele- yeah. when you're on your third release of the series, they're probably gonna sell like shit because you release them on DVD solo, fifteen to twenty dollars a piece. Then you put out the two box. No, no, no. Then there was the volume sets that came out. They put them out in volumes. Blu-rays. As well, that's what no, the no, no, no. Is. There's DVD volume sets. Oh yeah. There's like oh, yeah, four there volumes. And then uh, one volume for season one, or two volumes for season one, two volumes for season two in a little box set. I've seen them before. Then they so, put out the actual box sets w- for each season, and then they released them on Blu-ray. So yeah, I mean they're so Anchor Bay. So Anchor Bay slash Stars was really just milking the shit out of this. Oh yeah, for sure. That's like, they, that's like classic Anchor Bay though. That's still sailboat Anchor Bay. Well, this it's funny because the first season is old anchor bay in the second season actually just says stars yeah <laughs> it's strange so i have but, no problem uh, with the blu-rays they were good were the transfers actually really good on them yeah for two bucks a piece one you know they are really cheap i just never picked them up because i was pissed that the season season two wasn't on blu-ray yeah oh, that, I, I know that's so strange and that's like everyone's pretty much the reason why they don't grab the first ones even though they're so cheap they're like well i can't even get the second season so it's mm-hmm. like yeah kind of lame but whatever for two bucks i mean if i saw them in front of me i've actually never seen the blu-rays around here ever yeah. once i've never seen one of those sets it's fucking strange <laughs> so they have like overabundance around here they were fucking like everywhere i remember like hmv having like, these you know these episodes the solo uh releases of them and they were like you know four for 20 or four for 15 or whatever yeah. you can get them for like dirt cheap man so yeah just stockpiles of them but but yeah how the fuck did we get on this conversation oh yeah this, this, this is like the pre-masters of horror before the masters of horror talk. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah jp's the master debater he has to debate about masters of horror yeah yeah but i got really nothing else we want to get into the news 
Absolutely. So the news this week, nothing too amazing, but we do have uh, at least one thing of note. Uh, First up, this is not really of note, but, you know, we've been talking about this. So before we was talking about The Ring and it was supposed to be a prequel, well, the director got on Twitter and was like, hey, peeps, hashtag rings is not a prequel. The story takes place 13 years after The Ring. Isn't there a ring too? Yeah, so maybe... I don't know. I, I guess it's 13 years after The Ring. Um, but, you know, I, so this is, I, I feel like you The say Ring this is 2, actually a sequel to yeah, The Ring 2? Well, he said it's a sequel to The Ring. So I don't know okay. if he's... Okay. Getting... That actually kind of makes sense a little bit because the way the Asian Ring series, like Ringu series goes, okay, so there's a Ringu and then there's a Ringu 2. The weird thing is Ringu 2 is not actually the sequel to Ringu. It's in story-wise. It's actually... Um, unrelated i think the fourth film the sadaku or whatever is actually the sequel to ringu it, that series goes all mm-hmm. fucked up too man and yeah it's strange so I've that's why i'm wondering if they're kind of mix and matching series. like the american remakes and stuff so um yeah i know i was actually reading on this because i picked up one of those ring films the other day it was two bucks and it was the Sadaku, and i was looking at it, sadaku whatever yeah the fuck i have it is. that one too but anyways, I was trying to figure out the chrono- like the chronological order of these films, and I was reading on Wikipedia, and I was like, what the fuck? I'm like, <laughs> okay, Ringu is not even the direct sequel. This is part four is the sequel to this. Part three is actually the prequel to The Ring. The third one that came out was the prequel. The fourth one was the actual sequel. And then it's it fucked, man. I, something, how it goes how something many like have that. they made? Four. I think there's four. Oh, well, there's a Asian timeline. Ones. There's Ring Zero. Oh. Then Ring, then Ring Two, then Razin, and then that's a separate timeline, and it has Sadako 3D and Sadako 3D Two. Mm-hmm. There's a Sadako 3D Two. Yeah. <laughs> when the fuck did that come out? 2013. So yeah, the oh, zero fuck. I think was the third one released, which is the prequel to Ring. Goo. I don't know. It, it's really fucking straight. It does break it down though. It gives but, you the but, actual story or the timeline, but like the actual release dates. Yeah, there's two separate storylines that are branched from the ring. Yeah, that's right. Then, if you want to get even crazier, there is an American remake, two two of them, and then there's a Korean remake. What? uh, Yeah, that is the ring virus. The ring virus? That sounds wow. I don't shit. I don't even know if I read about that. That's crazy. Yeah, that came out in '99. Actually, that came out. I believe before the American remake. So, so this uh, this new Ring film that's coming out is it the uh, the digital code <laughs> storyline? You would assume so. <laughs> These things are keeping with the times. The digital ultraviolet cop- code, ultraviolet digital copy. Yeah, <laughs> but when you go on your computer to type it in, it says it's not valid, and it fucking shoots <laughs> shoots a girl out of the exactly because that's exactly what happens to everybody, right? Because no did one not ever checks expired code. and they go to. You did not redeem this in. code. It is now expired. You are now going to die. <laughs> yep. No, as soon as it says expired, it's like seven days. <laughs> <laughs> you are seven days past the expiration date. Oh, this fuck. is how many in, days you have left to live. In, in seven days, you will expire. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good right there. <laughs> <laughs> those things should never expire while we're on that topic that pisses me I, off i've actually never understood that why do they expire they're just i don't know digital fucking i don't know strange yeah. 
So after that, we have the X-Files. Um, it has officially been announced that they are doing it and it has been greenlit. Uh, so before it was like they're thinking about it, they have people attached, we don't know yet. It's now been greenlit for a six-episode event that will be directed by the original series creator. And they, the two actors will be reprising their roles as Mulder and Scully. Uh, so wow. six episodes for the first... I, I mean, I guess it's continuing the story. What is it, like the 11th season or something? How many seasons of the X-Files are there? There's a lot, isn't there? There already is 11, I think. Oh, well, so shit. <laughs> is this actually just continuation? Are they continuing the I original I believe series? so. I believe so. That's what wow. they're doing. So they're starting like season 12. Yeah, because I just read a little blur- Like it's actually starting to film in Vancouver soon. Uh, I, be an extra, if it is, please. I don't know that. Yeah. You could be an extra. You have your beard. You could be a fucking psycho killer. Yeah. Well, I just, I just seen because, you know, Ryan Nicholson had posted. He's like, yeah, they're starting to film uh the x-files in vancouver soon he's like woohoo because i believe he actually worked on some episodes or something like that works on a lot of stuff yeah he's worked on a lot because i mean there's so much filmed in vancouver right and he's just around i guess he's pretty known i guess but um but yeah i just thought that was cool that it was starting to actually film i was like damn that actually is happening again crazy very cool his wife's a makeup artist too isn't she i'm not sure pretty sure so after that, we have uh, a trailer was released this week. I figured it was of note. I didn't watch it. You know, my feelings on watching trailers, I rarely do it anymore. But it's uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's zombie film titled Maggie. Did either of you check out the trailer? Nope. I actually completely avoided it like the plague. Purposely. It, it was getting posted like left and right. And I, was, uh-huh. it was, I almost succumbed to temptation. You know, I was like, <laughs> oh, should I click it? Should I not click it? And then I just... I said, a fuck a you. Well, it was teetering was, right on the edge of something that I would watch because it's not a film that I would necessarily, um, you know, be super excited and waiting for. So I wouldn't, I might not mind if I got but you have to, spoiled, but, but I was I, I, liking it enough. I was interested enough to not watch the trailer. I know. I was really, really holding myself back because, I mean, really Arnold in like a full blown like horror film. That's pretty cool. You know, I, I guess kind of the, the I mean, he kind of did something that was relatable with End of Days, you know. I mean, he did battle the devil in that film. And Predator, yeah, you know, more, I guess, sci-fi. Horror. But yeah, I guess those are similar. But this one is like, you know, straight up bonafide, though. It's like a zombie flick. Mm-hmm. So I was, re- I just really wanted to see what it looked like. <laughs> yeah, I was just curious to see, like, what Arnold looked like, what the plot, like, was, you know, what, what, it, what it just looked like. So I still am interested, but I'm going to hold myself back from watching it. Uh, but it is out, and people have said that you know the trailer looks very interesting. I've I've seen mostly positivity positivity on the trailer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is pretty pretty cool. Pretty cool. After that, we have a brief update on the Friday the Thirteenth film, as we usually do every couple weeks. Uh, it is announced that the screenwriter who is writing Hannibal is going to write the new incarnation that's going to be directed by David Bruckner, of course, and produced by Platinum Dunes. So we have a writer now. Um, I don't know. Was it? I don't know if it was Hannibal the film or if it was Hannibal the TV series that that this guy is uh, part of. I should, probably should have looked into that, huh? I'm actually not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, what? I, I, that, that seems like an odd kind of writer to choose, maybe. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it all depends on what he's done before. Hannibal. Who, who knows, maybe he actually has a history of doing this type of stuff. I don't know. Besides Hannibal. I mean, if that's what he's noted for, but maybe he's done some other low-budget... Pieces of shit. ...that we actually know about. Well, it looks <laughs> like he is the one who was doing the uh, TV series of Hannibal. Oh, the TV series? Okay. So I, I can't even can't vouch because I haven't actually watched, but I've heard good things, so... Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, that was just a little update on there. I mean, we'll probably talk about it a million more times before it comes out, so let's just move on. Uh, we have a couple of announcements. Um, first up, we have some quick hits. Um, Poltergeist 2 and 3 is going to be released on Blu-ray in a combo pack, and then Poltergeist 3 is getting its standard solo release on Blu-ray as well. Those yeah. titles will be coming out May 9th, 19th. Uh, so the combo pack is that the same transfer as the Poltergeist yeah, yeah. two release? I would, I would assume so. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's mm. you know I, I I probably won't be buying them. I'm cool with my DVDs for now. Like I haven't even seen <clears> the film, so uh, I guess I'll watch them on DVD first. Uh, after that, Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Silent Night are going to be teamed up in a Blu-ray released May twelfth by Anchor Bay. <laughs> they're re-releasing Silent or Silent Night Deadly Night again. This has got to be like the yeah, ninth time they put time, this movie out. It's teamed up with Silent Night. Holy fuck! The Anchor Bay just loves to milk shit, don't they? Well, isn't just... that like the worst Blu-ray transfer? Isn't it an ass? Which one? Silent Night Deadly Night. Well, I think bad Deadly... things about it. I don't. It, it, you know, yeah, it's it's it actually isn't very good. It it does kind of look like it's just upscale. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, it's not great at all. <clears throat> Where's the Silent Night, Deadly Night 3 Blu-rays? Come on. Who doesn't <laughs> yeah. want to see Silent Night, Deadly Night 3 on Blu-ray? Oh my god, oh. I can't even think of that right now. <laughs> Why, they released Leprechaun 4 on Blu-ray. Monty Hellman. Monty is, Hellman is, directed oh, yeah. that film. I still can't even fucking believe that that guy directed Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 3. How do you, like, I'm still baffled that you go from, you know, Tulane Blacktop to that piece of crap. <laughs> it, it doesn't even make sense. I still have a bad taste in my mouth. From I'm still Christmas butthurt episode. about that, actually. I had a fun time with those, but I can never picture myself watching those again. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> I know. It, it is very devastating, isn't it, when you're like... You Part know, 4 was interesting. That's maybe the only one that I would get. I, mm, I don't know, man. Even then, I, I, I don't see a reason to go back to them. <laughs> yeah, like I said, man, I think I've watched them three times now or whatever. Yeah. That's enough. You That's need to enough. just sell your set. <laughs> get it over with. You never see that. No, well, you need it for the fucking apocalypse, man. If they ever you put out it. that in a triple feature Blu-ray, I won't be grabbing it. All right, Trust well, me. I'm just saying, if we do hit up Apocalypse and we have to go to Mood's bunker and watch all his DVDs, we're watching those ones last. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. I'd rather watch those before Pork Chop 2. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Moods has tons of bad films in his collection. Um, but yeah, but he never talks about them. He always ranks them high. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> so um, next up we have Time Lapse. This is going to be released by Exhilarator Media under their Macabre label. Um, starring Danielle Panabaker, of course, from the Friday the 13th remake. Uh, you know, I have been really excited about this macabre label since as of recently with some of the films that i've seen from them early on with the banshee chapter and stuff it was interesting and then i seen like the thompsons which i was like oh that is conspiracies no, really good. fucking good 
Um, so yeah, I, I actually want to pick up, you know, once I am not broke, I want to pick up the whole line because I only have a couple of them now. But it, it seems like a was fun a line to collect um, because they're not they're not too expensive. And there's some solid films on there, and now they're actually on Hulu Plus. If you if you are a streaming type of person, you could uh, check out the whole Macabre label on uh, Hulu Plus. Yeah, yeah man, they don't gotta get, pick up the Conspiracy. That movie's fucking good. I, they don't get released in Canada under the Macabre labels under oh, really? a different one and stuff. So that's kind of mm-hmm. kind of shitty. Because I, I picked up Poker Night, which is actually a good recent release by them. I do recommend that one. Uh, but yeah, like the Canadian release had like really shitty cover art <laughs> and just looked like a different release. I actually had to like glance at it twice. Well, like, as you do know, this? everything in Canada is shitty, so. Yep. Mm. Well, this one actually is yeah, a time annoying. travel film um, dealing with paradoxes and things like that. Uh, sounds more on the thriller line, but still, I mean, it's of note and uh, I'll be interested to check it out when it does get released. It comes out May 15th, 2015. On VOD. Yeah. Uh, after that, we have Asylum. This is a After Dark original. Yeah. And it is from Lionsgate, obviously. Not too sure what it's about. I think it's you know obviously going to be set in an asylum and things like that. That's a that. cool cover. It has a decent cover, and it will be released on DVD. Suggested retail price about nineteen ninety eight. So, uh, hopefully, that drops down a bit. It usually does. Um, so, this is what like the how many have they released under the, uh, you know, just regular solo <laughs> releases? The After Dark originals. Yeah. What is it? Four moods. Um, well, the, they have like a. Fr- it's, I don't really want to call it a season. Yeah, yeah, that was, was the like original the idea, one. but they quickly disbanded. What is it? It's like Red Clover. If you look uh, at if you look at the website, it's actually broken into kind of seasons or whatever. The first one I believe had seven or eight releases, just what? like their After yeah. Dark line, and this okay. one has about the same. It's like actually what? the first season had seven because one of their films didn't come out. Mm. It's yeah. like Red Clover, Mischief Night, Sanitarium, Asylum. Is Husk After Dark? Wait, Asylum yeah. is the new film. Yeah, that's After Dark. Yeah, Husk, is, about like, Husk is a good film, actually. I'm talking about, like, right now. What ones are out at, under... Yeah. I can't even remember, but... Um, I think but it's yeah, this, this one was slated for, like, another eight. I think there, mm-hmm. I think there's, like, six or seven out now. Okay. So, um, but, yeah. Okay. I don't know. I um, like grabbing them. That one does... Yeah, I like grabbing, like, any line like that, especially if they're, like, cheap. Like, even the Fangoria line that we picked up and did a show on... Like yeah, that was that that was they were awful Ugh. most for the most part, but it was it all was of them were awful like, besides one. Well, we I think we all kind of like Germ Z a little bit as well. I I actually really like Germ Z. Yeah, it's but. not in human resources though. Yeah, <laughs> fucking axed man. Oh, that was okay. it's so bad. What's I up with these talking thing. about old shows today? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> feeling nostalgic, man. We're almost rolling up on fifty. Nostalgia, yes. Why don't we but, do an episode retrospective of the first fifty-one episodes? Did you just suggest doing a clip show? You're out of your mind. I hate those things. <laughs> Who the fuck are we, The Simpsons? Clip <laughs> <laughs> shows are the worst thing to do in entertainment. We could pull a South Park when they fucking find out who Cartman's dad is, and then April Fools, and then they fucking do a Terrence Phillips episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah so uh you know just quickly that that kind of wraps up the news but i I do want to give a shout out to somebody who's been helping me with the news and that is uh dvd newsflash 
just you know they they have a Facebook page where they post uh, a lot of DVD announcements. Um, usually, pretty much if it's get, if it gets announced, this place posts it. So I know moods you have that page liked. Um, it's a solid page. It'll pop up in your feed. Just type in DVD newsflash on uh, Facebook. Yeah, that is right. Um, not, there's really not a lot of DVD and Blu-ray releases for uh, this week. So I'm just going to quickly just note a couple of the ones that are coming out uh, the March 31st. Uh, of course, from Blue Underground, you got the Dario Argento collection uh, Blu-ray set, which is featuring Catanac Tales, uh, Deep Red, and, of course, Inferno. Um, I think it's relatively decently priced, too. It, well, if you like add that. up the price of them solo it's it's like it's like one third the price so yeah it, it's saying on dot com it's uh 22.99 for that set right now which is pretty damn good considering i believe they're all on separate discs which are i think just the original releases so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I, I will still, absolutely they're... pick be picking up both of those sets because all six of them those films i've had in my ebay eye for a long time trying to get for a little bit of a cheaper price on blu-ray so i'll be picking up both of those sets when i can um i actually have an amazon gift card that i think i'm gonna throw on the uh, argento set um so yeah no love for bird with the crystal plumage man i own it already on blu-ray and i need cat of nine tails to wait do you have the blue underground blu-ray or the vci blu-ray i think i have the blue underground blu-ray that one's sure that that one's hard to get. Yeah, it's actually really. No, out of print. I might not. It, it sucks that they didn't reissue that. Actually, now yeah. when I think about it, that's that's too bad. But VCI one's okay. And of course, uh, the other Blue Underground set is of course the uh, Lucio Fulci collection, which is uh, which contains City of the Living Dead, House by the Cemetery, and the New York Ripper. Uh, and I've I, I've I actually don't own any of these Blue Underground uh, Blu-rays. Uh, I just have them all on DVD. I just don't really upgrade. Because I have like pretty much the entire Blue Underground collection, but I've heard the Blue, uh, the New York Ripper Blu-ray is like fantastic looking. Mm-hmm. It's like I've actually one of their best looking. About that one, yeah, because I've heard, and that was actually one of the reasons why I never really upgraded. Because a lot of Blue Underground's earlier Blu-ray releases weren't the greatest, but then for some weird reason, New York Ripper seems to be like one of the best transfers. <laughs> it's kind of strange, but um, but yeah, those sets are definitely worth the value. You Would know, you grab any bucks. of them, or are you good on them? I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Um, oddly enough, I actually have Inferno and Deep Red on Arrow Blu-rays. So, and City of the Living Dead, <laughs> actually. So I actually have three of those six on Blu-ray already from Arrow, which they're the old uh, um, window box releases, yeah. so they're all region. So. Expensive releases that are hard to get. Huh? Yeah, but yeah, those are really the notable releases for this week. And there's also one more. I don't really, this one just looks interesting. I don't really know much about it. I was meant to do a little bit of research on it but it's coming out from all of films and it's called night game um i didn't even know this was a horror film but it's, it's, got, it's got roy snyder in it i don't i yeah. think it's a like a thriller like a psychological thing i'm not really sure That's it looks kind of horror-y on the cover um but besides that like, you you it, also yeah i mean it, i can't help but notice like it you know with the robotic arm through the baseball i mean that grabs my attention because baseball is yeah. my shit right so um yeah, I don't know. Looks kind of interesting, to be honest. And after that, there was actually another After Dark original being released, that housekeeping one. That's right. That is right. Which, I don't know. 
<laughs> actually, the cover's kind of funny, actually. I think she's just dragging this bloody mop behind her. That's uh, good. She looks sexy, too. But, yeah, there's really not a lot coming out, um, you know, for the end of um, uh, March. Um, April is busy as shit, man. There is so many releases coming out in April. It's going to be one of those months where... We'd spend $4,878. Oh, it's just, oh my God. Screen Factory just went retarded in April. Coming mm. soon, a four-hour mood 616 DVD and Blu-ray update. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's going to do it for the uh, the DVD and Blu-ray releases, so, yo. All right, so getting into the featured reviews of episode 48 here on the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror. Yeah. Now, this is very exciting because we are going to be covering season one of the Canadian program <laughs> slash American production of Masters of Horror. Canadian. Uh, Fuck those yeah. Canadians. <laughs> They're fucking dollars. Yeah. So season one of Masters of Horror. I mean, what can we say? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I think the the best place to start is at the beginning, right? So back in 2002, the whole idea came about because Mick Garris decided to have a sort of dinner party with mas- like the masters of horror, like <laughs> people like John Carpenter and Don yeah. Coscarelli and Toby Hooper and Stuart Gordon and even Guillermo del Toro was there. And what happened was they would just have these dinner parties where they would just talk about filmmaking and admire each other's work and you know, talk about what's out there now and stuff that they've seen and liked. And then one day Guillermo says out loud because he sees there's a table next to them having a birthday party. He said, uh, the masters of horror wish them a happy birthday. And that's where the title spawned from. It was actually from Guillermo. Huh. And that's interesting. He made an episode. Yeah. And that's the thing. So the, the original, Ten masters were John Carpenter, Larry Cohen, Don Coscarelli, Joe Dante, Guillermo, Stuart Gordon, Toby Hooper, John Landis, and Bill Malone, and of course, Mick Garris himself. And so as these parties went on, he started inviting more people, and he had invited Dario Gento, and Eli Roth, and Cronenberg, and Rob Zombie even, and Lucky McKee, and so on and so on. Even Quentin Tarantino uh, would pop up, Robert Rodriguez, Tom Holland, and... Did Kashi Mike never make the trip over from Japan or what? <laughs> no, Mike was there before. I, I remember. I actually had heard movie. about these a lot because they still go on today with uh, Mick Garris and and people like Adam Green and Joe Lynch and uh, Ty West. Um, these dinners still happen regularly. Um, I, I believe it's like every couple of months they have these dinners. So these are even with Masters of Horror gone, they still have these dinner parties. But that's where the show initially spawned from was uh, having all these masters And I want to get into one of these parties. <laughs> right? Just being a fly on the wall in that fucking place, dude. It would be like any horror fan's dream to hear these guys talk like uncandidly about things. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it really would be. That's, that's truly amazing. Yeah, and I, it, I, I wonder what those dinners cost. You know, I like <laughs> like who picks up that bill. Well, you know, I would hope Mick would, since he's the fucking person inviting well, the host. host and he, yeah. yeah. Well, so even if you get the box set, which is one of the other reasons that I grabbed the box set, there's actually one of these dinners that are filmed on the box set in huh. on the on the 14th disc. There's a uh, 
panel discussion of the, the uh, uh, Masters of Horror dinner discussion. It's kind of like a panel type thing where they're sitting there just talking about each other's episodes and stuff. It's, it's really cool, man. Like I, if you if for only one reason to grab that box set, it's for that. But they also talk about where the show after after they got the idea together. The next step was obviously to get funding and things like that. So initially, the show wasn't a show. It was going to be thirteen movies by the Masters of Horror. And they were going to be released through Anchor Bay direct to DVD. Um, each movie was going to be released on DVD, um, you know, and like kind of how the After Dark originals are now, you know, mm-hmm. where there would just be one here, there, and they were going to be through Anchor Bay. Um, and then the idea was brought to Showtime, and Showtime was cool with it. The only thing is they did not want any child on child violence and no full frontal male nudity. Those mm. were kind of like the two, two oh, boring big things. Yeah, but so, yeah, so there doesn't was get to lo- see any wieners. That's his favorite thing. <laughs> there was allowed to be child on adult violence or adult on child violence, but no child on child violence. <laughs> Isn't that kind of interesting? It actually just makes no sense. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Like, why can't like it? It, it seems more acceptable for a child to hit a child than you know a full-grown man hitting like a little girl (laughs) it doesn't make any sense to me you know yeah yeah so so right so it's not even that many children in the fucking series as it is it's only a few and the only child that dies is one episode well two episodes yeah i mean yeah there isn't really a whole lot of them but besides in fucking jennifer and Another and uh, fucking the one in the basement, whatever. Fair haired child. That's it, really. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so you know that kind of. I thought that was kind of interesting that it was originally going to be these these feature films that were going to be released direct to DVD because it depends who you go by. But oh wait, and and Homecoming has that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it depends who you go by, but um, it's debated on what is considered a short film and what is considered a feature. Um, some people say anything over 40 minutes is considered a features featured film. That's what's considered by the screen actors guild. Um, and I believe there are a few others that, you know, classify it differently. So, I mean, I, I, what do you say? 60 minutes. Is that a film or is that a short film? It's a film. It's a film, but you know, Theoretically, it's just a short film. It's a shorter film. It's, it's, still, a shorter, it's not a short film. It's a it's shorter a sh- film. It's a shorter full-length film. Yeah. If that makes sense. Well, actually, actually, here it is right here. I have it. Uh, the British Film Institute uh, considers a feature film anything 40 minutes or longer, while the Screen Actors Guild states that it is 80 minutes or longer, um, though the majority of people classify them between uh, 70 and 210 minutes. So this it just depends who you ask. Yeah. And anything over two ten is an epic. There's not too many of those. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. So, I mean, what what do you guys think? The the first season of Masters of Horror, the people that they selected, um, do you think they selected the right people, or would you have rather seen some other people get involved? No, I think for the time, I think they've had the right people. I think if it was made today, we would have, you know, the Ty West and the Adam Green and mm-hmm. the Wind Guards and, you know, all the people that are 
you know, yeah, masters that, right now. That's precisely why I want to see an updated Masters of Horror because it you could have a totally different so lineup. Much sense, dude. Like, yeah, there's so many that. new younger directors that I think would totally that are totally established now. Eli Roth, yeah. Rob, Zombie. even Eli, even Eli Roth too. Yeah, totally. You know, Adam I, Green. There's so many. There's yeah. so many. There, it'd be actually hard. I mean, if you were producing a new series. You know, it's an interesting question. Who, if you had to pick thirteen people, who would you pick? And this is rhetorical. I'm not expecting you to actually answer this right now, but, um, but like, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thought process. Yeah. You know, it, because it, you could totally have thirteen new people, thirteen people that weren't even associated with it, and be amazing. That is absolutely true. And yeah, <laughs> wow, I would have liked to see Cl- Clive Barker in the first season. I know that he was. Uh, he had a short story that was featured as an episode. I believe it was yeah. uh, Heckle's Tale. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I thought it would have been cool to see Clive Barker. Uh, I, I I do think that they 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 really did get an appropriate you know tiered level of people involved in the first season. Like you have the greats like Argento and Carpenter, um, and then you have other people who only made a couple horror films. Um, but definitely uh, it de- added a lot of uh, different. Diversity to the group that they brought in. I, I I like it, man. I'm 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 a big fan of what they did. The whole idea. Uh, I love it. I would love to see it brought back. It pisses me off so bad that it it was canceled. Um, and I, I I'm unsure why. I've never been able to find a reason why it was canceled. Mm-hmm. Do you guys know? Uh, no. Were people watching it. I believe so. – like I – see, that's the thing. Like I don't really know. I've never seen any official like ratings or anything like that. I think that. it's about all just that they made see, the money. That's kind of the reason why I always thought that you know the third season of Masters of Horror, which is titled Fear Itself, uh, went to like network television because I thought – What channel was it on? I, I can't remember. It was like – it's like a big network like really? ABC or something. I like, never remember that show being on. Well, this is why you don't yeah. remember that show being on because Fear Itself was on for – I believe a couple of episodes and it did well. It was doing good. It was doing real good, but they wanted to kind of, I think it was for the Olympics or something. They wanted to, you know, can't like focus more time, uh, airtime on that. Um, so yeah. after they focused on that, they just never brought it back. They just released the rest of the episodes on DVD and actually never fi- finished its run. Uh, and I believe it was NBC. Actually, yeah, it, NBC, it could have been. Yeah, because I think, yeah, there's I can't remember how many episodes there is, but, you know, a bunch of those never actually aired. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Only actually eight on, of the 13 episodes aired. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So they released it in that one little fancy box, that thing. And that's it. Yeah. But I always thought maybe the reason why they went to, say, NBC for season three is because the first two seasons were on, you know, pay television, you know, like the movie networks. Well, and was stuff. it all like reputable directors that were in the third season or no? Uh, well, they had like uh, Stuart Gordon came back and John Landis came back. They had guys like Ronnie Yu who did Frank mm-hmm. versus Jason, mm-hmm. yeah. um, but uh, Larry Fessenden. Uh, but yeah. it, it was definitely not the you know the main main guys that, that they had in the first ones. But only a still, couple. very notable names though. We know absolutely, these names. absolutely. And I think that there was so many more people they could have got, like like people who directed. Um, oh, Darren. Lynn Bronson directed it. Yeah, episode. yeah, he did. Um, you know, actually, at one time, I know, I think it would have been, 
was it around the time the first or second season came out of Masters of Horror? Weren't they working on an Italian version of Masters of Horror? They were. And they actually did make a science fi- Masters of Science Fiction or something, I believe, as well. That's right. I, I really, I, you know, like, I love my Italians. So that would have been an interesting series. Yeah, Masters you know? of Science Fiction. Here it is. IMDb. Yeah, so the Masters of Horror Italian, you know, there's so many. I mean, obviously, at the time, I don't, I, you know, I think it was about the time Bruno Mattai actually passed away, I believe. If I remember correctly, it was about the same time. But, you know, it, it, it kind of sucks that it wasn't done, like, earlier. Yeah, it's <laughs> only after... So many, a lot of those directors had already passed away. It's only after six episodes. One, two, three, four, five... Yeah, six episodes. I remember hearing about that, yeah. So, so the, the Masters of Horror Italian, it never actually materialized, did it? I, I don't think so. I, I, think, I think it was probably, like, thrown around at the height of, you know, season one, like, like and then it just kind of fizzled out once this series fizzled out but i Mm. like the concept because even mick garris i've heard him say this in the past when he brought he when he created the series he gave free reign to the to the filmmakers he didn't want to interfere with things he wanted to let them do tell their story any way they wanted and the only rules they had to follow was those two that i mentioned from showtime and a couple minor ones that was also brought in by Showtime. But for the most part, they had free reign with their money, uh, with their stories, and they were a- really able to create what they wanted to. And, you know, Mick Garris even said when he initially had it for DVD, when he decided to move it to TV, he did not, he specifically said he did not want to go with a regular like network channel like NBC or something because mm-hmm. he didn't want to have to tell the directors, well, you're going to have to cut here because we're going to need to fill this much of commercial time. He really wanted to just make See, I think it, it all to on. the wall, nudity, uh, <clears throat> violence, no commercials and just have it as what it is because that's, he didn't want to, you know, censor their art or castrate their art. I think yeah. it, that would have fit on an AMC if it was like when AMC was like, where it is today i think showtime was absolutely the most i mean now but i mean like when it was fear itself when they oh yeah yeah put on nbc it's almost too bad though that mcgarris wasn't thinking about like the media market and stuff because you know i would i would have just told the directors like you know what make your fucking movie we'll do the appropriate cuts for the television cuts but then once it gets re-released once it gets released on you know home media uh your full episode will be there it'll be available for people to see in full you know yeah but why not you know as well i think that this tv series came out it probably Mm. one of the worst times um that it could have uh i I think if it would have came out you know maybe five years later uh when the internet and the horror websites were booming and had more of a push imagine if it got if it never happened and then it got announced today how big of a, an event that would be like all these directors are coming together. I just would see it explode the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it kind of really would have benefited from that internet push. And that's why I say bring it back. I think that it totally could work again. Yeah, I think timing is everything with something like that. I mean, if, if you're getting bumped out by the Olympics, yeah, you really don't have a choice in the, you know, hope in the matter. That's kind of the shits. But so um, you I actually, only ever, I, I seen one episode actually air on TV. And and then and then I of course bought the season, but that's I only ever saw one episode on TV. Which episode was it? It was the one where, ah, uh, shit, man. There's a I can't even fucking fully remember the episode. I, I haven't watched the series in a long time. It was but it's from about a cup. It's about a couple. Two? No, of 
Fear itself. Oh, Fear I itself. thought you were talking about Masters of Horror. Oh, no, 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 no. I watched all the episodes when I actually had those tel- those shows or the networks when the, the Masters okay. of Horror was airing. Uh, no, I'm talking about Fear itself. Because oh, they only aired because they only aired uh, eight eight episodes, right? And I watched one, and it was something about a couple and some kind of cultish shit going on in the neighborhood. I can't really remember the episode, but that's the one I did catch, and that was it. Yeah, so. uh, Masters of Horror. I I did see it when uh, I believe the fourth episode aired was the episode that I seen, which of course was Jennifer. Argento's Jennifer, and I remembered just being like I was really into horror my whole life. Okay. Um, but I kind of broke away from a little bit. I was in like, I believe late middle school. So I was, you know, out having fun and things. And we, I was over one of my friend's house and it popped on and I was just like, holy crap. What masters of horror? What is this? <laughs> like, I, like that title just like grab, I was like, what Ma- masters of horror? And then I started, you know, I went home or something. I looked up the, like, obviously, and of course, as you know, JP is the master debater. So he has to love the masters of horror. <laughs> I didn't know some of the names, but I, I I was like John Carpenter, Toby Hooper. I was like, this is the this is the most interesting thing I ever had. Of course, I didn't have Showtime at home, so I could only watch it when they aired at my friend's house on Friday. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> yeah. So I was yeah, into I was, it, and I, I only was, caught a couple episodes uh, of the of the run, but I was really into it. I can't yeah, remember yeah. exactly when they aired, like what day or what time they actually like premiered and stuff. But oh, man, they used Sunday. the reruns used to be on all the time. Seems on, like a Sunday show. What did it air on? Was it on Showtime? I, I wanted to say it was like a Friday, but uh, uh. you know, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I could actually what was the, look. What was the yeah, network? It was that? Fridays. It was um, Fridays Friday. on Showtime, and it, I, I don't know what time it aired, but I would probably say about it was ten late. o'clock. Yeah, it was it, it was late. It was like nine or ten. I, I okay, that brings a bell. But yeah, I, I used to like I. It was watched 10. a bunch of these when they premiered. But man, the reruns were always on, dude. Mm-hmm. You, oh you could yeah, always for catch years. them, man. For a couple years, yeah. I think. Yeah, man, I, I watch these episodes over and over and over again, man. So. Yeah, and then I think stuff. even Chiller was airing them years later. Were they really? Uh, it was either Chiller or like uh, Reels Channel. Actually, it was Chiller. And Rails Channel. <laughs> it was both of them. So basically what it comes down to, Mick, Garris, if you're listening. <laughs> bring it back. Bring this. Just organize. Have one of those, you know, dinners mm-hmm. and seriously contemplate on creating another series. Hell, it could or even just, live. Just, just, just even call it Masters of Horror. Just make it season, the official season three. Yeah, it could even Whatever. be. Uh, it could live on DVD. But I think oh, yeah. I think today is no better time. To put oh, it back sad. on TV, yeah. dude. Showtime is running their pe- Penny Dreadful show. Like, the, bring it back to Showtime. It, horror is booming right now with The Walking Dead and all these other shows. There's so many shows announced. Bates Motel is killing it. Like, all these shows are killing it. This is the perfect time to bring it back. And there's a lot of really, really hungry directors out there that would love to jump on an opportunity like this. Oh, you yeah. Know? And even so. some of the older ones can still do it, you know? It, mm-hmm. It would be amazing. I, I mean, I think that the internet should just bug the hell out of people and get this thing back on <laughs> the air, man. Uh, it's such a cool idea. All right. So on that note, we might as well get into episode one of season one of Masters of Horror. Uh, the first episode, which is titled Incident on and Off a Mountain Road, which is directed by Don Coscarelli. Oh, yeah. The infamous Don Coscarelli. We've 
on this show have covered, you know, an abundance of Don Coscarelli material. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Don Coscarelli is, you know, obviously mostly known for directing the first four Phantasm films. Um, you know, Coscarelli's had an interesting career because, you know, he's been directing, well, uh, he had a couple of films before that, but, um, uh, what did Phantasm come out? 70, was it 76? 79. 79. You know, in, in between then and now, he's only directed, you know, many. something like, like eight or nine movies or yeah. something or eight mm-hmm. movies. So he's, you know, he's been very kind of spread out and, you know, half his films are Phantasm. Um, <laughs> you know, mostly I remember watching the Beastmaster as a kid so much. Which he I completely disowned. Yeah, which is yeah. interesting. And it's it's so strange that he directed that film too, you know, because it was like Phantasm, Beastmaster, Phantasm 2, and then Survival yeah. Quest, which I just said I've never actually seen before. I've seen it. I think yeah. Lance Henriksen's in it maybe. Huh. Yeah, he is. Um a bunch of it's like a survival camping uh excursion gone wrong because there's a bunch of like bad guys that are like gun gun guys and stuff and it's like old old technique versus modern stuff but i mean it's it's definitely not like a horror film per se but Mm -hmm. it's it's a pretty interesting film uh it's definitely 80s and has like a almost like a tongue-in-cheek vibe to it it's it's, she kind of cheesy now yeah, he definitely likes to take his time between films. You know, Beastmaster came out in 82, Phantasm 2 came out in 1988, and then he dropped Survival Quest the same year. And then in 1994, he dropped Phantasm 3. So there were six years in between those films. And then another four years later, 1998, he dropped Phantasm 4, Oblivion, yeah. which is crazy. And then, and then four years later, he dropped Bubba Hotep. Three years, he did his Masters of Horror episode. And then eight John years Dyson, later, he yeah. dropped... So his career has been very, you know, I don't know what the deal is with Coscarelli. If he's just kind of, you know, I think I know what the deal is. I know. I think what it is, is that he's funded most of his films besides, Mm -hmm. you know, like Phantasm 2, Survival Quest and Beastmaster um, through the independent route. And Mm -hmm. it takes a lot longer to do that because he got really turned off with Beastmaster and to a certain extent, Phantasm 2 due to some, you know, he loves the film and he's the memories for it are great. But it wasn't his 100% creative control. And I yeah, think that, that he's could, one of those people that just thrive on that and need it. And that's why it's been so so indie as after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Phantasm 2, you can definitely tell, is the, is the stick out in the Phantasm series. You know, the just visu- visually, it Visually, it just looks a lot different. Oh, yeah. It's just yeah. more of a spectacle and more of a you, you know, way you more money higher budget. Higher budget for sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, Don Coscarelli, great. I really enjoyed his last film, John Dies at the End. It was it was yeah. an oddity, man. It's <laughs> a weird strange. It is a strange film, but really cool, actually. I, it's one of those films that if you don't, if you if you're not really too sure about it after one watch, definitely watch it again. You pick up on things. Have you watched it more than once, Jeremy? Nah, you know me. I don't <laughs> watch movies more than once. Ah, it's crazy. John Dies at the End, man. It's a really fucking strange one, but recommend it. Coscarelli is definitely a master and it, it really is as you mentioned with his career it, it it's kind of sad that he wasn't able to make more films because what he's done is really great and I've always seen that he has a very very interesting artistic side to him and he's he's a true filmmaker oh yeah I love Coscarelli yeah, yeah. yeah Coscarelli's fantastic fantastic you know he's the master of uh phantasm yeah <laughs> So episode number one aired October 28th, 2005. That was like Halloween weekend, pretty much a Friday. Um, and does somebody want to hit the plot with this one? While driving at night along a lonely 
along a lonely road through the mountains, Ellen gets distracted by her car radio and hits a car parked on the road. Typical woman driving, right? Yeah. Uh, she faints and looks up for help, help since her car does not start again. She meets Moonface pulling a woman in the woods. He's a deranged monster-like man that collects human bodies. She is abducted by Moonface, but she recalls the survival lessons of her husband, Bruce, as she faces and fights back against the killer. So, yeah, that paints a, paints a pretty good picture. Of I'll tell you, it's one, it's one of the only slasher films. In the well, I was actually going to say that this film right here, if you take the final act of any slasher film and expanded it to an hour-long movie, that's what this is. This yeah, is I an hour-long final chase scene slasher yeah. flick. And I think that's so interesting It's because I, I don't think I've ever seen that done where it's it's literally like the final act of a slasher film. The climax, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, But it's interesting, though, the way they did it because, you know, it's kind of her story of her survival of, you know, her, uh, I guess, training, survival, yeah. survival training is, is told in kind of flashbacks. Wow. Yeah, it's interspliced. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of interspliced into basically, yeah, like you said, like the end of a story, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Right. There's there's a whole part. So it's of like the this story like that's not there. It, yeah. But it works so perfectly because it literally is the last half an hour of a slasher film extended into an hour long episode with flash. It works perfectly, I think, man. Mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic. It's got a really creepy uh, atmosphere to the episode too. I love it. It does, and that's, co- it, it that's all Coscarelli right there. He's yeah. always good at that. What do you, What do you guys think of Angus Scrim's character? Oh, he's I cr- love Angus, man. He's I yeah, love Angus Scrim. Buddy's funny. He's creepy too, man. Yeah, yeah he is. Creepy. The way he delivers his lines in it had me yeah. cracking up. The like, first you want to sing a song? It's like, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> like, what the fuck are you talking about? I think the character is perfect. You yeah. know, I don't know. I, I think it just really works. But it's um, one of those situations where you've created a strong female character who's fighting back, and she's using her wits to fight back against the monster. And typically, when you do that. Um, a lot of people are rolling their eyes and they're like, well, how the hell does she know how to do this? So it, that's kind of yeah. why the splicing, it it explains away that because her husband was this obsessive uh, prepper, if you will, like a doomsday prepper, um, which was kind of ahead of what that's become nowadays. Uh, so the, the, this was before that, where now that's kind of a thing to be like a prepper for the apocalypse. But this showing a character in 2005 doing that was I thought was kind of interesting because he's I, this I, tough guy. I think the structure of uh, her backstory is perfect too. You know, just the way he doesn't go into you know, too much detail, but it just it perfectly ex or you know escalates. You know his assholeness and you know her changing from kind of you know almost being dependent on her husband to like fuck you yeah he you know was i can do this shit man. for myself like it, just the way it's cut in perfectly it just i found it just flowed so well and you know it's just like oh do we need this backstory uh, i never found myself once ever thinking that i'm just like damn you know this guy's going nuts yeah literally going fucking nuts and then she's just kind of changes her whole demeanor about him and the whole situation she's like fuck this you know i i really like that man i think it was where and she is a very very strong character man yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, she fucks some shit up, man. You know, Moonface. <laughs> Gotta love the name, man. I was trying to figure out what she was doing outside with the with the knife. Did she, did she like put it in between two trees and then he ran into it? When she set up the first trap with whatever, when she had her pocket knife. Well, the knife that that accidentally hits her. 
hits him. Like she sets up a trap and you hear he runs into something and you hear him scream in the beginning. She takes like two pieces she takes like two sticks and she puts her knife like in between the two sticks. I actually can't even really yeah, fully remember. I'm trying to remember because yeah. there was a few traps. Exactly. And I'm trying to figure out which yeah. one. Well, there's a trap where she he fell into the hole or was attempting to fall into the hole, and that didn't work. Well, wasn't mm-hmm. there a trap that accidentally um, hurt her? Right, there was one that that hit her. Well, there was one that he like got like a, a knife jam somewhere. Yeah, for some reason that's just escaping me right now. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So this one actually does have sort of a twist ending. Uh, we're obviously not going to spoil it, but how did you guys feel about that? Mm. You know, I always find a lot of the times with, you know, shorts that they're – I think directors almost feel like they need to have a twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, definitely. I mean, well, you know, and sometimes, it- and, Yeah, and sometimes it doesn't necessarily need to be there. You know, and, you know, I think sometimes when there isn't a twist, it's kind of like, oh, I think that's even more shocking when there isn't, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. this one right here. I don't know. I, I've never it, I've uh, never honestly been the hugest fan of it, but, you know, it's not horrible or anything. No. It's not horrible. It, it works for what it is, but it's not like, oh, like saw twist. <laughs> I, I really liked the setting with the uh, house on the edge of a cliff and the. Uh-huh. Uh, um, bodies like hung up outside, and and you, like you're not really sure what the hell, you know, where the hell this is or who the hell this is. <laughs> so uh, I always wondered the same thing about that too, because this house is high up. You know, yeah. like you think that someone would notice that. Like, oh, what yeah. the fuck is that? You're like, it's not really, it's not really the best place. If you're a serial killer doing all this type of shit, like, if you're gonna have your shit perched up where people can just look up and see, yeah, yeah. it, it, it almost has like an urban me. legend feel to it, where everything's yeah. kind of exaggerated slightly. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. And and when you think about a moon face, moon face is not in like the last like ten minutes of the film. <laughs> you, know, you know, he gets kind of like off pretty easy, pretty quickly. Well. Uh, so kind of what happens at the end of every fucking slasher movie jp well you don't know because it's the ending um so come on the the the, i like the that um in the house like he had all the the like police lights strung up uh the sirens and things so it it gave you the sense that he's been there for a long time doing this you know there was a lot of those things with the trinkets that he had and you know the different bodies and stuff like you could tell that this guy's been doing this forever and Buddy is crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's fucking nuts. <laughs> um, it's weird to see Angus Scrim talking like that after watching Phantasm. I know. Like, uh, yeah, seeing, yeah. Seeing, like, like I said, though, you know, the way he delivers his lines and it just it has me cracking up every time because yeah. it's just well, it's just it, so comical compared to what you're usually seeing him do. If yeah. you've seen him in that short film that's on the uh, Phantasm 2 Blu-ray – from Scream Factory, if you watch the short film where he plays Abraham Lincoln, yeah, it's kind of like that. Where it's just <laughs> like, this is weird to see him like playing a character like this, like because he's playing. Yeah. It's completely, sh- it's a straight face like informational short film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't really know what else to say about it. Like you know, it, it's short. Oh well, that, I figured we was gonna have that issue with a lot of these, where especially this one because it is a slasher film. There's not yeah. much going on. There's not much depth to the whole thing. But I mean, th- there is 
considering, but at the end of the day, it's still a slasher film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, in my opinion, was a very interesting choice to lead off the whole series with. I think, I think it's me- perfect. I, can, I if I'm looking I, at the episodes, I don't see one that I think would be better as the the start episode. Well, the reason you know the reason why I say it's interesting is because you know how we talked about you know this episode feeling like basically the last thirty minutes of a full length slasher film. Mm-hmm. You know, so at that point in a film, you know it's going. You know, we're we're at the point we're arcing here. Like, come on, this is where the all the action is. So the Masters of Horror just started out just bang. Mm-hmm. You know, just it just started fucking going. There was no build up in the episode at all. It's just like, holy shit, here it is. And so it, I, there's I think something kind of classical about it, right? I mean, it's a slasher film. That's what people grew up on in the 80s. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of like our version of a classic now, right? It's just something that we're everybody's familiar with. Everybody's familiar with the formula. How you could flip the channels and end up on it. And you'd, it, you would still watch it because it's the, it, mm-hmm. you don't feel like you've needed to know the setup. At the end of the day, it's a chase scene. Mm-hmm. It, it's the perfect first episode yeah, you, in my opinion. You, need, you don't need to be felt up, you know, <laughs> with this episode. It just, it just kind of delivers right away. Yeah. Fami- no you know, being familiar with something is good. It's yeah. really good. You know, give the fans what they want. Don't fuck around. And yeah, I, I think it was a really good choice. It's interesting that they did it like that. So. But yeah, Coscarelli, you know, you know, it'd be interesting to see him actually do a full length slasher film yeah. <laughs> after seeing something like this, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's completely, it's very completely different than anything he's ever done. Yeah. Yeah. Don so, Cost, man. Yeah. Awesome so I, I, I always thought that was really cool. So, But Moonface yeah. was very Coscarelli, though. Yeah, I, I mean, because well, he's think... monster-like, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, he kind of in, – in, I think the whole episode kind of depicts what Coscarelli is all about. Like you said, you know, even the house and the setting, atmosphere created almost feels like an alternate reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it doesn't almost seem real. But at the same time, you take it as a real situation because it's a slasher. Yeah. You know, you just kind of accept it for it because it is in the woods kind of, kind of deal and – I think it's just so Coscarelli. Um, interesting thing. I noticed that when I was watching it, that Moonface looked kind of familiar. And I remembered him from uh, 13 Ghosts, the 2001 film. Uh, he played the Juggernaut. The yeah, Juggernaut I hate, Ghost. I hate that film. Oh, it's decent. Wow, a movie oh. that you hate? <laughs> oh, dude, I hate so many films. That movie is way too fucking busy for me. I, I love the original 13 Ghosts for its cheesiness, but that movie has so much going on. It's so, like over the fucking top and just ugh. I actually love it. I can't stand that remake. <laughs> love it. Horrible. Yeah, I mean, not I it's I'm horrible. not saying it's like great, but I it's grew not up as bad as the Fright Night remake one. for me. The Fright Right Fright Night remake is an <laughs> abomination, but <clears throat> but anyways, uh I don't know. I guess are we, are we going to rate these? Yeah. Let's rate. Okay, them. so Incident on and off a mountain road episode 1. What do we uh what do we rate this? Jeremy. Fucking asshole. Uh <laughs> Seven out of ten for the first episode of Masters of Horror. Uh, I also gave it a seven out of ten, so I'm right with you on that. All right, so I came in at seven and a half out of ten for Incident On and Off, which doesn't really surprise me considering slashers are my favorite subgenre. So mine too, mine too. But Incident On and Off a Mountain Road, interesting title, a little too long. <laughs> yeah. It's actually kind of hard to even say. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a kind weird of stutter type. in between. You know, incident on and off. <laughs> ah, <laughs> like there's a lot of mouth. Yeah, but it's better there. than episode, you know, nine. <laughs> episode wow. nine, number nine is a fucking tongue twister. Fair-haired <laughs> child. Yeah. 
Okay. All right. All right. So I guess we'll move along here to episode two, uh, which is titled Dreams in the Witch House. And, of course, it is directed by Stuart Gordon. And, Um, of course, it is an H.P. Lovecraft story. So typical of Stuart. Adaptation. Yeah, of of course, right? You know, just obsessed. Um, Well, of course, Stuart Gordon is uh, probably most noted for directing Reanimator in his career, um, which is actually one of my favorite movies of all time. He had a really, really good run in the 80s, man. Reanimator from Beyond and Dolls all in a row. Yeah. That's amazing. That's three films right there, you know, that are fucking awesome, (laughs) really. Uh, I know Screen Factor is releasing Robot Jocks, which I've actually never seen before. I I mean, they've actually released a couple of his films. You know, they're kind of getting his, uh, you know, they they released Dolls and From Beyond as well. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, Robot Jocks. That's an interesting one. I don't know anything about it, uh, but he's done he's done a you know a good a good bunch of stuff like from beyond. Uh, he did Castle Freak actually, which um, I, I like that one. Did the uh, ninety one Pit in the Pendulum from Full Moon? Yeah, which is actually not one of my favorite Stuart Gordon films. Like I said, um, Castle Freak is way better in my opinion. Uh, in two thousand one, he did a film called Dagon, which is a very interesting. Have you ever seen Dagon before? No, that's also H.P. Lovecraft, I believe, though, right? Yeah, it, it's strange, man. It's a really strange film. It's kind of one of those ones you kind of have to see for yourself to judge. It's really hard to explain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recently watched King of the Ants uh, again. Actually, I've seen it before. Um, it, it's it's a kind of an interesting revenge film that he had done. So, and then of course he did. Uh, he actually Stuart Gordon did an episode in season two of Masters of Horror called The Black Cat. Uh, which of course is an Edgar Allan Poe adaptation. So Stuart Gordon really likes to add a, you know, do adaptations of, you know, Mm -hmm. adapt things, Mm -hmm. you know, of classic material, um, which is, which is cool with me. And he also did, um, the last thing that's even noted on his, on his, uh, filmography is fear itself. Episode one, he did eater. Yeah. (laughs) From, I guess, season three of masters of horror, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. So he actually was involved quite a bit. He was involved throughout the whole process of this. So, yeah. And you know, he also, uh, interesting about this episode is this was originally going to be uh, what From Beyond was when he in '86 when he was making From Beyond originally he was going to do Dreams in the Witch House. Hmm. Um, so this was stewing on his mind for years. This episode, this uh, story. Nice, cool, nice. So this one aired in November of uh, November fourth of two thousand five. Plot. Here's the short plot of it. There's actually two different ones on here. A graduate student questions his sanity after he rents a room in an old boarding house, which he, which was the residence of a 17th century witch, and he figures out that the evil force is still roam within the walls. Yeah, this one has a cool setting. You know, it's a really I, interesting atmosphere. I just love my favorite thing about the, well, not my favorite thing about this episode, but the. Uh, the landlord of this place is so stereotypical. It yeah. fucking cracks me up. <laughs> He's this big, fat, white guy with a stained-up mustard wife beater with his belly hanging out the bottom, smoking. He's a total <laughs> fucking dick. The place is a run-down shack that has rats in the walls. It's just like, it's oh. so cliched, but then it works so well. But then the only thing that cracks me up, I understand that, like, you know, he's a graduate student. He has no money. He needs a place to stay. But why the fuck would you choose that place at all? <laughs> like, I, would I like that place. I would stay yeah, there. It's, it's but it, it's kind of crazy, dude. Like, yeah, there's, uh-huh. like, old people. It, like, the place, oh, it's just, it's crazy. Boarding house, man. man. You know, it really kind of reminded me, and it could be just Stuart Gordon's style, 
or what, but it, it kind of felt like a full moon film to me. Huh. Just uh, the tone of it and the fill. Yeah. I can kind of see yeah. that, you know, with, especially with, uh, you know, rat face, <laughs> you know, things like that, you know, it, it does seem kind of full moonish. Um, mm-hmm. this one's always very memorable to me because it has, you know, it has uh, a thing with rats in it. And if you know me, I love anything to do rats. with rats. Rats are interesting creatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and, and, and I think the mythology in this film is pretty cool. Uh-huh. I kind of like, I, I kind of like, like, this is a film I could see actually, you know, being a full length film. Like you could actually do a lot mm-hmm. with this. Mm-hmm. You could really extend the mythology and kind of create a lot out of this story, which I think is interesting. I think that's one thing we should note while we watch or what we talk about these episodes is could this episode be a full length or does it work better as a short? You know what uh-huh. I'm saying? I think this is one episode that I truly believe that could be a really cool mythology. You know, the mythology could be expanded and, um, I, I, I don't know, man. This I think one, this one more than the last one for sure to be a feature more than, I mean, the last one works perfect. as yeah. a short. I think it could work both, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, having a beginning to the slash film, but this one right here, it's just, it feels like a very compressed version of what it potentially could be, you know? So, um, but, uh, I don't know, man. Like, what, what do you guys? I, I I do like the setting, though. The house is creepy. It as has shit. a really awesome atmosphere, and it has it some really awesome lighting shots too. The way mm-hmm. that he lights the house is, makes it even more creepier, and and the characters are likable. The main dude, he's a very likable dude. I don't like, know who I, the deep, I, like I don't I was, know who the DP was on this, but man, yeah. there, there is some really good shots in this in this episode. Seems very uh, experienced. Between a DP and a cinematographer moods. What's that? There's a difference between a DP and a cinematographer. Do you know? DP lights everything and they operate a camera and cinematographer doesn't operate the camera. Not fully necessarily. There's Mm -hmm. exceptions to that. Yeah, Yeah, but but he operates the camera. I mean, there's exceptions to all that actually. There is actually Mm -hmm. no rules to that. But Uh, So I I like the kind of eerie like – like dreams that the dudes having and stuff like that. I've always kind of liked these these stories where uh, it's just a guy in a room with these weird people around him with weird things going on around him. Like I've always kind of just liked those solo. You're kind of focusing on this guy's and he's like just in this weird place. Like he's in this weird room. Uh, I like that. Like it, it kind of has that uh, dreamlike feel to it for me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the fact that, like, you know, when he explains to his neighbor, uh, the female, which I can't remember her name is, what her name is right now, but she's when a likable character too. When he's explaining what he studies, it makes him sound so fucking nuts, and it's like a perfect <laughs> setup. It's like oh, a yeah. prequel to exactly yeah, what's yeah. gonna happen with him because he's already fucking like, what, like who who studies that shit, man? It's mm-hmm. just, it's so crazy, but I, I really like that. It's it's very simple and it worked, mm-hmm. you know. So, well, I. I thought that the um, the way that the story played out, I wasn't absolutely crazy about the story uh, with the like alternate dimension stuff and, and things like that. I, I almost felt like it wasn't even necessary. Could just been an old witch house, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but but once it kind of played out and with the ending and when he goes inside the wall and stuff, I, I found that stuff to be a little unsettling. Mm-hmm. You know the subject matter that they were dealing with and stuff. It, it yeah. felt very Argento-y. Really? When he was in the wall, I thought I thought it was a little bit Suspiria-y, a little bit. I don't. Did you guys actually see? You know, 
kind of the outcome, like not the very end of the film, but kind of what happens with fuck. I don't even want to say that because I don't want to give anything <laughs> away. But like basically, why he ends up in the uh, in the nut house? Did you see like that coming? No, no, really? Because like you know when when I first watched this episode, I remember being shocked by that. I was like, oh. They actually took it there. They pulled a Caligari. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. I was like, wow, that's actually pretty crazy that that they went there. I wasn't actually overly crazy about, you know, the very very end, you know, and how they're kind kind of explaining things and in like where he is. I think it just kind of went on too long. Mm-hmm. I always find it just kind of carries on and on. I feel like they're just kind of making up minutes, you know, to get to that fifty five or fifty eight minute mark to make the hour episode. I just feel like it drags for like the last five or six minutes, mm-hmm. which which is a long time in a in a you know, 55 minute episode. So I don't know, but I think honestly, this episode has a lot more potential than it, than it actually portrays on screen. I think, Do you think it would I, be better. It would have been better if it was a feature. I know you already answered that, but like, I, I think so. I think if you explain a lot of things and just kind of, you know, maybe, maybe change around some of the mythology and, you know, not so much change, but just kind of, well, I think you have to set more. up the characters a little better. You have to flesh out things and develop the story a little bit more. So exactly, I'm kind yeah. of with you on that. It, 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 but it, at the same time, it did feel like sometimes they were grasping for a certain thing. So maybe yeah. the the script just wasn't ready um, for what it could have been. But, uh, I, I mean, I do like this episode, though. I, the, I think that this one, overall, like, the story is so-so, but I did like certain elements of it. But overall, I just I just really like the feel and the vibe of the house. And, and it, this one just plays really well for me. Um, mm-hmm. It's something that I would throw on at night to go to sleep watching or something like that. Um, I remember when these episodes were on Netflix, I used to throw this one on. I, I've seen this one more than most of them, to be honest. I don't know yeah, I've why. I've watched it a few times, too. But yeah, I mean, I, I like this one. I don't love it, though. Mm-hmm. I, I'm exactly with you on this one. I think it's actually really solid, but I think there's a lot, like I said, more potential. And uh-huh. just it, there is certain things to it that, you know, I find drag a little bit. But, you know, it, it's still a really good effort by Stuart Gordon, for sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, what do you expect? I mean, it's a H.P. Lovecraft adaptation, so, you know, <laughs> I don't know what really else to say about it. I think we've said what we needed to. Yeah. All right. So, ratings. JP. Jeremy. Fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go first. I'll go first. Well, I'll uh, go first. Okay. Same one as the last one. Seven out of ten. I also went the same as the last one. I give it a seven out of ten. Oh, that's that's no fun. That's no fun. Uh, I also gave it seven out of ten. <laughs> nice, nice, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Ooh, now we get some the more one of the more interesting episodes of the series, in my opinion. And what is the title of that episode, Jeremy? Dance of the Dead. And who's it directed by, Jeremy? I have to look. It's directed by Toby Hooper, Jeremy. Oh uh, yeah, Toby Hooper from. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, T- Toby Hooper's filmography. You got Texas Chainsaw, Eaten Alive, which we which we've covered on the show. Uh, the Fun House, <laughs> allegedly Poltergeist, Life Force, Invaders from Texas Mars, Chainsaw Massacre, Part Two, Spontaneous Combustion, Night Terrors, Body Bags, The Mangler, Crocodile, Toolbox Murders, Mortuary. Man, as you list them off, they get way depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, I always thought that you know he hasn't really done anything overly that great since like body bags. Body bags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Salem's Lot in '79. I forgot about that one as well. 
uh, TV film. Uh, oh, God. Mortuary actually is one of those films that, like, you know, the first two thirds are pretty good. And then the last third is like yes. an abomination. It, it kills it's, the, funny it's so bad. It's actually so bad that, like, it's laughable. It's terrible. It's just so fucking stupid, man. Oh, Mortuary is such a disappointment. Like, CGI. Ugh. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. It, it's so weird how the movie goes from pretty much practical, you know, and then the end is just a CGI mess. Abominate. Yeah. It's fucked, man. So, uh, you know, Mortuary was one of those films that in era 2006, I, I remember it coming out and I had it on a DVD. I still have it. I've only watched it that one time. And I remembered liking it a lot. But then I do remember being really bummed out about something about it. But I can't I, – I just – I don't really remember it. So you're probably hitting the nail on the head in terms of what I thought of it at the time. But he also did a film recently called De Gen, uh, mm-hmm. And it premiered at the Abu Dhabi Film Festival and has never been heard from again. And that was in 2013. <laughs> That's because it premiered at the Abu Dhabi Film Festival. <laughs> Yeah, they, they probably fucking, you know, well, maybe, maybe, you know, Dijin is actually, you know, it's the film from Cigarette Burns. You know, it oh, has yeah. that type of. <laughs> yeah. we, have to, we have to find it. There's only one. There's only one. Yeah. yeah. Maybe but, everybody who saw it went crazy. Yeah. Abu Dhabi Film Festival. What the hell? Like, what the fuck is that? Well, it's obviously in Abu Dhabi, but, yeah. <laughs> you know. Who the fuck takes their movie there? It's. I have no idea, but it was pretty, it was, well, it was a Abu Dhabi production, I believe. So it's kind of a weird, bizarre thing that's out there right now. And I don't know when we'll see it, if we'll ever see it, but I just find it completely weird that it's, it's kind of just not been talked about at all. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Q, Q. All right. So I guess we'll get into the, uh, the storyline of this one here and, uh, so in a post-apocalyptic society, 17-year-old Peggy lives with her overprotective mother and works in a restaurant. She misses her sister, Anna, who died some time ago. <laughs> when two couples of punks come into the place to eat some hamburgers, Peggy feels attracted to Jack, and that's without a C, who invites her to go out on a date with him later. Peggy goes out with Jack without telling her mother, and they go across town to a dark place. The Doom Room, where the master of ceremony is the ringmaster of a freak show with the dead. The MC injects blood into the dead, and they dance on a ring for the exalted audience. Uh, yeah, when Peggy sees weird... her undead sister Anna dancing with in the show, the MC discloses the truth about her about her presence in the circus. Yeah, th- this is a this That's is a, a fucking, fucking weird movie, man. The uh, the main character um, Peggy is played by Jessica Loundis, man. Oh, she's so sexy. And uh, um, Robert England's of course in this yeah. uh, as the as the MC. MC. And Jonathan yeah. Tucker plays Jack, who was in the Texas Chainsaw remake and The Ruins. I actually like this guy quite a bit. I wish he would have did more horror films. This yeah, is he, weird. Fuck. He he plays one of those characters in this that you know you're supposed to like kind of hate him, but he's kind of likable. Yeah, at the he's, same time. he's actually like he's a likable asshole. Yeah, he's a likable asshole. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? This episode right here. What did I? What did I message you guys when I was watching? It's a fucking hard episode to try to understand what the fuck's going on when you for well, the first ten minutes or so I, when you're first watching it. Yeah. So this episode to me, the first time I seen it, I hated it. Yeah. The, yeah. When it when I seen it. Uh, I believe I seen this one 
I don't think no. when it aired. I, I owned it on DVD, so it was it was when they were released on the solo edition DVDs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never liked this. I only seen it once, and I didn't like it. Uh, watching it this time, I found a new level of uh, of something for it. Um, I like. I just like the art, like artistic style of it that I didn't quite get at first. Um, when they're in the car and they're driving, how this it's like this futuristic like flash uh, thing that's happening. I, like I really th- found that very appealing, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it does absolutely nothing for me. Like th- this episode, man, I, I really dislike the structure of it. Um, I have to get I, the cinematography is pretty interesting inside of and the club i have to give them this that. but also in the car with the the way that the lights are coming yeah, at them it, it that, feels yeah, like it's a there. psycho trip like they're all well, getting I mean, high because, in the car but that's the kind of well that's the exact point is because they are you know tripping on whatever the fuck they're doing Spray. they're doing like weird post-apocalyptic drugs Spray. yeah it's <laughs> like, that was such a strange thing mouth. i always thought that was so strange but you know really i i don't really like the whole idea of this episode like i understand okay this is post-apocalyptic society you know mentality has changed you know this is what people do for excitement now is you know inject uh people with some type of drugs and watch them dance and they do crazy shit i'm just like eh uh-huh. I- I don't really care for it, to be honest. I've never liked this episode. I think the only good thing about this episode is actually uh, Robert England's performance. I like him as the MC. He's just, you know, you don't know if you should like him or hate him or if he's just a total fucking dirtbag, which... He's a, pimp. he's a complete dirtbag. That's what I like you know, about it, him. But I, but I like his performance, though. He actually, just the tone is the tone of his voice and he's just i don't know he he fits it perfectly as that mc as the host of this mm-hmm. dance of the dead show at the at the doom room I, I really enjoy that part of this i don't like the structure of this of this uh of this episode at all you know i don't like you know what well, we learn how, about what happens and all that yeah i mean it's like this whole bit it's it's this whole fucking build-up and then you know you get explained to what the fuck is going on you know and <laughs> I don't know. It just feels like such a major letdown. I, you know, this is one of those episodes that is filled with unlikable characters, which you actually really do hate. But you kind of understand where her mom's coming from. You know, her daughter was obviously her other daughter was killed, and her her mom is very kind of possessive of uh, over Peggy for reasons, right? It makes sense. She was a but, fucking bitch too, though. But you don't. I don't give a shit, man. I'm just like it's a post-apocalyptic society. Yeah. It's all. It's fucking survival, man. What do you do? What do you fucking do? But isn't and, really your it, typical post-apocalyptic but society? It isn't. But it's I find not, it, though. I find it isn't because there's more amenities in this post-apocalyptic yeah. world than, there, than like, it generally like, should be. And people aren't well, killing each other in, like, the middle. Well, okay, of the- so everybody in this world is, like, on drugs, but then there's, like, running restaurants that actually yeah. function like a normal present-day restaurant. I'm like, what? I, I find the tone in, in the setting to be very kind I mean, of like, misleading oh, like, and off-putting at the same time. It's like, okay, people can just walk in off the streets. They're all drug addicts and they're all fucking strung out on bullshit. But then they can walk into this restaurant and just order a hamburger and get some fresh-made pie. Yeah, but that was what I was going to say. It's like, where the fuck do they get the fruit for the pie? I mean, well, fucking that's the thing. It's, it's actually unbelievable, right? It's like, okay, yeah. this world is so strung out. I, so I don't know up. if it's that unbelievable i mean the the what happened wasn't like a nuclear devil's bomb. advocate wasn't it wasn't like a nuclear bomb it was a disease it was a, a terroristic attack like a thing that like melts your flesh like i think society mm. will continue on after that i don't I, I it's just everything's a little bit more chaotic now i i don't think this is your full-blown boy and his dog like post-apocalyptic like world blew up 
uh, type of post-apocalypticness. This is just a different society that was, uh, you know, torn down from from what had but, happened previously. Yeah, I, you know, that, that's totally yeah, that's a, understandable. It's you know, it's your opinion and you know the way you visualize it because they really don't explain a whole lot. The way I kind of understood it was, you know, yeah, there was this kind of nuclear reaction that whatever the fuck did to these people and shit. But I kind of took it as like, you know, maybe it would have some, it would kind of take out a lot of the stock too, you know, but they're eating hamburgers. (laughs) I don't know, man. It just seemed to me that it would have taken out a shitload of animals and and, and shit like that, because it seems like people are fucking hungry. Uh Like there's Mm -hmm. nothing around, but they're getting food to serve. But I thought, didn't they mention something about like the meat though? I thought they did. I thought I can't pull it, but I thought when they asked for food, they the girl did mention something about the meat whether it was like hard to get or something like that i can't remember they do they do actually they do but the point is but they still have meat they still have something so Carlos must be being the restaurant is functioning functioning it was just like i was actually super curious you know watching this episode again like do do they pay with money (laughs) is there still money in the society and shit like that like it's a functioning restaurant like like present day you know, I don't know. There's just I don't. This I mean, honestly, that doesn't nothing. that doesn't bug me that much. I, I think that sometimes with the post-apocalyptic world, the, the, like people hold on to w- something that they can to remember the past world, and in some cases, that might be a fucking restaurant. Um, and it, I never got the vibe that this world was completely fucked. I just felt like it was kind of fucked, and now it's more about society crumbling and not really physical things crumbling like laws and rules crumbling and you know they even said in the film but that that part of the world that town over there is way more fucked than over here this is still a functioning sort of town but the fuckers over there keep coming over here and fucking everything up for us (laughs) that's they say that in the film so like where they are yeah they still have restaurants and streets and old people walking down the street and stuff like that then you got some jackasses from the next town who come and steal your blood Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I didn't really, but, I, but that's kind of, but that's kind of the standard in most post-apocalyptic movies though. Really, you know, there is some, so their, so their little town isn't as bad as we generally see it in these films, but it still could be in complete ruins though. Right. You know, that's just the way I see it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's basically just an interpretation. You know, we don't really fucking know anything about the they don't really visually show anything but, it doesn't seem like it's that much of a disaster to me but if they're saying that like everyone's all strung out and there's all these fucking problems and i mean they're allowing they have zombies and fucking you know doom rooms and shit it just seems like it's totally but are they far zombies? out there i just like, feel the like world it's is anarchy gone. and there's the world no is gone. there's no real structure of laws only in certain parts of the area i feel I like they're like they're classic zombies not george romero zombies they're like i walk with a zombie zombies yeah, well, I just kind of took it like you know the the doom room is like the equivalent of you know the scene in the boy and his dog where mm-hmm. you know they go to the um, you know that little camp area or whatever and yeah, they start yeah. watching the the film you yeah. know that's their entertainment you know they're in, but this is the way of the world now in Dance of the Dead it's you know drugging up these zombies and watching them dance it was just kind of the equivalent to me that's why I figured that the whole world had just gone to shit 
you know, this is what I guess they're like, this is allowed. Now, this is like the seedy underground, though. They're going to this seedy, dark underground where you have to know somebody to get in. Like, like, it's not the regular world. This is just like kind of what we've devolved into in terms of their punks. This is this is the post-apocalyptic version of punks who are, you know, getting high and going and doing some effed up stuff, watching some weird shit. Oh, no, I know it's in the under. I know it's in the underground, but it doesn't mean that. Yeah, I. Okay, I know, but uh, whatever. But, so we, but I mean, it's still it's, a point. It's similar to what we see with frogs when you you know stick the electric <clears throat> stuff in them and their their you know their their body moves like that's kind of what they're doing with the people. Thought it was kind of I don't really. But it is people though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, one scene that I, I will mention that kind of really impressed me was the burning of the bodies. You guys catch this? Yeah. Yeah. Did you see how amazing it looked? I don't mm. think it was overly that amazing. Yeah, well, it was honest. like, oh, it was like if blown you away. knew that there was actual that that is actual fire on actual naked people, you might be a little more impressed. That was actual fire on actual naked. Yeah, people. using like alcohol or rubbing alcohol or something like that with a gel like underneath uh-huh. it. But well, I they do that like, shit all the time. But they were naked in a dumpster. That's pretty intense. Um, I'm sure there might have been some CG added to it or something. But uh, oh, there definitely it, was something added in there because yeah. it did look it did look different and kind of odd. So maybe that's what it is. It's it's mixed with real practical fire mixed in with maybe just a little bit of you know oomph from. But they some mentioned CG. that on the uh, bonus disc, and I was like, holy crap! I thought that looked really in- interesting. Um, <clears throat> I thought it looked odd though. That is interesting. You bring that up. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, honestly, I, I just think that they created – obviously, that it might not be exactly how you envision a post-apocalyptic world or how I envision it. But I thought they created a weird, interesting one that I hadn't seen before. And that's kind of what I got into. I have to give them credit that they if they did something original with the post-apocalyptic world. I haven't seen anything like this before. Yeah, so I, have to give, kind of I have to give them that. Establish this kind of vague rules that you don't really understand what's going on, but it's still just I found it kind of interesting. And I don't love this episode, mm. but I was playing devil's advocate a little bit. Yeah, I, I I remember watching this one on TV and it was always like pretty much my least one of my least favorite episodes. It was my I, least favorite until I watched it the second time. I like I, I told mm. you I hated this episode when I first seen it. I kind of seen it in a different light this time. I like still I have it towards the bottom of the list, though, on my list. Like I said, though, you know, it's not like horror. I don't think any episodes in the season are actually like, you know, to the yeah. point where it's like, damn, that's like terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it just doesn't yeah. really do anything for me. And I, it's just kind of it's not even that it's forgettable. Like, I, I do remember things from it, but I just I don't get that much enjoyment out of this episode, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it comes down to. If I'm not entertained and. You know, I mean, honestly, I could probably watch an hour of just Robert England just spitting and coughing up blood on stage. It was more it was entertaining to me than guys, anything. You guys felt like it was like a post-apocalyptic, from dusk till dawn type of a setting. Is from what? What? what like, mean, from dusk till dawn, post-apocalyptic? No, I'm saying. Wait, what did you say? From dusk till dawn, post-apocalyptic? No. No, I'm saying like. Oh. From dusk till dawn, but in a post-apocalyptic. I think he's referring to like you know, like this being in a bar, yeah, kind of deal, and you know, the titty twister and fucking yeah, from dusk till dawn. From dusk till dawny. 
Yeah, I mean, I can see the comparison. I, I never really thought of it, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, like I said, don't really love this one. I don't have much else to say about it. Do, do you guys want to go into ratings? Yeah, I'm not really. Um, I'll go first since <laughs> uh, I give this one four and a half out of mm-hmm. ten. Yeah, I'm going to go in with a five out of ten on this one. Uh, I'm going to come in the highest with a six out of ten on this one. And if that was reversed, JP would be like, what? What? Well, you guys aren't going to like my... Uh, <laughs> he, he would question the shit out of it, but I'm the, not going to because... It the next one, I'm probably going to get shit Because you know I'm right, and it's 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 a pretty more solved than you're giving it credit for. No, I'm, I'm kidding. It's It really is kind of a weird one that I think only certain people are going to dig, and I happen to dig it the second time watching it. Oh boy, this next one's not going to be fun for me. Okay, so we are moving into Jennifer, which was episode four. Yeah. All right. Directed by, of course, the legendary Dario Argento. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I mean, really, his filmography is just it's he's outrageous. Outrageous. I mean, Mm -hmm. his first bunch of films are just ridiculous. I mean, starting with the bird and the crystal plumage. I mean, uh what so is his good. most notable film? Probably Suspiria, you'd say? Suspiria, yeah. yeah Suspiria is probably the most widely known yeah. film, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's debatable what you, what the best and your favorite is, of course, right? The two different meanings. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, he started off his career with that animal trilogy, The Cat of Nine Tales, Four Flies on Gray Velvet, which is a really... No, he needs to get his career with Burr with the Crystal Plumage. Does that have one? Four Flies? Wasn't Dude, that his I, first movie? I already said The Bird with the Crystal oh. Plumage and then Cat of Nine Tales. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, you get into Deep Red, which is widely considered to be one of the better giallos ever ever made. Yeah, it's pretty you know? good. It's a it's brutal, a really, brutal it's, initial murder. Brutal. Yeah, it's, it's such an interestingly awesome film. Suspiria, um, you know, is yeah. duly noted as one of the most visually stunning films out there. Last film shot in Technicolor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Inferno, of course, a sequel to it. Tenebrae, which is one of my favorite Dario Argento films. I, I love the... The score by Claudio Simonetti in that film, which actually Claudio Simonetti did the score in this episode for Jennifer, too, which I thought was fucking awesome. You know, it's just so cool that they still work together today or, you know, up until that point. Phenomena, opera. I mean, the list goes on. The Stenzel. Dracula 3D. Uh, yeah, and then his, of course his career is very much like Toby Hooper's. It kind of not technically Cinescope. I'm a fucking idiot, but I don't think his films are as bad as some of Toby Hooper's later ones. I mean, that is of course debatable. Again, um, I, well, I can't. But, I couldn't tell you, but I've heard a lot of bad things about Dracula and Giallo. Dracula's pretty. Well, the, the weird thing about Giallo is that it's not even really a Giallo film. I don't even understand the title to that. Uh-huh. It's really fucking strange. And then Maybe he mother tears horses yellow. Is the third part in the Three Mothers trilogy, um, or in the Mothers trilogy? So, but yeah, you know, whatever. I think his most underrated film that he has out there is probably Sleepless. That's just my opinion. I think Sleepless is a film that never really gets brought up. But, but anyways, that movie. Dario Gento, he's a yeah, master. Jennifer, so yeah, cool stuff. Jennifer, the most predictable movie in the series. Oh just God. Me. It's okay, predictable. So set up, set up shit, the story man. first. Uh, <laughs> okay. While parked in a remote spot, launching, lunch, launching, yeah, lunching Chinese food with us. Lunching. Who writes the word lunching? Do <laughs> <laughs> you just want me to read the log line on the back of the fucking? No, I'll read this. While parking, while parked in a remote spot, lunching Chinese food with his partner, Detective Frank Spivey, 
saves a disfigured woman called Jennifer from being sliced with a meat cleaver by a deranged homeless man. He feels sorry for the retarded Jennifer and takes her from an insane asylum and brings her home. Frank becomes obsessed with Jennifer, feeling lust and attraction for her lavish body. When he realizes that she is a human beast, he moves on, moves her to an isolated old cabin in the woods with tragic consequences. Um, yeah, man. you know, I mean, to be, to be honest, it's not Dario Gentile. It, it's best not predict, it's not predictable because it's set up in a in a format where it's a full circle film. So it's that's just how it's plays out. It's mm-hmm. it's not, and I don't. I, that's a good like, point. Not, that's a good point. I'm not very sure if our main character has attractions towards Jennifer or does she, you know, have powers, powers or does something towards him that makes him, you know. Well, I feel like there's a lot of mystery dirty. to the Jennifer character. First and foremost, she's probably a succubus. But then again, you don't know her history. Was she beaten <clears throat> as, you know, you, the, you, the way she reacts. This needs, to be, this needs when, to be a feature. The way that she reacts when um, she's trying to please the master, you know, you, you, it, it kind of makes you think of all these different um, things that could have happened to her in her past. And that's what I've always found so interesting about Jennifer. Is she a fucking alien? Look at her eyes. Like, you don't know. Um most likely you, that you brought up succubus because generally a succubus is like, you know, a very beautiful woman, you know, like a demon. So she's but the ugly. She actually succubus. looks like a fucking demon, you know, that's very <laughs> seductive. I, I just find that quite interesting to use that word. Um, I've actually thought of that, you know, before also. Jennifer is a complete mystery. Honestly, there, there's no backstory, which I actually really like about that. I that's love the it. whole point, and, and that's what makes Jennifer such a good episode is because you don't really know, and you're not supposed to know anything about Jennifer. You know, it's just this kind of fatal attraction type deal with um, not really with about Spivey Jennifer and Jennifer. And like, yeah, does she have powers? Does she kind of entice him, you know, mentally and and all that type of thing is going on? But or is you know. this guy just sick of everything in his life and has a complete mental breakdown after shooting a man, which they do actually showcase a little bit. Yeah. You know, I yeah. think he's a little they annoyed with his wife. It. You know, he's a little annoyed with his wife. He's a he little doesn't annoyed like his with, son. with his son and stuff like that. And of course, the the very diminishing you know when you have a something like that happening in your life where you kill somebody of course mentally you're going to go a little Mm -hmm. fucked up and then it just kind of spirals from there so i think i think the setup with the main character is brilliant actually it works it's simple and it works because it's realistic yeah and you know they mention you know when you shoot somebody you go to psych um and they kind of pry at it a couple different times and i think that 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 they showed it enough to where you could interpret it, it as, okay, well, maybe this guy really did get messed up. He was probably unstable to begin with. Then he shoots a guy, and it really messed up his brain. Um, or Jennifer could have a hold over him. There's a cut that happens on his hand. Is that something to do with it? It could be, but it doesn't have to be. So I love, just love how there's so many different excla- explanations that you could come up with to what's happening and why he's infatuated with Jennifer. Is it her having control over him or is it him just seeking into something that isn't truly there? What is it? And I love that. It's, it's up to you. What do you want it to be? Exactly. It, that's the, that's the brilliance of it. It's totally up to you. You know how, and how you interpret it is probably what your final outcome is going to, you know, showcase. Yeah. You know, do you like this episode for that or this or whatever? So, I mean, yeah, it's really op- open for interpretation. And the, I think Stephen Weber, the, the guy that plays, plays Frank Spizey, I, I like him as an actor for some reason. 
I don't know what it is about that guy, but I kind of like him. He's Fuck, the dude his, that played. He played in the remake of The Shining, right? He was. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck, so. his partner's annoying as fuck. I wanted to punch him in the face. God, <laughs> his voice was so fucking annoying, man. I like that dude. I like oh, those. Man. I like those characters. He was fucking Actually, annoying. I, I just like that when he comes. They're like the Italian he's like, dude. Yeah. When he's like, "What the fuck, man?" Because <laughs> <laughs> they were just kind of chilling out, eating some food, and all of a sudden, all this shit goes down. He's like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> Yeah, that what actually fuck, made me laugh Frank? a lot again. Yeah. <laughs> so th- this was actually created from a comic book. Uh, it was mm-hmm. in 1974, creepy number 63. Um, so this story comes from a comic book. So maybe the comic book would explain more of what's going on. But I, I think that you know, as of right now, it's, it's perfect. You don't need to know. I love the score. Um, I love the. You know, it almost has like a. Like the scenes where it's like the time lapse of car traffic, it almost has like a Beetlejuice vibe to it. Mm. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. That's interesting. <clears throat> um, I think this episode right here can go both ways. Uh, I think it can work as I think it could work as a full length, you know, if you explain some things, or it might not work as a full length. But I think it works perfectly as this kind of short length film. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you, What do you guys think? Do you think would you like to know a little bit more about Jennifer or do you think the mistake like you know introducing and taking away that mystery I think that actually kind of hurts it in in a way but I I think you could make this into a longer film even you don't have to explain you know but I you know the more I think but I think it actually does work better as a short yeah I think it works great as a short I I think that I would prefer this one as a short Um, the way that the film begins and ends uh, I I also wonder like is Jennifer's it could is Jennifer just a normal uh, girl with a dif- disfigured face? She could be. No. Uh, why? why that eats people? Uh, y- I mean, uh, well, a normal cannibalistic girl with a disfigured face. Mm. See, I, I get the impression. Normal. I honestly think that she is some type of supernatural. Yeah, some type of creature. Yeah, like she's you know she has obviously a human. Mostly a human body, but it's her eyes, dude. No, yeah. no human has fucking eyes like that. That's just crazy. You, like you her deformity sloth, could be a human deformity. Like she could have gone to an accident. Human? What'd you say, Jeremy? You think yeah, sloth he, is human? Sloth is just like he's like. I compared. I compared Jennifer to sloth. <laughs> sloth is like Michael Berryman to me. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, but but what I'm saying is, it doesn't. You can make an argument that that there's a case that is there that she could just be a girl. With a disfigured face. I obviously think that there is some supernatural stuff too, but I love how it's so open ended that you can make an argument for all these different things. Um, you know, she does have that kind of growling, you know, thing to her when she's having sex. But then again, we're watching it from his point of view, and he's the same guy who was under the impression that his wife wanted to uh, get banged. But I think the that, ass. I think that's where you know Argento is showcasing you know her animal you know her animalistic tendencies and stuff mm-hmm, you know, he's scratching the living shit out of her she's growling and uh-huh. then hence she is ripping apart animals <laughs> and eating yeah, them yeah. too so so she is very kind of like an animal she's something something you mm-hmm. know et some type of you know, <laughs> who knows we don't really know and 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 like we said i think it really does work i don't yeah. really care I think because what I'm seeing, I'm enjoying, and I'm I like that. So I, I, you get the vibe that she's been around for a very long time and probably hasn't like aged. Like she probably has always been this Jennifer. This, yeah, Jennifer. 
Um, there is one interesting part in the film, though, that, you know, I think that he is kind of, but he dreams, you know. Um, so this is where I kind of figure that maybe she does have a little bit of power over him because he's visually seen her without her deformities at one point in the film in a visual. He, it's like a daydream or he's actually dreaming at night. I can't remember. I he's exactly night, but, um, but he sees her without her deformity and he's like, I think that's well, really when yeah. the obsession kind of starts. Yeah, but I don't we know don't... if it's because he becomes obsessed with her or the fact that she has a certain power over him because maybe that's what she does. That's or she latches could just onto be people picturing what that. she would look like without a fucked up face. Exactly. So you can interpret it any way you want. I kind of took it maybe as, you know, there is something there. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I definitely think that that's what it's probably intended to do. Um, mm-hmm. I just love that it's so up to up for interpretation. And that is an interesting scene because that seems often overlooked because it's very brief and it, it doesn't really go anywhere. Um, yeah. you, you just see her without her face or without her deformities, which I love the way she looks. It is terrifying to me yeah she's so, she's so damn yeah. creepy dude it's just like the like she'll when she sees that little girl and she like licks her lips i'm like oh well, you God. know that's that's obviously referencing frankenstein well you haven't seen frankenstein but that's obviously influenced by frankenstein maybe it's did you pick up on that oh yeah oh yeah totally totally frankenstein what is uh the, when this she's throwing the flowers into the pool and jennifer's standing behind her uh, uh in frankenstein oh, yeah. there's a similar sequence I've seen that where, scene. Yeah. yeah 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 it's a very famous scene that's been mimicked yeah. quite a quite a few times but yeah. yeah the scene where she looks at the little girl and then licks her lips there's <laughs> some like, good gore in this okay. episode man yeah, yeah. In the basement oh. when he opens that basement door and yeah so going on town going interesting to, town. to note that this was the only episode from season one at least that required that i know that required cuts um, they, uh, cut two scenes involving oral sex and I knew that from watching the special features back when yeah. I grabbed this disc. Uh, but apparently I just found this out that the deleted scenes were edited into the so hideous, my love documentary on the DVD. And mm-hmm. I don't ever remember seeing that. So I think it says on the back, I've actually never watched the special features on this before, but it does note that there is cut scenes. Or deleted footage that you can watch so i'm assuming that's what it is uh-huh. maybe it's you know sometimes there's special features listed that aren't there we've come into that before <laughs> i also <laughs> do know that um there was a scene that was scripted but i don't think it was ever shot to show jennifer's vagina and it was going to be like this terrible disfigured like chicken mush thing <laughs> like and um chicken mush. it just never oh, she just screen got because so we're ugly like, we, now. we yeah. cannot show this on tv um but you know if you, if you kind of make it like a mutant vagina like i mean it's almost hilarious i don't see why not because it's not like it's not realistic it's it's kind of funny really they didn't say no vaginas they just said no penises yeah. you know for vagina had big teeth in it like barracuda teeth that would be <laughs> pretty awesome i mean yeah. it's laughable right i mean it's ridiculous yeah what but i wouldn't teeth? want it to be laughable <laughs> Well, yeah, I wouldn't want to be that guy. Uh, so, Ugh. you know, it, there's actually a funny <laughs> moment in the Masters of Horror dinner on the DVD where Landis is talking about when Argento was filming uh, the scene with the young boy who's supposed to be like 15 and um, Jennifer's uh, kind of kills him in a way. <laughs> um, and there's suppo- there's like a penis, okay? And John Landis is just like, 
like everybody's just like talking about like oh he's 15 and like this is crazy and RJ and John Landis is like look at the kid's cock why is it so big why Argento come over here why is it so big and, and Argento's like why are you laughing why are you laughing it's, not, it's supposed to be scary and he's like look at his cock it's, it's like <laughs> Like that typical it Italian director with no sense of humor. It's yeah. freaking it's not hilarious. funny. It's not funny. Because Landis said, like, it was just ridiculous. Like, he's like, why does this kid have this? And he, it is, it's a funny-ass moment. Watch it on the disc. It's a hilarious. Oh, I, oh, I still got to watch that. Good. <laughs> because he was so – he just – everybody was talking about, like, oh, like, the kid's 15. Like, can we do this scene? And Landis is just over there pointing at it, like, look at this thing. <laughs> why? <laughs> good stuff good oh stuff. man so jeremy what what do you why do you feel this one is not good or why don't you like it or why is it why don't i like you? I, I just think that it's not like i don't like it i think it's interesting and it has like you said some some of the more ballsy moments of the sh- series i mean mm. in a few episodes we'll get to one that's you know has quite a message but um this one uh mm. I just wasn't intrigued into the story like I was in some of the other stories. I mean, I'm not bashing Argento's work or anything because he does have some interesting things going on here with Jennifer. And um, but like I said, I don't really like full circle type of stories. Um, there's some in Tales from the Crypt I can't remember. Well, it's actually more than a few. But it's like, mm, mm, I don't know. I just wasn't intrigue the story too much to be completely honest i know maybe i'm just accustomed to watching argento's giallos and films like that that i'm used to him having different types of stories and things like that that i'm not used to having him do something this different i think that's actually precisely one of the reasons why i really love this episode is because you know i've seen well actually everything argento's done and you know i i think this one really stands out because it's it's interesting to watch because it really doesn't feel like an Argento film. It doesn't really fully have that Italian feel. It has that American, you know, cinema type feel to it. Mm-hmm. But then it's got that Claudio Simonetti fucking score to it that just kind of throws you right back into that Italian feel. So it's kind of got this mixed bag of feel for me, you know, when I watch the film. But I really do like it. I think that he adapted perfectly. And I think it's, you know, he made a piece of work that really does appeal for someone that's not necessarily, you know, fully diversed in Italian cinema. Like if you just went full, full out and just made like an Italian, do you think it would really fit the whole mold? Mm, no, probably not. Right. So I think that, I think it's one of the reasons why I really enjoy this one. Cause it is so different. I, think I do understand just, where you're coming from though. It's but. such a interesting out there film to be on Showtime or something. To me, this doesn't feel like a, a movie that would be targeted towards an American audience. It just doesn't to me. Like, and it's I, not the most ballsy episode, though. It's not I agree, even like I that. agree with that. But you know, we're talking about this one right now. Uh huh. And I, I, I just something about it when I'd seen it on TV. The first, this was the first episode I seen. So maybe I am biased a little bit. This impacted me and my friends uh, who were not horror fans. But they loved it and I loved it and I just thought it was so weird and out there. I'd never seen anything like that, especially on TV at the time, uh, you know, 2005 or whatever. And we even started calling girls Jennifers who maybe didn't have the most 
best features <laughs> in the face. <laughs> so I mean, th- this film. I think I'm going to start really... doing that right now. That's so fucking mean. You're a dick. I, I, I know. I, you know pretty funny, I, I was like 16 or something. You know, whatever. 15, uh, 14. I don't really remember. But <laughs> I guess JP Stand would be for... doing a lot of master debating. When I mean, th- th- this one just connected with me so much. It's. I love this memory. Uh, it's one of these films that I, I, so I consistently you like go it back to this one. It, I do. So it definitely is. It definitely is partly why. But I still think I can remove myself enough to s- still see that this is a great short. This is a great uh, TV Masters of Horror episode. And mm-hmm. um, I think Moods can probably attest to that uh, because he, I think he's pretty high on this one as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I really tried to, you know, w- with – you know, kind of draw back my biasness, biasness, <laughs> being biased um, when it comes to, you know, filmmakers that I really love. Like, you guys know how much I love Dario Argento's films. I'm a huge Argento freak. Mm-hmm. You know, so I try to I kind of try to hold that back a little bit and, you know, just kind of take it for what it is. You know, I don't like all his work. There's some films I actually dislike. But, um, you know, I, I, I figure I just kind of rated this film on exactly how I felt about it. You know, I was trying to hold everything back and it, it just really did work for me. You know, mm-hmm. you know, if I had to watch this episode and didn't know that Dario Gento um, directed it, I would still have the same rating that I have on this. So speaking of ratings, uh, do you want to get into them? Jeremy, it's back to you again. <clears throat> All right. Jennifer, like I said, don't be hidden. Uh, you know, it wasn't my favorite you know, favorite film in the series for sure. Um, but it's definitely extremely, extremely well done, which you kind of expect from somebody as talented as Argento. But just story-wise, you know, when I watch a film, I like to watch it for story, mostly for story, you know, <laughs> cinematography and things like that come into play and acting, of course, as I talked about a lot. But this story really didn't encap in, in me that much, you know. Was I, was I interested in what was going on? When I was watching it, yeah, I was pretty interested in what was going on and what was happening to the main characters and things like that. But it really didn't hold me in like some of the other films did. So I'm going to go with six and a half out of 10 for Jennifer. All right. So me personally, I love the full circle thing about this film. I think it starts perfectly and ends absolutely perfectly. Um, I just love that about it. That's probably my favorite part of it is the mm. way that See, it that's starts probably like my and least ends. favorite part. Um, <clears throat> and you know, I, I just, I love watching this guys just descent into pure insanity with this crazy woman or thing or whatever the hell it is uh it's a nine out of ten for me for sure I, I love this one um yeah I, it's one of my favorite things about it too is the full circleness of the episode and i like the fact that it doesn't you know it's full circle but it doesn't end it just it just keeps kind of going it keeps going and you see it keeps going you, and going you know what's you gonna happen the in the next eight sequels just by the way that this one <laughs> ended, you know what i mean uh-huh um yeah and i mean mixed with that you know claudio seminetti um bravo s- score man uh love it uh i also actually came in exactly with nine out of ten also that's very interesting chief i wasn't expecting you to come in that high yeah, very, very interesting. Very interesting. So, yeah, Jeremy. So I figured this was going to happen with a couple episodes that we'd be, you know, very, very different. In it just wasn't, but, wasn't, know, wasn't for me. You know, that's totally cool, though. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, moving along into episode five, which is actually directed by the creator of the Masters of Horror series, which is Mick Garris. Um, Chocolat. 
Mick Garris, Mick is, Garris is, really... is kind of an interesting filmmaker when you look at his filmography. Mm-hmm. He is an interesting filmmaker. He makes he loves he loves to dip into TV, doesn't he? He's done yeah, a lot of he he does and Stephen King as well. Um, he kind of. Uh, you know, he, him and Stephen King, I believe, have an, a, a decent relationship. And there's there's a lot of stories that he's said that he really wants to adapt one day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's really done a lot of TV work, man. Um, most notably, starting his career was Critters 2. Uh, he worked on Freddy's Nightmare, which is kind of cool. Um, shout out to did, Critter Buster. Yeah, shout out to Critter Buster. Uh, Psycho 4, the TV film. Um, great, great <laughs> ending to that original run of Psycho movies. I, I like yeah. Psycho 4, man. Yeah. Yeah, we'll uh, and, and then I actually forgot that he did Sleepwalkers. That's another Stephen Which King adaptation right there. I've actually grown to like over the years. My favorite part in that film is when she stabs the dude in the eye and he's like, look what you did to my shirt, bitch. That film totally <laughs> is <laughs> like so bizarre to me. I can't. It, the tone is just all like it's so much it a is, weird movie. It is, it is a strange film. And then, of course, he did the stand the miniseries, you know, for TV. Uh, he worked on Tales from the Crypt. Um he did the Quicksilver Highway TV film, which was two shorts in that one. Yeah, that was all uh, right. He also did the Shining TV miniseries, which, you know, some people do like and some people don't. It's I okay. actually don't. I find it. You it's know, it's long. A little, it's a little long it's for me. Long, yeah. But, you know, it's also added. It's adapted, you know, more truly to the book and stuff. Um, Talk about an undertaking when he signed on to the stand, man. He had to be scared shitless. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what else did he work on here? Uh, a lot Riding more TV the stuff. Riding the bullet. Like he did That's Desperation, the TV King. film. Desperation was awful. That's the worst thing that he's done out of the films that I've seen. And he, yeah, he worked on some other like Bag of Bones was stuff. fucking wrote Hocus Pocus. Come on, man. He also wrote The Fly Disney. too. Yeah, um, he did. You know, he worked. He did two episodes, Masters of Horror, of course, uh, Bag of Bones. Um, yeah. So much TV work, man. Mick Garris really does. Most of his career is uh, TV. TV stuff. So, you know, it's very fitting that he would create a, t- a television series. And he was course, recently right? in uh, Digging Up the Marrow as himself, and he was pretty funny in there. So, uh, look out. Hey, for he that likes Adam Green. So. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this episode right here is uh, actually kind of brings me and Jeremy together a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Chicago. <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting. So in Chicago, the lonely Jamie works in a, in a food laboratory of a company developing flavors with his best friend, Wally. Jamie divorced his wife a couple months ago and misses his son. <laughs> Jamie is on a diet, but after eating a chocolate, he becomes physically connected to a beautiful woman, seeing her through her eyes and feeling her sensations. Jamie falls in love uh, for the stranger, the strange woman. Uh, until he witnesses her stabbing and killing her lover, his connection ends up ends, and Jamie becomes obsessed for the woman. Using his memories, he dis- discloses uh, through driver's license of her car and some landscapes that the mystery mysterious woman lives in Vancouver. Hence me. Jamie travels to meet and help her once in Canada. He finds that the dead man wants a plastic artist and beloved stranger in the model, Catherine. Jamie tries to approach the the cath the the Catherine with tragic consequences. That thing's hard to fucking read. It's worded funny, um, but yeah, very very strange. Weird. One of the more original stories in this uh, in this first season. That's for sure. It's kind of felt so like weird to me. Kind man. of felt like chilling visions a little bit. But to be, on, to be honest, you know the story is very intriguing. Very, yeah, but theoretically, it makes no fucking sense uh. at all. <laughs> 
I think it's one of the we- one of the more weaker. I think the weakest. In the I think okay. Now this is probably probably the only episode in this first season that I that I think would work better as a true short, mm-hmm. <laughs> like a short short film, like ten minutes. Because, yeah, like you could just take this idea, but you know, because there's things that aren't explained. Like he, you know, he's creating. He eats his chocolate, and all of a sudden becomes, you know, kind of one with this woman. Yeah. But like you know, no. I, I like the idea is kind of cool, but at the same time, it just makes no fucking sense, man. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. So see, I, I didn't really know. I, see, I didn't even realize that um that it had anything to do with the chocolate that he created. I thought just one day he started being psychically connected to. No, the he ate the chocolate. He actually says in the episode. Yeah. He notes when it happens. Like he talks about, I think he, when he's explaining it to the police officer, because the story is told after. Well, I guess that's kind of a spoiler alert. But anyways, he's telling the story to the police. You know exactly what the events led up to, you know, or what happened and led up to, you know, his arrest and stuff. But he does, he does explain. You know, it all started with this piece of chocolate. You know, I ate this, and then after I ate this, you know, I started having these weird visions. I, I, I was able to see through this woman's eyes, and I became obsessed with. Her. I could smell her. You know, I, I was her. I could feel her. Like there's a scene where she's masturbating and, you know, he can feel it and you can see it and shit. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, damn, you know, and then she murders her boyfriend. And then he's like, holy fuck, I need to solve this case. So I think the whole premise is is there, but it's kind of it's outrageous. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess if you can kind of I, I guess if you can kind of, you know, disconnect yourself outrageous from all reality itself. Word. What's that? Outrageous is a good word. Yeah. I, like yeah. I said, if you can disconnect yourself, you know, and put yourself in the eyes of of the stranger, you know, um, you know, maybe it worked for you. But uh, I don't know, man. This one is. Do you think dude's, it's the weakest? The dude's really so juky. far in the first five episodes. What do you think it's the weakest so far in the first five episodes? Uh, in my opinion, yes. And yeah, I'll tell you why, too. This one right here, I, I, the premise is, is, is totally outrageous. But I think it's executed a little slow mm-hmm. at times, and it, it almost kind of drags. That's why, hence I said, you know, it could work better as like a short short. Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of move it along real quick. But this one actually drags for, you know, a 50 or a 60-minute episode. Um, I do kind of like the investigation because it kind of hits home with me. Like when they show the BC plates, when he figures out where she is in Vancouver. and I know, know there. Well, I mean, fuck, man. Like where they, like they're can. filming like Stanley Park and like the BC plates and like everything about the episode. I'm just like. Damn, I mean, I fucking, you know, used to live there. So it's very it's very kind of nice like that. But, you know, really, there's nothing else to offer for me in this episode. I find it kind of kind of tedious, actually, to be honest. It, it was just a little t- I just wasn't right. I wasn't with it. Like it didn't it didn't. Gra- I wasn't along for the ride. I was just kind of like this isn't I just not crazy about the idea, to be honest. And that's I think what it comes down to, like the way that they use the idea. I just didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I, I think just the way the the whole story, even with him, is executed, because they even go, you know, they they show a scene where he's with his wife and his child and stuff, and like it kind of it it feels like it just kind of straight away. Like we don't really need to see that. We know that he's been divorced and he has problems with his wife. He explained that to his friend in the lab. Do we really need to see the wife and the child and, and things like that? Like as a filmmaker, like I probably wouldn't even put that in there. Like I would probably try to explain a little more things. Like I don't <laughs> How need confused. To... Sorry, go ahead. Finish my bad. Yeah. I just, I, I don't think it's needed. I think that's why the episode is structured kind of funny and, and it drags and it's kind of boring because I don't really care. He's already explained that he, that he is divorced from his wife and his child and he's has problems with that and stuff. I don't need to see that. 
Mm. You know, just get into the actual, story. you know, the goodness of the story. Get into yeah. the chocolate. Get into that dark chocolate. You know, the story. And uh, and I just feel like it just kind of jumps all over, and I'm just like, Ugh. this one loses me every fucking time, dude. I find myself looking at the clock. See, every time I, I'm watching this, is this episode. one that I absolutely would not want to watch a second time. Um, the first time I was intrigued enough to pay attention the whole time. Like I felt like I was, I didn't like what was happening, but I was still interested enough to see where it was going to go. How confused was you when the guy started having sex with the girl and it was through his eyes? Like what I was like, I didn't, at this point I didn't know what was going on. And I was like, this is so weird. You know, honestly, the first time I watched this episode, I actually was a little bit confused by that part, too. I thought, because he was feeling it, I thought that he was actually having sex with the guy himself. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. No, he's actually seeing through her eyes. And, like, I kind yeah, of got but he's misconstru- misconstrued a little bit. So he's kind of having sex with the guy. I know, exactly. And then when you actually think about it, oh, wait a minute. He's feeling that. So he technically kind of is having sex with yeah, the guy. Yeah, and it's really weird. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know exactly it's where you're coming from. Such an this awkward scene. Some gay stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. some little gay undertones, but not that there's anything wrong with that. No. Um, but uh, that's the way. Yeah, I know go. this. This episode is it's a it's a strange one. It's definitely probably the the most odd one out of the bunch. But like I said, the structure it's just it's fucking kind of boring. Mm-hmm. You know, I just I don't know. I don't know about this one, man. I've never really been a big fan of it. So yeah, me neither. Sorry, Mick. Yeah, you know, yeah. he made one of the weaker episodes, and he's the creator. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. that's kind of that's kind of disheartening a little bit. But I don't know, man. Like I said, you know, some of the visuals, some of the you know familiar places and and shit like that. I, I really enjoyed seeing, but otherwise, it doesn't save it for me. I can go back there anytime, <laughs> you know. So it doesn't it doesn't really do anything. But Jeremy, you have anything to add? No, that should be it. I did. I did like the uh, the friend, you know the the forty five year old failed rocker that puts on a fake mohawk and plays <laughs> awesome like early two thousands rock or something. <laughs> That's pretty entertaining. But again, not fully needed. You know, I think this episode just kind of suffers from a bad script, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah. So. What was you thinking, Mick Garris? Exactly, Mick. What is going on? What do people think when they make fucking Beneath the Mississippi? They fucking have a movie and they make it. <laughs> yeah, beneath the Mississippi, yikes! Oof. Ratings. That one last time. Uh, I give it a five out of ten. Yeah, I give this one uh, four and a half out of ten. It's just below for me. <clears throat> I gave it a four out of ten. Boo! Coming in the lowest. Yeah. twice in a row but I think I might come in the highest for the next one <laughs> uh, yeah episode 6 uh, is uh, titled Homecoming directed by Joe Dante Yeah. now Joe Ooh. Dante of course um, probably what he's what in horror what do you think he's most famous for Gremlins oh yeah oh yeah easy yeah Gremlins he did uh, got a start with uh, Roger Corman on Piranha uh, moved on to the Howling. Um, of course, he did Gremlins after that, and then the Burbs and Gremlins Two with each other. He's always kind of leaned more <clears throat> later into the uh, kid-friendly horror with the Burbs and Gremlins. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, didn't he actually do the door? Uh, the hole. The yeah, hole. The hole. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. was, you know, I actually talked about that one. Yeah, you talked a few about podcasts that. ago, and that's a really enjoyable film. Surprised the hell out of me. So, 
Yeah, Joe Dante is an interesting director. He's not definitely into like you know the more hardcore stuff. Absolutely. I think honestly, the bloodiest shit he's ever done is fucking the Howling Piranha. Well, I, I, yeah, I guess the Howling. I guess in yeah, a way, I, I I think Piranha has some bloody moments. But yeah, those are probably up there. Those two right there. Mm-hmm. It's too bad that he never because like Gremlins was actually intended to be a more a more hardcore yeah. film. Yeah, you know, and they actually ended up making cuts and you know taking out certain things and ma- ultimately making it a is it a PG thirteen film or is it PG, PG PG? Well, PG? actually, I think it never even was filmed as a hardcore film. It was just written as one. That's right. I remember some of the scenes that were cut out even out of the script was you know heads rolling down hallways, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> shit yeah. like that. So, yeah, yeah, but yeah, Joe Dante. Uh, homecoming. I'm not the Ugh. over biggest fan of of dante in general like i love gremlins like he's done some decent stuff but like you said he's never really he's he's only kind of dabbled in horror i don't don't know i don't know how i feel about him to be honest but i mean i mean the howling is actually my favorite werewolf film yeah and uh so i mean that's interesting i like gremlins you know i like some of the work he's done but i i never really think is joe dante as like a master i don't know it's strange i just don't think of him as as much of a horror guy as i do like some of Mm -hmm. his other cats Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and homecoming. Here, here's the here's the short one. I'll read the short one this time. A hotshot White House speechwriter deals with the publicity nightmare of his life when recently deceased soldiers return from beyond the grave. You guys obviously know why I like this one. Why? Because it know, has something it's... interesting, and you it has actually something you could actually write about like this movie has a pretty as you it's obviously blatant it has a pretty interesting it's too in your face it. man it's literally uh, ugh. I, this I'm one a propaganda film fan. what do you expect you know oh i i really i like i like the uh it's an the idea of this idea. film a lot i think the it's idea of this film too. is <clears throat> really good yeah really good you know um it's a but, propaganda uh, film it's like you know nah. so what jeremy why don't you go first yeah, okay. I, tell I, me why it's good. Why it's good? Because for the first five, six episodes of the series, this, you know, we really didn't have a, you know, an, a plot-driven, interesting story. I know you guys think Jennifer <coughs> and stuff like that, and, but I just, it's just something I was really intrigued with where this where this story was going, and um, you know, zombies not coming back to life and killing everybody and eating people and stuff like that. Dante decided to take a different approach on the zombie genre and make it more, um, I guess, obviously political, but politically driven, but the overtones of, you know, the politics in this is, yeah, that's what it's about really. Yeah. Mm. And as I've talked about, you know, numerous, numerous times on the show, you know, I like to watch movies to, to, you know, to read between the lines of what's being said and you know this movie has it all over and um, there is no I, lines to read between it's yeah. quite literal no this this one is very very literal i like how they actually poke fun at you know yeah, things but it's like, like bush even sounds like bush but they didn't use uh-huh. bush yeah you know? well they, he yeah. was actually specifically told to you know you can do whatever but just don't say any say specific thing. names this one is so blatantly in your face, though. You know, like yeah. there, there's a scene in this film where, you know, they kind of poke jabs at, you know, Florida. Yep. You know, with the voting and stuff, which is it totally plays into the whole episode because, 
you know, the point of the episode is, you know, these soldiers coming back from the dead to voice their opinions about how they're against the war. You know, they died for nothing and they want to they want to vote against it. They're, they're basically there to vote against anybody who's willing to stop the fucking war. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, of course, they joke about, you know, about, you know, well, how many how many zombies is there? And they're like, well, you know, two, three hundred. But he's like, well, that's obviously not enough to, pers- you know, to sway to vote. And then they're like, Florida. You know, so I, I kind of like those whole aspects of the episode. I thought it was it's kind of interesting. I really think that this is actually one of the best ideas for an episode. I agree. But I think it's executed a really slow and kind of boring, man. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand the episode and exactly what it stands for. And like I said, like I have this noted, like great premise, one of the best, slow and boring. And I get the fucking point, man. I, I think it just drags and drags and. See, see, my thing here is I, I will agree with the, the, the simplest of the ideas of the dead are coming back who were killed in war to stand up against the war. I like that idea. However, I feel like it was that that was the only it's a political film with zombies in it. it this would have worked as a super short film, like 10 minutes or something. This is this isn't a horror film. It, it's really not. I, I don't. I feel like it's just way too f- focused on the political side of it. I know that's exactly what it's supposed to be, but that's why I feel like it should have been just like a ten minute film. I don't know. It's too in your face. There's no. There's no hidden message. It's uh, what well, we've they go, they seen go this said before. This. He's not saying anything new. Not at this time, though. I think they go so over the top in this because you know. Name another. I think, way, it, I think another, it's. Name another expl- post. Mm, go ahead, Moods. It's explained in the episode, you know, that these zombies are coming back to voice their opinions, you know, by voting. But then they have the the zombies even talking. You know, they actually literally give them a voice. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, now we're getting a little fucking That's what much. I'm, saying. I'm like, I understand the point of them coming back. That's their voice. They, we don't actually need to hear them talking. Mm-hmm. But I do like the fucking fact in this episode when they do vote. And they, they voice die. their opinion. Yeah. They fucking die. They they rest right away. I really think that's brilliant. Actually, I think that's actually works. You know, but I think them talking. I wasn't. Stuff, I wasn't a fan of the ending. You know, uh, the endings. The ending ending sucks. Uh, But, you know, I I do the whole voice thing. uh, I just I I hated the fact that they were talking and like the one guy doing the press conference and stuff. I'm like, oh, my God, seriously, you don't I don't know. I think it just it just went a little bit too far, just kind of dragged and stuff. So I understood it. They got their point across with them rising from the dead and voting. So, Mm -hmm. see, the thing is, um, okay, Jeremy, I agree. Like it may have not been done at the time in in film that I could think of at the top of my head but i feel like the message that he's delivering is so obvious that the only interesting thing is that the the way that okay they came back to voice their opinion and they're zombies like implementing the zombie thing to it but i don't think the overall message is anything that everybody doesn't agree with anyway in terms of like like people you can't just say that somebody was happy that they died for their country when you don't know if that's what they was thinking. So like, I think it's quite obvious and I don't really (laughs) feel like there was any like big message here or anything like that. Uh Well, they did hint at the fact that like, you know, the soldiers were just kind of duped into it, you know, and they, they kind of tried to stress that a little bit, you know, that they were told one thing that, but you know, they were sent over here and they were led to believe that there was actually weapons of mass destruction because they hint, they even say that in the episode, like blatantly out. And then they come to realize that there wasn't, but they weren't being pulled because, 
you know, Columbus. they wanted to continue this war, yeah. but then they fucking died. So that is the, the actual whole point of the, you know, them coming back. So, you know, like I said, man, you know, I'm not a, like, I'm actually very not a political person. Like I, 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 I try politics, to, I try to honest, not talk politics because it really, really gets me fucking heated. Like I have had some of the worst conversations with people with, about politics. So I really try to stay out of it. Um, I enjoy certain things to a point, but I really don't like to talk politics. But mm-hmm. um, so this one, I, I like the idea, but for me, it totally does. It doesn't. It just felt a little fell a little short for me. I, I I thought it was interesting enough. I liked it more this time watching it than the first time I seen it because the first time I seen it was when it aired, and I just it was not. I didn't. It was just way over my head. I didn't See, the care. Thing about I, like I like I like the premise the most. I think that's what I'm going at with the film. The characters, nah, nah, especially the lady. Well, she I think the characters work are precise, though. I think they they did, they kind of nailed it on the head with the characters because a lot of these people that are in those political yeah. parties and shit, they're all fucking scumbags. She even says, "We we say what we want to. We want to, mm-hmm. you know, we all, we give the people what they want to fucking hear." And mm-hmm. he's like, "Do you honestly believe that?" And she's like, "Yeah. I mean, we say what we need to say. They're fucking dirtbags, and that's really how politics work, though. I mean, ninety five percent of the time, what politicians are spitting at you, they're not going to deliver." You're voting for the biggest non-liar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So they they hinted this in the episode, and I think that was kind of kind of brilliant too. But this episode's straight up. There's no beating around the bush in this. Yeah, at all. I know, like, straight like up. Let me talk about the ending. It is a little uh, bald. Yeah, not the, the ending. ending. The, it's very the, the ending's crud. The film. The film. The ending are, is. The ending is definitely very the weakest. Weakest. Weakest part is the fucking ending. What? <sighs> mm. My, I, I don't buy what happened. I, I just feel whatsoever. like the wish thing where he like wishes yeah. and like I feel like it's a little hokey and just it's kind of silly. I almost wish they would have just they came back all of a sudden. Just one day they started coming back. I don't need to know that he like wishing them back. Right. It kind of is a little like almost like that's bullshit. Uh, Disney esque like type of shit. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Yeah, I, I thought that was complete horseshit too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'll admit. I do like this one. I just, I just do not love it at all. I just find it to be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Moody, yeah. it seems like you didn't like it whatsoever. Yeah, this one, like I said, the premise is good. I find this one to be the most boring episode, though. Hmm. To be honest. I find, I'm, I find it so boring. Like, it's, it's such a shame, though, because the premise is good. It's such a weird one. Like, I, I can't remember the last time I watched something that had, like, such an awesome premise. Or, like, I shouldn't say awesome. Like, interesting premise, but then was just so boring at the mm-hmm. same time. I don't know, I think man. they repeat I, themselves way too often. There's things that could be cut out. You know, the fucking, you know, phone call. They never really talk about when the zombie, you know, let's just say bashes somebody's head against the fucking drawer. That's never played out whatsoever. And it's like... Uh, yeah, I had a problem with that scene too. Yeah, they showed so much aggression in there, which yeah, you know, which most doesn't of, make sense. What happened? Yeah, it doesn't make sense actually, and that that's good that you noted that because uh, that's something I thought about too. Because throughout the whole episode, the they're you know it's hostile. it's duly noted that yeah, the zombies are not there to be hostile and kill people; they're there to voice. But then all of a sudden this one just loses his fucking shit. Maybe because he's being tested on. I don't know. Maybe that's their explanation for it. But he just loses his shit and fucking takes this guy out of the field. Hey, listen. Sometimes private piles end up in the military. And sometimes they come back as zombies. I guess. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only explanation, man. (laughs) 
So I don't know, man. <sighs> this is an interesting one. I knew I had a really strong, uh, you know, idea that Jeremy was really going to enjoy this one. Because I mean, I mean this yeah, one, it's just from his perspective, it makes a lot of sense. Because you could probably, you know, explore this one a lot. I don't, I don't in, necessarily in a, in a know if you can. I mean, because what they're saying is so you can't. It's not up for interpretation or debate. They're quite literally saying exactly what they mean. So there's not much you can pull from it and examine for yourself and turn it into something because it's it's right there in front of you. Yeah, this one's really blunt and it's kind of given to you on a platter. You know, there's not really a whole lot more. I mean, no if you wanted to go there, exactly. But just from what his opening statement was, yeah, I, that's yeah, what I, I was referring to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, homecoming ratings, ratings. moods. Uh, I give this one also a four and a half out of ten. It's another one I just no. Um, boring. Uh, Jeremy, me? All right, uh, seven and a half out of ten. Um. It's funny because uh, I give this you know, one a five and a half out of ten. Um, I do th- I do consider it above average. I mean, it, it might not sound like it from my review, every time, but I was kind of surprised every because time. you seemed to like it more than me, and it was below average. No, I said I really like the premise of it, but this movie this is so uh-huh. boring to me. It's so boring. I honestly, really, I am so wait, boring. I mean, bored you by have, this episode. You have watched it a few times now, probably. Yeah, uh, two or three times. I, I don't know. Least, like, but... I liked it more this time than I ever had before. I, the only this other was, time I seen it was when I, it came out and it, everything went over my head. It just was this, weird to me. Yeah, this one has always. Been you want to know the funny thing about this episode? What's it's up? probably the most popular episode in the first season. I think, like, no way. critically, critically wise, next to carpenter's episode i think like this is like the one episode that i hear people talking about that's because the most yeah but critics are politically driven and i don't know yeah critics bite latch on to that type of shit all the time (laughs) all right so moving along to episode seven uh which is titled dear woman directed by john landis what a kooky one this one is john (laughs) johnny landis man john landis tackled an Dear woman about a dear woman, and it's quite literal. <laughs> yeah, uh, obviously, you know. most notably, American Werewolf in London. Yeah, John Landis is probably the oddest director in the first season. Well, I've always felt like it was such a weird thing that that John Landis has been lumped into horror so much, considering his palette of work. And I know. you always hear John Landis brought up. And what has he done in horror? American Werewolf in London. That's about it. And Twilight Zone the movie. Kind I know. Of. And I've never understood this. <laughs> I've never understood. I don't know. Why is he a master? I don't know. Where American Werewolf in London is damn yep. good. Exactly. Okay. Same with fucking. Yeah, okay. I don't know. But it's still strange though. It's just funny because even with like the community <laughs> – He's always talked about as one of the, you know, masters. It's it's funny to me. Um, so I want to hit up the plot with this one, Moods. A haired, burnt-out cop believes that a recent string of murders prove that the murder might be a deer-like creature in the form of a beautiful woman right from a local She's Native American hot. folklore legend. <laughs> now, given that premise right She's there, so you're like, hot. oh my god, this fucking sounds so stupid. <laughs> But you know what I will say? 
it's actually kind of retarded. I mean, I've never heard of this folklore <laughs> legend. Did they just make no, up this? No, I think it actually one? exists. Okay. So, I, yeah, I'm not really much for folklore. I don't really know much about those things. But if this is actually true, it's it's interesting that, you know, this actually be materialized as a folklore. <laughs> the one <laughs> legend thing, because so strange. The thing that I give John Landis the most props for is to take something that sounds so idiotic to me and actually make it not only tolerable but enjoyable and not as stupid as it sounds. I think it's because of the main character. Like, I think in the entire first season, our main character is probably the most likable and enjoyable character in the entire first season oh, he is of the show. So he good, is man. so enjoyable and likable, and you just want more from this guy. Like, I wish, like, I could totally see this guy, like, in, like, a whole series of movies is following him, because, you know, he's fucking funny as hell, man. I love, I love the, the officer that just tags along with him, because he's yeah. got really nothing better to do. Yeah. And he's enjoyable, too, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's just, he's so just like, a regular cop, too. Like, he's not, like, he is, a man. He's literally, detective. like, a traffic cop. <laughs> yeah, and, and, like, okay, so the deal is with the detective, uh, what's his name? Shit. Uh, Faraday? Dwight, is it Faraday? Dwight Faraday. Dwight Faraday. Yeah, Faraday. Um, so he was once an actual, you know, detective, you know, investigating murders and st- uh, murders. And something happened, you know, I won't even get into what happened with the backstory. But Some unfortunate accident. Yeah, happened. And then basically he went off because he was forced to go off work. And then when they brought him back, they put him on animal attacks, detective <laughs> animal attacts, which is yeah. so fucking funny yeah, in it's itself. Funny it adds to the quirkiness of the episode because there's no such job. And, uh, you know, but his personality kind of fits it so perfectly that he's kind of quirky and he's working these quirky ass cases. And, of course, one thing leads to another. This guy's killed at this truck stop and they investigate it and it, one of the things it's, it's that funny. I think was done so well is the investigation was literally done perfectly because you have to have an appropriate amount of disbelief between the characters and they nailed that. They're like, what the, this, like, what? You know, yeah. they, every, even, and I think what sold it was the Native American guy who was like, yeah, it's a legend. You, you know, he tells it? tells it, he's like, yeah. hell are you talking about? This is a legend. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> You Dude, got you I stupid Americans. Laugh. I laughed so hard <laughs> when I first watched this episode. I was like, how stereotypical is that, that they end up in an Indian casino? Yeah. Yep. I'm like, it's so fitting. But that's brilliant that they did that, though. Uh-huh. It's so good. And then, of course, they get the whole mythology and, and the folklore story from a native inside the casino. It's just yeah. so fitting. Yeah. It's perfect. It's and fun writing. It's it's funny because he's obviously so modernized that the story is complete bullshit to him. It's, and it's these like people – these people are buying into it and he's like, what the hell are you doing? It's a story. Oh, you, it's a legend. You, Jeremy picked up on that too that the, the native speaks like perfect, perfect fluent English. English. He has like no accent <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at all. Like, totally, like, fucking Western stereotype type of shit happening right now. Yeah, pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, I like the fucking autopsy. The fucking coroner. She was cool. Oh, yeah. She was cool. I I did like her. She was definitely cool. But the the deer woman is really hot, dude. She's so hot. She has the nicest tits, man. Nice oh, tits. man, they, they couldn't have picked a better one, man. She and you know man. what? They do looking. talk about that, how they was having the most hardest time to find a, a girl to play this part. Because one, she had to look kind of Native American, right? Yeah. And two, it was a non-speaking role. So she had to completely act and seduce purely on looks and, you know, 
body nice titties <laughs> yeah yeah uh body language bad body language and mannerisms um and they said that they were they just couldn't find somebody and at the last minute they found like a model that and she could also act and she's willing to show her boobies oh man she's so sexy such even though they're fake they're fucking nice looking <laughs> nice boobs yeah yeah, but oh man, this episode's so quirky. Like, I love the main just character. even from like the cops. Like, there's the scene where you know basically the one detective's all pissed off and he's talking to the chief about like why Faraday's on this fucking case and yeah, yeah. And then he he states his case and then you know the chief obviously gives Faraday the case and like the dude in the background just making all those sneed remarks, <laughs> just getting shit on, just adds to the. I just love it, man, because it's not so over the top. It's just fun, and you're just like, you always have that cop, you know. He's just always doing that type of shit. I really enjoy that, but this um, is definitely one of the more fun episodes. I think this yeah, actually fun, is yeah. the funnest episode, yeah, yeah uh, in the first season. Up, yeah, compared to like Pick Me Up, yeah, it's pretty fun. Episode. Yeah, yeah, I, I would, yeah. I would agree with that. It's, um. But yeah, I, one of my favorite scenes, though, you know, as the detective, he's trying to figure out, you know, exactly what the fuck is going on. Because he, you know, he's in disbelief, too. Is like, really? A deer woman? A you deer know, like, who? you know, like, it just doesn't make any sense. And then he's laying in bed and he's going through these different scenarios. Oh and like, God. it, it kind of plays out. And then he's just like, yeah, right. And then How another old? one plays out and he's like, fucking retarded. And like, I'm just <laughs> yeah. pissing myself watching these because uh-huh. they're so outrageous, but they fit so well into the story. It's like, uh, oh my God. And that, the whole story is ridiculous. That's what I was saying about it. The perfect level of disbelief from the characters. Um, yeah. And the one where he pictures the guy in like a giant deer suit. It's yeah. So and he has like the head on. Yeah. I just pissed my pants laughing. That's so, so funny. Good. <laughs> i really like, like this episode yeah i i have so much fun with this one man oh it's so good and i love um, when she gets at the end with the car it's fucking funniest helmet and yeah it, it, had, <laughs> it, had, it had me laughing i want to yeah. know how they found him though because he never fucking called for backup or anything yeah he did but they didn't like follow him yeah yeah but how about the dude when he's in the thing and he's like i'm so fucking stupid yep <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that actually... was gonna happen yeah. Oh man. I, I. I mean. Even though he was drunk, he knew he was fucking stupid. It sounds so stupid, right? Like the dear woman, but it. It, it really is an awesome time. Actually, that part right there when he's like, "Have you seen her feet? Have you seen her legs? Have you seen her legs?" And he just like stops and he's like, "I'm fucking stupid." Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but then you see that. her legs and it's just fucking laughable. Oh, it's so funny. So good. Yeah. But you know, the funny thing is, it's actually made really well. Like. You know, there's some I don't awesome know, track. The tracking shot when he's walking around the corner and he stabs the dude. That's a really nice fucking shot. And that's, you know, there's <laughs> no cuts. And it's just it's just a tracking shot, but it's like it's done. It's really well done. That that one shot. Yeah, man. There's a hospital a couple of blocks away from here. <laughs> Let the doctor take it out of you. I love that man. He's pissed right off. <laughs> it's a good scene, man. I actually know exactly where they shot that too. It's kind of interesting. Um, but. Uh, what a fun, fun! That's all I can really say. It's just, it's just a fun. I think goofy we're episode. all in agreement that it's, it's a it's really goofy. fun episode. It's goofy. Yeah, it's, it's definitely one that I would it's, highly recommend. It's, it's not as goofy as you would think, in my opinion. Yeah, 
it's still yeah. goofy. I, I know it's it's actually kind of hard to explain, right? Because you know you're thinking like you know there's, there's there's different type of humor where you're like pissing yourself laughing, or you're just like haha, you know, or that's uh that's so stupid. It's kind of funny. It's mm-hmm. it's kind this of like actually black ha- sheep in terms of I was expecting just full cheese, and it, and mm-hmm. it was actually well done and and not full cheese i love the main character like i said i think that's really what the best part what really sells this episode is um the lead yeah the lead character and his acting the way he delivers everything <laughs> just uh i don't know you just really kind of get so likable he's so likable you so can kind of relate to him you're just like oh, yeah i understand you know yeah <laughs> you know he kind of takes everything for face value it's like i don't know it, it's interesting fun episode cool Jeremy. But yeah. And there's actually some pretty decent fucking the bodies that get mutilated in this shit, man. Yeah. It's like, oh, we got another one. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the scene actually in the in the morgue or not in the morgue, I guess wherever. Is that what they call it? The morgue? I don't yeah, know. But morgue. anyways, she's working on the body, doing the autopsy. <laughs> and and so he's she's talking with uh, with the with the detective and she's sitting there eating a sandwich like no tomorrow. Yeah. Got this big pile of gut body all mangled up. I fucking love that. It's a nice touch. That's all I'm saying. So, dear woman, yeah. Uh, ratings, me show. Okay, definitely one of my favorite episodes of the season. Uh, I like this one more than Homecoming, even though I didn't. You know, it's fun. If you want a goofy, fucking stupid, fucking episode that you could just sit back, like this is an episode you would watch with other people and piss your pants laughing when you're watching it. It's something you just put on in the background and you know watch, even though it's. Only an hour long, so it's fun as fuck. Uh, eight and a half out of ten. All right, it, if you're like me and don't like a lot of stupid sounding things, sometimes <laughs> give this one a shot because it's not like that. I don't even think it's that ridiculous. It it works perfect for me. Uh, this is a very good episode. Definitely check it out if you've never seen it. I would actually say that this is one of the episodes that you might want to check out first if you've never seen any of these. And uh, I give it a seven and a half out of ten. Nice, yeah. Um, <laughs> such a such an interesting episode. I actually came in with an eight out of ten on this one. It's just it's, it's goofy fun. What, mm-hmm. what else can I say? So, all right. So, moving along to episode eight, of course, is titled "Cigarette Burns" and directed by Mr. The one and Carpenter. only John Carpenter. Jonathan Carpenter <clears throat> to you, the third. <laughs> I mean, what can we say about uh, Jonathan Carpenter? Um, Besides JP Master debating all over him, yeah, he's got one of the like one of the finest you know filmographies. Uh, he's done a lot of great films. I mean, not so much recently. Uh, I think his most recent film was The Ward in 2010, which I didn't care for <clears throat> actually at all. <clears throat> Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> yeah, I was not a fan of The Ward whatsoever. But man, his the early part in his career ridiculous i mean salt on precinct 13 dark star which is a such an odd kind of you know but even like that mars movie is not too bad halloween the fog escape from new york the thing christine uh big trouble little china prince of darkness they live body bags in the mouth of madness which i fucking love so much village of the damned i believe is where he kind of hit a hit a mark in his career not an enjoyable remake for me can't have too many hits in a row yeah, I don't really care for it. Escape from L.A. I actually enjoy it, that movie. Um, L.A., it, it's okay. Vampires, I think, is highly underrated. I think it's fun. But John Carpenter, great, great director. 
Yeah, I actually um, like Ghost of Mars more than most people. I like Go- I like Ghost of Mars. It's okay. I don't hate the movie at all, but it, you know, I saw it at all- Family Video. I was close to buying it because I don't have it. Mm-hmm. I was close. Okay. Yeah, uh, cigarette burns, um, which I believe was one of the last episodes from 2005, actually from the season. Mr. Remus. Yeah. All right. So with the torrent past that haunts him, a movie theater owner owner is hired to search for the only existing print of a film so notorious that it's single screaming screening caused the viewers to become homicidally insane. God, it's such a fucking awesome premise. It's such a great premise. Oh, I, it's so everything good. Everything about this episode I think is um is really cool, man. I like the whole premise of a film making people that mysterious insane. one yeah. and only showing and and how the fuck did this movie what is so special about mm. this film? That it made a whole entire crowd go insane. Yeah. And that's where you step in uh, Udo Kier's character, which the fantastic and famous Udo Kier's in this film. He plays the uh, a film collector who is obsessed I be a with film this film collector. Obsessed with this film. I, I can't, I don't really want to say the uh, the title. It's a French title. Yeah. It's, it, it's said a million of cor- times. Of course, it's French. You know, um, but he's obsessed with this this ti- this certain title, and he has to have it. So he calls in Norman Reedus, of course, from The Walking Dead. And Norman Reedus' character sense. is a film hunter. This is what he does for a living. He actually hunts down rare prints of film, and you know, for collectors. And he goes around the world, and he gets paid to do this. Best job in the world. So he, 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 that's the premise of the film. You know, Kira pays this guy two hundred thousand dollars. Of course, Norman Reedus' character he has you know a problem with. Uh, I guess it's the 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 owner of the This is his girlfriend's the, dad, right? It's his girlfriend's dad and he I believe he owes him he owes him exactly two hundred dollars, two hundred thousand dollars for whatever reasons or shit like that. But anyways, Norman Reedus actually runs and owns a um uh, a theater which is the Vogue in Vancouver. That's fucking totally awesome. Been in there many times, very cool place. But I I love that that they use that. Um so that that's kind of the interesting premise. He's obviously a film lover lover you know and the whole premise of this is just it's screaming fantastic if i had one job if i was able to have one job in this world i would be a projectionist man i just think that'd be the fucking funnest job in the world do i it. love the character it, to of do the, it there's not that many opportunities these days to be a projectionist jp you have to go to an art house theater which has a film projector and then at that point good luck Taking the person's job who's been working there. Hey, you picked it as your number one. I, I would love to have that job. Man. Um, so, I love the supporting character of the projectionist in this film that he's obsessed with. Too. Like he cuts out cigarette berms from like actual like you know yeah. awesome prints and stuff. I love that because they're screening. Uh, it was Deep Red. They were screening Deep Red in the film Argento's Deep Red, and of course he cuts out uh, or he slices out a cigarette burn and puts it in his little binder of <laughs> famous. I, I love that premise. That's so fucking, that's so nerdy. That's so fucking nerdy, but it's so cool. I like that. Um, so anyways, thoughts on this episode? Um, so the film, it was like La Fin Absolute de Monde, which means like the e- absolute end of the world or something. Yeah. Isn't that what it means? Which uh, is fitting. So you know. yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I love the like you said the idea because it appeals to us so much like this this was the type of episode that was made for us because I think we all kind of would fantasize about there being this like One lost movie. film that is just so insane that it was covered up and it's it really just like 
wets your whistle, you're kind of like, oh man, that would be amazing. Like, I think we all kind of wish there was something like that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely with you on like the setup of it. Uh, I, f- I found that like the mystery of the film, that's the problem when you do something, when you describe something as the worst or like the craziest or something so bad, because then you can't show it because then it's never going to live up to what you just said. So I find that that always to be the problem with these type of stories. Did you find it a problem with this episode? Because me personally, not really, it's you know, mysterious. Fully, it's like Jennifer, like not it is knowing. The, the mystery of this film. Yeah. It works so good. You don't fucking need to know. Really? I mean, obviously we would all is, like to know what it is. Yeah. For a second, for not too long. Uh, they show a good bit. Yeah, I, I mean, I it, guess. I, it's kind of like it... The Hills Run Red, right? The Hills mm-hmm. Run Red did this after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I love that idea. Yeah, Udo Kier's uh, uh, screening room is fucking awesome. That thing was in his house. <laughs> is that like his on. actual house? Well, I mean, that's what they showed. It was probably the actual like theater that, that they filmed in there but that's supposed to be like in his house because he was you know his whole life was devoted to film and was that know. in vancouver yeah that was you know like you know the house. scene you know you know the scene where norman reedus goes he gets dropped off on the street so that's on gravel street uh-huh. and he tries to get into the theater into his theater and it's locked mm-hmm. that's actually the vogue theater um yeah i can look it up it's actually really famous <laughs> apparently mm-hmm. it's haunted too it's kind of funny but uh, I've read lots of stories about those. It's really, really, it's so, it's one of those when you walk in there, you're just like, ah, this is totally what a theater should be. You know, very cool. But I, I'm, it's very cool that they use that. And, um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think, I think the casting in this film is awesome. I think, I really like Norman Reedus as yeah, the, uh, as yeah, the film director. I thought he was fantastic. Udo Kier isn't in the film a whole lot, but you know, Udo Kier is always creepy as fucking everything he does. And he's, he, he's such a good bad guy, you know, even though he's, I mean, not necessarily, well, kind really of, but bad guy. he is, but he's, you know, he's just kind of mysterious too with the, the shit that he's obsessive, weird. I don't yeah. know, but, but it's good casting because Udo Kier is awesome. It's kind of hard to sound like we're not being biased here because of Johnny Carpenter. It no. just, it's just it's an interesting premise. idea. And, it is the premise mm-hmm. of this film. Yeah. And as Moods probably thinks, unlike Homecoming, this one isn't boring. No, this one's boring. definitely not boring. No, no. It's not boring at all. Do you at think all. this could be fletched out to a feature? Yeah. And work. Oh, I mean, we've kind of seen it with uh, The yeah, Hills, Hills Run Red. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so but, I mean, I could, it's I could totally see this one not having. Zone, yeah, I could see this one not having you know the CG that uh, the hills run red. <laughs> and I like I that movie. I, I like yeah. it too, but it, it's to me, it's not. I don't. I probably don't like it as much as you, but you know, I don't love it, but I like. I like it. I think this one could be explored as a full length feature and still keep. I don't know. I I, I think this one could work as a full length. I, I just that's just me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's just the idea. I just like want to see a lot more of that film type of atmosphere. And just... It would be like a cool reality TV show, like trying to fa- hunt down lost. Oh, films. You, you follow the character of Norman Reedus? No, but like an actual like real show of like some guy who like goes around and tries to find these tries to find lost film prints. I mean, there are there are a few out there. Of like, well, that's what I'm saying. Like so, like Kirby that. Are... Follow, you follow like this Kirby type character who travels the world looking for rare prints for 
for rich assholes. Not for rich <laughs> assholes, just to like uncover lost prints of films mm-hmm. that are like thought to be lost. Well, the reason that it because it, it's not that easy, right? That's why it's a movie. Oh, no, yeah. Um, but the the show would probably be a. It wouldn't be as interesting as this movie. No, probably. no, no. no. Uh, I found that the scene with uh, you have to edit it. The know. man obsessed with reviewing the film was awesome. I'm thinking like this guy has spent his whole entire <laughs> life just wor- like writing a review on this film because there's so much to say about it that and it, it kind of adds just the to last the last thirty years of the film as well. Because it's like, what the hell could he have possibly? How could you find that many words about this, you know, hour long movie or whatever? Like, because he got these stacks of papers <laughs> everywhere, and it's like, you Dude, mean, I like, love that. It's like, you mean this is all one review? <laughs> I love that scene where Kirby says that he's like, he's like, this is the same review. <laughs> the whole room is just stacks of paper. It must be like ten. It must be like a hundred and fifty thousand. He's pages. like, I'm almost done. <laughs> it's so funny, man. But yeah, but you know, I think that part really works, though. It's just, I think the whole thing—it's the works. film of all films, you know. That it's just—it's just going to extreme levels to explain that there's endless words to describe this type of film. Yeah, so it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. I, I really, I, I like the whole premise of like you know, you know, Kirby's Norman Reedus in the film. You know, kind of, it's happening to him you know, with the cigarette burns and how they explain what the cigarette burns are. So I actually really enjoy that, man. I, I like so. that part, but I'm not absolutely crazy about like the film making people go insane. Like I, I would have much preferred if it was just this film that showed something so horrific oh, that they could never show it again. Like but I'm, why? I love the premise of a it's film funny that doing what insane. it did to people. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's just it's a because simple idea, it, but that happens to us sometimes when we watch fucked up things. You know, it doesn't make us go insane. I mean, maybe not to those it, extreme levels, but level, it makes but... us stay in. You know, it stays in our heads and yeah. it fucks us up a little bit. Like you, you still talk about the girl next door. That didn't fuck you up a little bit the first time you watched it. Yeah, but I, I feel like that's just on such a smaller scope. You know, uh, like I'm not saying it's a that fucking what he did movie. was wrong, but I, I'm just saying like. I like it being in the realm of possibility. Like the idea that like there is this like lost film out there and like this guy's trying to find it. Like to to take it to where they went, it made people go insane. Almost to me takes it into like a supernatural level with the angel and stuff. And I, I don't know, I just personally I feel like it could have worked without having that stuff. But I still like it for for the way that it was told anyway. All right, so guys, uh, we got some ratings here, Jeremy. Uh, yeah, cigarette burns, nine out of ten. Uh, I'm definitely coming in a little lower on cigarette burns. I came in at a seven point five out of ten. Interesting. Yeah, I, I kind of figured this was going to happen. Um, for what it is, and you know. For an episode of Masters of Horror, it's it's by far you know my favorite episode. Um, I give it a ten out of ten. It's absolutely everything I look for in the episode. So nice, nice. Ten out so, of ten. You don't, don't many get many tens. of those. Out Didn't of give these a ten days. to battery, but you give a ten to this. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I, man. I wasn't expecting any tens this episode. I, you know, I figured maybe, like. Maybe there would have been one, but I wasn't expecting it to be this one. So 
Uh, you know, it's it, the ratings based, you know, because it's like a sh- short little film. I don't know. It just really I've always been so drawn to this episode. I, I do remember you always being high on it. I remember a lot of people being high on it. I don't know what it was. This was the first time I seen it. So maybe there was some overhypeness for this one for me. I want to say I, that there wasn't. I was hoping be, that there yeah. wasn't. But um, I liked it. But, I, you know, it was really good. Um, but I, I just wasn't I wasn't blown away. Mm-hmm. All right, so moving along to episode nine uh, from uh, 2006, actually. Uh, this one's titled The Fair-Haired Child, directed by William Malone. Probably the most, I don't know, I, I wouldn't say he's the most notable director on out of this season. Uh, yeah. Probably the, the, probably the least known is yeah. what I'm getting at, really. You know, he's done some pretty interesting titles, though. Uh, well, I mean, interesting per se, I guess. I mean, <laughs> he directed he, Creature from 1985, which was his filmography just isn't as heavy hitting as the other directors. Even John Landis, his one lone horror film was a damn good one. I have actually never seen any of this guy's films early yeah. on. I only seen House on Haunted Hill and Fear.com. Fear.com. That movie's interesting. I haven't seen it in a long time. You know, it's funny. I watched that movie when it first came out, and I didn't care for it like at all. And then I watched it years later, and I, I don't know. It kind of worked better for me. <laughs> I don't know what it was. But, um, yeah, he directed three episodes of Freddy's Nightmare, which was kind of an interesting thing. Five years after he directed Creature. It's kind of strange. It just all of a sudden pops up. <laughs> hey, you want to direct some Freddy's Nightmares? Okay. Uh, yeah, it's, so that's really all I know him from. Uh Yeah interesting <laughs> so William Malone not a whole lot to say about him he's kind of the black sheep of this uh, of the masters of horror in my opinion I guess but yeah definitely whatever um, yeah the fair haired child from 2006 a warlock couple abduct a young teenager girl to sacrifice her to the mysterious and evil entity as an offering to resurrect their long dead boy Shoot. yeah this one is like a, a, a chained girl next door type of a feeling to it um, not as hardcore but <laughs> i'll just come out and say it this is my least favorite episode mm. um you know i think i think the problem is with this one for me is that you know the story kind of makes sense but at the same time it doesn't mm-hmm. you know it, they you know there's a part in this in the story where it's like okay they need to sacrifice 12 kids to resurrect their child in full and i'm like where did the where does this come from <laughs> like who makes the rules here the child's <laughs> like, already like, there i know it's so fucking strange it's like but they keep having to sacrifice this there's plot holes in the story that i think this is what really hurts this this story this episode is yeah. that it for me it's just like okay okay mm-hmm. And this one for me is a little boring at times, but it's yeah, more the story. It it's more the story. You're kind of going, well, I just don't okay. really care for anybody that they cast it in this film. And that's one of the things that, that, mm. um, hurts it for me. I will say that the, the thing is kind of creepy. Like the first time I seen it, I was like, Whoa, like it's like chilling on the ceiling and stuff. Like it's kind of creepy to me, but, uh, I don't big fucking head. <laughs> yeah. yeah his head is fucking I always think of this when I think of it, I'm like big fucking head. <laughs> B-F-H. Yeah, big fucking head. I don't know. 
But this, I don't know. There's elements to this. Like, what, okay, the first time I watched this episode, I will admit that I actually jumped in a, in a part in this. Wow, that's shocking for you. I know, man. The part where she's riding her bike. <laughs> 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 the part where she gets abducted that actually yeah. made me jump i'll never forget it because it just it startled me i was like what the fuck like you don't see that very often like just come especially where she was riding her bike she was like in the woods practically uh-huh. <laughs> to me man comes out of nowhere i'm like hi- what the fuck the high point of this episode and this is the high point was when she when this the setup when she called her mom and she's in the hospital like what you think is a hospital and things like that i was like oh this is this is interesting this is kind of creepy um and then i mean it's just it's kind of decent from there it, like i think it's very average to be honest like this the story like you said there's some plot holes there uh, i thought the creature was was you know decent looking it it was kind of creepy i thought the setting in the basement looked kind of cool i mean there was a lot of dust and stuff um the guy couldn't talk because his throat had been choked and stuff yeah, i didn't like really care for that stairs, um yeah <clears throat> mm-hmm. roach's tongue was cut out same shit here yeah, we go yeah. you're getting an argument about roach there are certain things in this episode that i do like 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 i said you know the part where she gets abducted and uh i kind of liked um I mean, I didn't really like her, but I, I I don't remember what her fucking name is. She's the girl from uh, um, A League of Their Own. She oh, plays yeah. the mom in the film. Anyways, I, I don't know. I hadn't seen her in such a long time that like long. when I s- saw her popped up, when I saw her pop up in this, I was like, oh, okay. I can't remember She's the in a Polly Shore movie as well. Wait, 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 wait. I'm going to go phone my mom. My mom. It's so Canadian. LOL. Mom. 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 Americans what, don't say mom. We say mom. <laughs> we say mom. We do. We say mom. both. It depends on how you're using just, it. Just like how you're going to phone somebody. <laughs> dude, dude, I don't think you realize, but it's in different contexts, right? I use the word call all the time. I actually just say, give me a shout. All right, dude, why are you going to bring this up? I don't know. You do realize that you guys are more the oddities than anything, right? No, anyways, I understand. I understand you guys can't get past that, though. It's kind of funny, but no, we just we have different contexts. We don't, you know, you know, just have one word for one thing. Um, but uh, I don't know, man. I, I I like the scene where they fucking throw the chick down where, where the stairs would be leading to downstairs. I just I kind of like the viciousness of that. But this episode right here doesn't really have a lot to offer, to be honest. Like I said, the the fucking the story is so full of holes. Mm-hmm. You know, I just wish they would explain why they need to keep sacrificing. Is okay. The way I kind of took it was like, do they have to, you know, sacrifice? You know, is it like a piece of the? Every time they sacrifice, is it like a certain amount, like a percentage to resurrect us? I don't know. It, do, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Well, what I got from it is it's just a deal. It's a deal with the witchcraft devils. It's like you bring me 12 kids and you can have your son back. I guess. But like the fuck's at the 12? Because, because the way, the way it end, first, ends, it kind of clears that up a bit. I, I didn't like the end. Because wasn't he – wasn't the kid 15 at the time? Yeah. Yeah, he was 15 when it died because that's why I always got confused. I was like, okay, maybe they need to sacrifice uh, a child for every year that he was born on his birthday, So, which would be 15. But then when the 12 comes into, into play, what the fuck is that? Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I just I just think it's 
just like I said, I think that it's just witchcraft logic where it's like, Mm-mm. give me 12 kids and you can have your son back. It, it, wouldn't it make more sense, though, if it was just like, you know, give me 15 because he's 15 years old. You got to sacrifice one for each year on his birthday and that'll fully resurrect him. Oh, yeah. Or it would make sense to be 13 because it's a weird number, like number 13. 12 is just a stupid number. <laughs> no, I think 15 would be the fair assessment. It makes a lot more sense. He's 15. You sacrifice 15, you, you get a, you get your full child back. You know, you sacrifice 12, you get, get 12. you get 90% you, minus the head. You know, you get cold <laughs> legs. You know, the head won't come back. You know, okay, now we're getting silly. But you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It just, to me, the story was like, I don't fucking, I don't, I didn't really care for it. Yeah. To be honest. But it has a really dark kind of dreary atmosphere to the film, though, a little bit. Like, especially when they're downstairs. Amazing, and there, there is some pretty decent shots and, you know, things that are going on. But it's, it doesn't really make I up. I, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I said, I think that's like a, a thing that we've been noticing as we've been talking about these episodes is that even the ones that aren't good because the filmmakers are you know they know what they're doing there's some really nice you know well respected shots in the film in these you know in these films even though the stories might not be as well as we you know as as we expect them to be and you know that's expected you know they are the masters of horror right but you know and, and that's a good point because, like we said off the top of the show, it's like, you know, none of these episodes are terrible. You know, and what I mean by terrible is like technically terrible too. Like there's actually, not there's there's not like bad editing and there's not fucking you know mm-hmm. bad audio problem. Like there isn't. You they're know, what all we see very well budget. presented. They're very very well. You know, definitely like as a whole, mm-hmm. they're very watchable. You know, there's just ones that are you know story wise that yeah. just aren't as interesting as others. So, mm-hmm. and this is a great example of one. I actually you know, it looks fine. But I mean, to be honest, let's let's be let's face it, man. This one's a little contrived, in my opinion, and I don't know. I it, actually, it, it's not that interesting to me. I don't think there's one bad episode in season one, in my opinion. Uh, I think they're all very watchable, um, average at worst. Yeah, and you know, even with you know, I have three, four point fives in this. I'm not saying that those are terrible episodes. That those are my ratings based on you know, likability and entertainment value for myself. <laughs> when when I start to factor in the word boring, that is a word that I just fucking cannot get You've, past. That's so. the second time you've brought that up. So I, I, know. I would assume that's a pretty big deal. It yeah. is, man. You know, like, like I always said, you know, entertainment is, it's like me. It's, with, it's like me with acting. Mm-hmm. No, I can, and we'll I get, can't it, we'll, we'll get to a certain point. Uh, actually, there's only one episode in this entire uh, first season of Masters of Horror that I have a really, really fucking problem with the acting. And we'll get to that in a minute. But um, the fair-haired child, not really a whole lot more to say. Do you guys have anything else to nope. note about it? Uh, not really. Okay. Um, well, I'll go first since I don't know if I've gone first. But uh, the fair-haired child, 2006, you know, it's an okay effort. Nothing special. It's definitely one that's kind of forgettable. But I don't think it's the most boring one in the ep- in the series. Um you know, I do get some entertainment value out of it. So I give it about a five and a half out of ten. Five and a half. Yeah, me I, <clears throat> I, I, I will I will say that this one isn't the most boring episode in the series, but to me it's definitely the worst in terms of uh just how good it is. And it, it you know, Homecoming is a little more boring, but I think it's a little better made, a little more interesting, even though it's kinda of boring. Uh this one I just give a five out of ten as well though. Yeah, 
To be honest, average. that's what I gave it, JP. Five out of ten. It's average as they come, usually. I'm actually quite surprised they came in the highest on this one. It's interesting. <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, I thought maybe you guys might like it a little more than I did, but <clears throat> I don't know. Interesting. All right, so moving along into episode <laughs> 10. <laughs> episode 10. Oh, another goofy one. Which is uh, titled Sick Girl and, of course, directed by Lucky McKee. Um, yeah, see, Lucky McKee at this point in his career uh, hadn't really done a whole lot. This was in 2006. I'm trying to remember exactly what is. He did May and and that's it. Yeah, just he, he had just done May at that point. And okay, the I, woods I, I just came out in the same year. That's right, and I, yeah, of course, this came out before the woods. That's right. So he actually had Angela Bettis star in this one. Also, of course, from his film May. Yeah, and also started. who is our new Mrs. Sawyer? Yes, that's right. In yeah. the Leatherface movie. That is right. So she's yeah, a good the, fit, I guess. <clears throat> I see that. I like Angela Pettis, man. She's an interesting – she's a good actress, to be honest. Like, she can really kind of change up her – I think she's perfect for that role. Yeah, it, yeah, she's what I'm Especially in this role, too. She Like, I mean, in May, she's obviously very awkward and strange. But this one, she's fucking – she's awkward and strange, but she's different in this one than she is in May. Plot? Uh, yeah. One second here. And, of course, <clears throat> yeah, Lucky McKee. We didn't go into the rest of his films, but – not a big deal. We, I don't want to get I mean, the really conversation do, again. He, he did The Woman, The Woods, and All Cheerleaders Die. And he's doing Tales of Halloween coming yeah. out. Yeah. Okay. A story about an evil bug with the ability to change people's behavior. A commentary on the dangers of moving into a relationship too quickly. It's a short and long of that one right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I mean... You know, what's interesting about this episode for me is that initially it was going to be played by a male. Mm. Uh, It was Ira, I believe, was the the person's name. And they changed it to Ida. And, of course, had to make her a lesbian. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I think... Gotta keep up with the times. I think the idea was that, um, well, anybody would just do a story about a guy falling for a, a girl... But I think this would make it a lot more quirky and weird if it was these two awkward lesbians. Mm-hmm. That one lesbian wasn't too bad looking, even though she was <laughs> weird. That okay. you know, Roger- oh, yeah, Boots. I forgot to tell you. You know the weird lesbian? She's in all those fucking weird movies that we were joking about, like that Lord fucking- of the Dree Strings and stuff. Yeah, the guy Aaron Aaron Brown. Yeah, I've I have tons of movies with yeah. like she's known she's as Misty Monday, right? <clears throat> Yeah, which is actually kind of funny that she, her name in this episode is Misty. Misty yeah. 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 Which is her alias, you know, Misty Monday that she usually goes by or Aaron Brown. Um, but yeah, I thought that was fitting, you know, of course, having her in there. Pants with those names. Roger Corman <laughs> was supposed to direct this episode. Oh, wow. Interesting. I could, I could see that. And was replaced last minute by Lucky McKee. So maybe that explains why Lucky McKee joined up when he didn't really have the film. Well, that actually makes a lot of sense with Roger Corman, you know, kind of a creature feature. Uh-huh. silly type deal yeah. um yeah actually that makes a lot of sense actually come to think of it so so thoughts yeah. uh I first off i wasn't really up go ahead no you can go ahead. go ahead i was gonna say i wasn't really into this one at the beginning of it i was kind of bored and i thought <laughs> i thought the acting was pretty fucking bad in the beginning i thought it got better as the film went on but um 
I was kind of bored until we got into a little bit of the story about this magical bug or whatever the fuck it is. But I was really bored until um, they moved in together. But then once they moved in together, I think things started to pick up a little bit and things got a lot more interesting and not as maybe as dull and, and boring. I'm curious to see if you guys feel the same a little bit. Yeah, the word boring never crossed my mind. Um, <clears throat> I, I Angela Bettis's performance, I think, is so odd and awkward that it's so intriguing. Like the way she's like talks to her bugs in that strange ass fucking voice, and then I love it. Necess- and yeah. then she's not necessarily like that. She does have her moments. She still has. She's still putting on a weird kind of tone in her voice when she talks to her her male counterpart at the lab and stuff. But she's an interesting character because. She's awkward and she's you she's know, more than awkward, <laughs> you know, and yeah, I mean, she's obviously has relationship problems, which I like, you know, you know, it, and and it's kind of a it's a tough situation for her because she's a lesbian, too. So that doesn't really help out her situation with, you know, getting finding partners and and it's kind of showcased. And uh, <clears throat> but like the whole setup to the film is I don't find it boring <laughs> at all. I, I kind of find it intriguing, you know, I really I, don't like get me wrong. Episode. I, I don't get me wrong. This is actually in my top five favorite episodes. I just, I just thought it started out a little bit boring, and but it, it picked up a lot. I can see as things went on. There's I some can... good quirky dialogue in this, though. Like you know, when Buddy's giving her pointers <laughs> about picking up the yeah. girl, he's like, "You got to move the bugs." I'd be apartment. All, moves them all into her bedroom, and then she just moves them into her bed. Yeah. Like there's funny, weird things like that. Actually, my favorite part, the one part in this film that made me laugh the hardest, is when they're eating the Chinese food. Yeah, and she pulls that cockroach the out of there. Yeah. And, and they start analyzing and he's like, oh, that's Chinese. Well, <laughs> well, go figure, man. They got real Chinese in Chinese food. <laughs> yeah, well, the, they, this is legitimate Chinese food here. <laughs> yeah, um, so but good. no, I, I can see how maybe, Jeremy, that um, it would come off slightly boring at first. And it, the, I think it would if you can't get behind the characters right away. Um, because then you've got nothing. It's just a lot of talking. But if you, if you're with the characters and you're like kind of interested to see like what, like what is up with this Angela Bettis character? Like, like why is she so weird? Like I, I found it extremely enjoyable to watch her kind of interact with people and her awkwardness when even the other, the redheaded girl, Misty Monday, she was the way she was like just talking really fast. Like I, I yeah. thought it was like, it's so oh, no, weird her, to see these two similarly awkward. They're differently awkward and similarly awkward at the same time. And they're, it's like watching this weird social experiment where these <laughs> two people are trying to communicate and they're both We never really learned why she's so awkward. Well, well why she's, is she's anybody weird. awkward? She's just weird. She's obsessed with fairies and stuff. That's all oh, she fairies, draws. It's her, yeah, it's her thing. Yeah. And she's just, a, she's just an odd one. But that actually funny, JP, that you bring up the uh, – you know the talking fast thing. The scene where they're in the in the restaurant, uh, Angela Bettis and uh, uh, Misty Monday, and, and you know <laughs> she's like, "Well, do you want to rent a movie and go back to your place?" And Angela Bettis is like, uh, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! You're moving. You're going way too fast." <laughs> and she's like, "Oh yeah, sorry." She's like, uh, "You know, I do this a lot." She's like, "No, seriously, you're talking too fast." I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, that, just I mean, awkward quirkiness. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, there's just something about this one that I, I really kind of find like kind of charming and likable. It's just these these, and then it kind of gets kind of you know Weird. like they start when she starts devolving and saying things that she normally wouldn't say. Like 
to the landlord and stuff. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's it's this interesting situation. I, I like this one, man. I love it that the landlady's so fucking against lesbians. It's so funny when she catches them making out, and she's like, "You are making," you know. Well, she's just so old school, man. She's yeah, that type, she's that typical old school, you know, personality that doesn't it. approve of you know new age stuff that we don't really even think twice about. You know, she has a major grandmother. <clears throat> I don't want to see my grandchild. <laughs> you know, it's just funny. <clears throat> but you know, that's that's the beauty of it though, because they showcase Misty Monday or not Misty, um, Angela Bettis. You know interacting with the granddaughter and you know you feel super sympathetic for angela bettis's character because you know she's just she's a normal person she's like she doesn't mean any she's very likable she's very you know she's just she is what she is just because she's a lesbian doesn't mean you have to hate her but the grandma does and that's the thing and you feel you know you feel even more for her but i like the whole the way the whole story kind of comes full circle and like you know the whole outcome of like what really happened or what was supposed to happen but then it kind of like switches gears again and man this movie like like the last like 20 minutes of, this, of the film are so fun. fucking bizarre it's fun yeah. as hell it's so bizarre the way they kind of turn things and then you know this was supposed to happen you know blah 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 it's just such a fucking fun episode it just turns into so much fun and kind of makes you smile it's just different and it works you know that's an interesting thing that you say that it kind of just makes you smile cuz thinking back I was literally like just smiling a couple of times in that film and I noticed that I was and it, and it was a kind of just a good feel. It's like for being like a horror film, it has like feel good moments. I don't know. It's like weird. Yeah, but Dear um, Girl's the same thing though. Dear Woman, you know, has those same kind of feel good moments. I think it's different though. Yeah, it's I different. Think it's slightly different. It's different, but you know, it has that same kind of I think Dear Woman in this episode is definitely like the most like two episodes in the entire first season. That's like, oh, uh, you know, they're trying to do something different and something fun and different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this one right here is definitely the, the oddest and the quirkiest episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> it's so fucking strange. It's such a strange oddity, but. I don't know, man. I think everything about this one just kind of molds together perfectly. Like you said, you know, you can't really have an odd story and an outcome like how this one turn or what this one turns into without those really quirky characters. I think if the characters were kind of normal and then it turned into what it was, I don't think it would have mm-hmm. the same effect because you already are engulfed in these characters because of their oddities and the, in the way they portray themselves. And what it turns into, it's just it's just kind of expected, you know, odd things happen to odd people. Yeah. And that's just kind of what I take it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it is what it is. There's nothing else to say about it, really. But I, I, I just, it's such a fucking fun episode, man. Yeah. <laughs> I dig it. Yeah. That's very interesting that you said that Roger Corman was supposed to direct it, though. That just, mm-hmm. that's yep. kind of cool. Very cool stuff, so. Um... But yeah, I don't. Anything else? I I don't know. Ratings, ratings, ratings. All right, who wants to go first? Uh, I'll go first. Uh, I come in at a seven point five out of ten on Sick Girl. Me. All right, I gave it seven out of ten. And once again, I am actually coming in the highest. Uh, I have an eight out of ten on this one. Nice. I have a soft spot for Sick Girl. <laughs> it's a good one, man. It's, it's a good goofy. one. All right, cool. Oh. 
So that was episode 10. Moving along to episode 11. which is Tales from the Crypt episode in the first (laughs) season. Uh, Yeah, which is titled Pick Me Up from 2006. Uh, And this one is directed by Larry Cohen. Uh, So awesome. Uh, Of course, from It's Alive series. Did he do all three? Yeah, he he directed all three. Q the Winged Serpent. Q the Winged Serpent, man. He directed... uh, God told me to. He directed um, a lot of films I've never seen. <laughs> yeah, he's directed. I need to get some. on that. <laughs> <laughs> he's actually done some really fucking amazing films. Like it's kind of funny. Like he did. He did a film called Bone, which is just a fantastic, fantastic film. It's almost like a black exploitation film, but like home invasion type style. It's it's really interesting. And then oddly enough, he did two black exploitation films: Black Caesar and Hell Up in Harlem, which are fantastic films. Mm-hmm. God told me to. Great, great film. Cue the Wing Sermon. I actually got signed by Larry Cohen at Wasteland last year. Um, the Screen Factory edition. He did the stuff. Wow, he did a return stuff. to Salem's Lot. He, yeah, he did the sequel to that. And another notable one from 96, which you probably know the soundtrack to Original Gangsters. Uh, that was such a weird one that he did. It like, came out of nowhere, you know? Yeah, that was in the uh, exploitation documentary, I think. Actually, another really fun film that he did with special effects. It's kind of like a... Um, it's like a sexy type thriller type film. It's not necessarily horror, but it, it's good though. It's good. Mm. But, but he also you know. wrote a lot of things as well. Oh, Larry Cohen has wrote so much stuff. Mm-hmm. Definitely more notable for his writing, I, I would say. Um, <clears throat> but Maniac yeah. Cop. That's right. Maniac, Maniac Cop trilogy. Didn't he write all three? I think so. I believe so. Yeah. I, so. I want to say so. Cool. Um, all right, so get into the uh, the brief synopsis of Pick Me Up in the middle of nowhere with only a two-lane highway to connect it to anywhere, possibly upstate New York, a recently dis- divorced female traveler who is a passenger on a bus that has broke down gets caught in a bizarre and violent turf war between serial killers. <laughs> That's actually a pretty good breakdown of it right there. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, first up for me... One of the reasons why this episode sticks out so much to me is because I fucking love road horror. Yeah, this one's boy. All set on on the road, and I love it. And you know, to be honest, I think this one has two of the most entertaining serial killers in it. It's like counting cards, but they don't hate each other as much. These it's guys like are counting so cards, but I I do say that when you pointed out that it's like counting cards, it almost made me realize. One, it made me appreciate Lance Henriksen and the actor in that one because they were so good with each other. But it also kind of made me think that these ones weren't as good as well. Hmm. Interesting. It's not as good as Counting Cards. But it, it's still like they have that kind of – oh, especially at the end. Like, yeah, that it's hatred. really cool. It's awesome. I, really cool. Yeah, I love the sar- how sarcastic these characters are, man. It just works so well. Yeah. <laughs> just their mannerisms, just so sarcastic in the in the the cat and mouse play, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, it, it's it's just such an enjoyable episode. The, Thoughts on this one? Well, I, one of the my favorite parts is when they're sitting in the truck waiting for the snake to cross, <laughs> and the one starts telling the joke about uh, this girl seeing a snake in the park, and the snake says, "Carry me over to here. It's cold." And she picks up the snake. And, it, it, you know, she's like, are you sure you ain't going to bite me? And it's like, yeah, yeah, I promise. And then it bites her. And he's like, why? She's like, why did you bite me? And he's like, well, you knew what I was when you picked me up. 
And it works so perfectly for what is happening in that film. I'm just like, brilliant. It's brilliant. That was a brilliant <laughs> piece of writing right there. Brilliant. Wow, that's a harsh – that's a big word. What, you don't think yeah, it was brilliant? <laughs> I think a lot of things in this episode is brilliant. Just... I, just love, I just love how uh, – I, I can never pronounce her name. What is it? Feruza Balk? Feruza Balk. Feruza Balk, man. She's just sitting between them just fucking losing it, man. Yeah. <laughs> just bawling her eyes out like she knows it's not good. But yeah. I mean it really um, is like an interesting dynamic. You have the one old school uh, killer who is like all about the hunt and stuff like that and respectable and he picks people up. Then you have the other guy who's a little more young, a little more wild and crazy, and he's getting picked up. Like it's it, perfect. <laughs> they showcased it perfectly because you know the young serial killer who's the free spirit is just roaming. He's doing whatever yeah. he wants, right? So that fits his characters, you know, his character so well. And as for you know the truck driver, you know he's he's on a mission. Pretty shitty serial killer. He just leaves the fucking bodies in the middle of nowhere for everybody to see. Yeah, they don't give a shit, man. <laughs> but I, I just love when he if picks he... up the one girl and he's just like and he's telling her his stories. He's like, yeah, you know, I pick up hitchhikers all the time and she's like oh yeah that's so nice and he's like yeah even sometimes i let him go and she's like, ah, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> yeah i fucking love that it's so funny um but so, like, i love it when he gives the guy his gun yeah like, that's it, a great scene that's a great yeah. scene it shows like mm-hmm. his old just old schoolness like grittiness that he has yeah that he's the fucking man yeah he's in no. control he is in control yeah i th- this one right here uh it's just it has everything I like, man. You know, just senseless killing, <laughs> quirky characters. It really uh, is counting cards what, mixed mixed with like uh, the Hitcher. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Actually, you know, it's really good. Yeah, like at the ending, I immediately thought of counting cards. Mm-hmm. The, the, one, the only ambulance. issue yeah. with this episode is the very end. The, mm-hmm. like, kind of plot twist. Yeah. I was yeah, like, yeah. no, you ruined it. Why would you do that? I think, like, I, I was reading like online. I was reading online, and it seems like a lot, everybody has that complaint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, a it's lot of people just, have that complaint. It's so out of place for me. Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 you know, that definitely is a, a minor blip on this episode. But, you know, everything leading up into that, it doesn't really, you know, hurt the overall product to me because what's done is done. You know, I've already enjoyed. So it's not really killing it for me, but. I don't know. I can see the complaint in that for sure. Yeah. I know it, it's it's going back to that whole thing about, you know, this is a short and, you know, what do shorts need? Twists. Do they really all the time? I, that no. That's what you feel like he was – they were obligated to put sort – I thought mm-hmm. the twist happened early in the episode and it didn't need to happen. There was no need for another twist. Yeah. I know. It, it's strange how – how you know it does you know when you get to that point it just feels so forced mm-hmm. you know like uh we don't technically really need that but i don't know good stuff <laughs> but man that's like when he fucking pretty- got launched off the windshield man i was laughing so hard <laughs> and he's just like oh uh, what do you think i just got fucking launched through the windshield <laughs> i was laughing so hard <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> This one actually showcases some pretty decent gore in it too. Oh yeah, especially when the bedroom in the, in the hotel yeah, the, room. In the oh, hotel that's room. a great scene. I kind of forgot like, about fuck. that for a second. Yeah, that, that was like, damn, fucking kind of crazy. But, Brutal. Yeah. I, I actually seen this episode when it aired. Out of all the episodes I'd seen, this one, Homecoming, 
and uh, I think Jennifer and Dear Woman. I think those are the only ones I've seen when they aired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know what else to really say. I don't really want to say a whole lot about yeah, it because I don't want to start giving... Yeah, exactly. It's basically just a cat and mouse tale, and I don't want to start giving certain things away, so... If you know. like Tales from the Crypt, you're probably going to like this one. Well, if you like very... cutting cards, you'll definitely like, – like it's it's that's what it is. It's like these two guys who are just – you know, have have a respect but also a distaste for each other. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I don't know. I just felt like – it totally felt like Tales from the Crypt, not even counting cards. Just There's a just few had times feel. in this series where I was like, that was a Tales from the Crypt moment. Like I just got a full-on Tales from the Crypt vibe. Yeah, yeah. I think that's going to happen with these type of series, you know, these mm-hmm. anthology type things. So, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. It's expected, but I you get that all, actually all the time in these. Yeah. So I don't know. Pick me up, man. You know, I, I think it's just another really highly enjoyable, fun, fun episode that I just I can watch over and over again. You know, I've actually went to the shelf before and actually just popped in this episode randomly before. Yeah. And watched. So, you know, that's how much I really enjoy it. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, pick me up, Larry Cohen ratings. Uh, I good, Jim. No. Seven and a half out of ten. Uh, I went with an eight out of ten. Definitely one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not surprising. I come in the highest with a nine on this one. Damn, son. Road whore, love it. Me too, man. Road whore is fun. definitely one of my favorite subs. Yeah, it's just. It just has, you know, like I said, everything that I And there really was enjoy, some good so. road shots on this one, too. Like, I love the setting of the road. It was some good road. I'm, I'm very critical about my road and my road horse. This is some good road. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. <clears throat> <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So moving into episode 12. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is titled Heckle's Tale, which is actually based off a of Clive Barker short story and is directed by John McNaughton. Who uh, did Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is probably what his most notable horror thing. He also did Wild Things, which is notable but not horror notable. Hmm. Um. Yeah, you know he hasn't really done a lot of horror stuff actually either. Yeah, you know, that's what I. You know, it's funny he directed an episode of well, John from Cincinnati. That's a short-lived uh, season show. Well, um, I, I will tell you that George A. Romero was originally going to direct this episode, but it couldn't fit into his schedule. And then Roger Corman was supposed to direct this episode, which he ended up having some health issues. So he was replaced by John McNaughton. So, that, so that's a third-tiered so pick right there. He's a nice guy, man. I've met him before. So what, so what you're saying is Ro- Roger Corman really dropped the ball on this uh, Masters of Worship. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Local, local Chicago bed, man. man. He fucking shit the bed. But yeah, so I mean, it makes perfect sense now. John McNaughton really only noted for directing one film, which is actually a really great one. Two. Yeah. He should be noted genre. for two. The Bowers is fucking awesome. Fuck all you guys. Oh uh, yeah, that we, haven't but seen we it. haven't seen it. Yeah, that's right. I haven't actually watched this. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, Heckle's Tale. <clears throat> While on his way to see his sick father, a man takes shelter with an elderly man and his young wife, but soon discovers their horrible secrets. Um, yeah, you know, this is this episode right here. The first time I watched this one, 
um, I wasn't really digging it a whole lot. You know me I with remember, period pieces. I love period pieces, buddy. It, it had nothing to do with the period piece. Like I love, love, love westerns and old, you know, shit like that. And it kind of no, has not that, that old, like nineteenth century. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Dead. But you know, this one right here, when I first watched it, I was like, okay, you know, where the fuck is this going? This one has one of the fucking, in my opinion, one of the better, you know, endings, and it's just so fucked up. Mm-hmm. The story's mm-hmm. fucked up. And it's so enjoyable and it's twisted and it's sick and it's like amazing. It, the payoff is so good in this episode. All right. So what are your guys' thoughts on this one? Well, right away, I was into it from the moment it started. I started getting like a Doctors and the Devils type vibe from it, sitting at like, you know, carrying the bodies around, using for science, um, that weird mix between science and religion um, where even the scientists – were very religious and you know this one is just pure science like the reference to frankenstein uh and then it starts getting into this this necromancy type era but even even when it first starts and the guy comes to the the woman the old witch and is like you know i need my wife back and then she tells the heckles tale like i i love the whole setup to this one mm-hmm I'm always a big fan of those type of films, though, too. That, I always uh, lose interest, man. It's just like well, The Doctor and the Devil. I lost interest, and I fucking pay attention. <laughs> and I got the same vibe on this one. Not as bad, though. Yeah, see, I, I don't know, man. I'm just always so fascinated by that, like, those different time periods where I have no connection to them whatsoever. It's completely... Uh, so far removed from what I know in my life that I just find it fascinating. It's, it, yeah, it's just so foreign. And it's interesting, you know, that primitive medicine ideas, but, you know, it's not really as, well, I mean, I guess it is, but, you know, I, I find it fascinating too, you know. But I like the setting, you know, of the, like, that old, just gross kind of Western front, you know. Yeah. I think it just, it just kind of adds to the whole tale. But I, but going back to, like, the way the structure is, like, you know, Buddy's showing up at this at this house because he hears about this necromancer and that she can you know raise the dead and then she continues then she tells him a story and she basically tells him you know here you can make a decision after I tell you the story do you, or well, she doesn't really want to do it anyways but yeah here, she's here, warning him I'll, that it's bad just like I'll the tell you a story head. I'll tell you a story of you know the heckles tale and so it gets into the story and you know of course heckle is a a medical student and you know goes on from there but um. I don't know, man. I really enjoy this episode, man. Like I said, the first time I watched it, it takes a little bit to get to get into, but the second half is just fucking gnarly, man. I, I, it's, you know, it's so crazy. You, know, it's kind of unexpected for being like a kind of a period piece and just what it turns exactly, into. Exactly. You know, it, there's so many things that are going on. You're like, what the fuck? Like this one is definitely one of the craziest episodes. Uh, there's, you know, out there. I mean, really, this one has. No, necromancers. It has well, zombies. The it the, has... Yeah, the thing with the end with the baby. It's, it's fucking weird, man. Well, yeah, like, like what you were saying, though, Moods, about this episode kind of like pushing boundaries slightly. Um, for being on, like, this shit aired. Like, I think sometimes we're a little um, taken back. We're, we're so comfortable with things that we see in horror, but, like, if I would, if my friend's mom or something would see this episode on tv even if it is showtime i think she would be pretty damn taken back and like oh my god what is this you know what i mean so 
I, there's three episodes, Jennifer, this episode, and the next episode that I think are kind of taboo and really kind of um, up the level. This is 2006 as well. And necrophilia yeah, is, a, so is definitely a topic that does not get shown on TV very often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude, like zombies, necromancers, necrophilia, tons of gore. You know, it's got – it's even got like the, the whole Frankenstein thing. And this one's got a little bit of everything. But yeah, you're right. The necrophilia is something you've never seen on TV. And the way they the way they depict and show the necrophilia on this yeah. is like – you know, it's just – like she's fucking loving it. It's legit, dude. I <laughs> no, was so blown away. I was like, wow. And it's – it, it's probably, like an orgy too. Like they don't it, I was fully just gonna say, go into the orgy but they definitely – you know what's they happening. They show hints of – a fucking zombie necrophilic orgy, orgy yeah. in this episode. Like, when when can you ever say that you've seen something like that on TV before? Oh yeah, not on. TV. You barely even see that in films. Like, orgy of the dead. Come on, it's literally it's orgy of the dead. It's fucked up, man. And no, Edwards movie, orgy of the dead. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his sleaze later in his career. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. This one, it just it just goes. It just goes fucking haywire. You know, this poor guy is just literally trying to make it to his father and gets all caught up in this tale. <laughs> Shit, it's fucking yeah. – it's good, man. I, I've really enjoyed how it just takes a 180, really. It's yeah, awesome. And, and the dog thing, I thought that was really well played out. Really, I just think this episode is executed absolutely perfectly from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a good one, man. Jeremy, really fun. What, I, I see that you're not that high on it. What, what's the reasons here? Just period piece? Or? Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I can't stay focused when we fucking, when we do these period pieces. I don't, I just don't know what is with, but I was never, even non-horror films like period pieces, I get extremely bored and I just, I can't, <clears throat> I, I lose interest. I'm, I'm, you know, over, always looking down my phone and things like that. I think that's what You, you need to shut your phone off when you watch movies. Only period pieces. Only period pieces. But ah, man, I, I it, it saddens me slightly to hear that because I just love them so much and I I, I think they're so great mm-hmm. and it just it just hurts a little bit that you. That you yeah, I'm the same care. way, man. I think it's just a different type of setting. There's not as many of these type of films set in you know yeah. those back period, um, those older centuries and stuff, and it, that's why I find it intriguing. You know, especially with this episode, man, like, you know, you get a lot of those period pieces that don't turn into. I have to say know, it's definitely one of the more orgy hardcore, of the, hardcore yeah. period pieces that yeah. that I've seen. It's it's definitely one of the more, uh, you know, stranger ones. But it does have a really strange story. You know, the reason why, mm-hmm. you know, the what's going on, the husband, you know, basically gets this necromancer to to raise the, mm-hmm. the dead of, you know, his wife's. Uh, husband and you know the reasons for it and stuff it's it's very kind of basic you know and it's like it kind of showcases he's not really you know being that selfish but i don't know man it's just kind of a it's a really odd and strange story like it's clive barker it is man he just seems (laughs) almost way too willing he's like oh you know what you know what honey i can't satisfy you because i'm an old fuck you know i probably have a limp penis so what we're gonna do here is i'm gonna go get that necromancer and we're gonna, you know, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get you some, uh, you know, a little bit of play here. <laughs> you know, it sounds so silly when you break it down like that, but that's essentially what it is. Yeah. But it's done so well. I know, man. It's I, awesome. I love so, this episode. I was so hey. surprised because, like, I it set up as like a 
um, Tales from the Crypt episode, and then it just goes to like a Tales from the Crypt episode on like Coke. <laughs> totally goes on crack, right? It's like... Well, John McNulty will always have a heart, piece of heart, because he's an alumni from my school. So nice. Well, you know, I, I, this is one Henry. of the cases where. Um, obviously George Romero was supposed to direct this episode and then Roger Corman. And then we got this guy. I think I, I'm glad that happened, man. He did a fantastic job on this episode and I, I almost couldn't picture it another way. It's so interesting because, you know, if we, if we lined up those three directors, all, I bet you all of us would take John McNaughton last. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, to do this episode. And I honestly, for a period piece, I would probably consider, I would probably go with Roger Corman as a director if i was you know doing it mm-hmm. instead of romero you know i love romero but you know mcnaughton i probably wouldn't just because of his you know his filmography really he hasn't done a lot of stuff mm-hmm. you kind of go with what you know in roger corman like he has a lot of experience in doing a lot of different type of period pieces and all that type of thing but but you never know right you know you put a mcnaughton in there and look what you get yeah fantastic nuts bro. <laughs> it's nuts he, he's so. a cool dude like i say he was really nice so, when i yeah. talked to him um, but yeah, you know, good performances in this one too. I I, I really liked, uh, you know, the the lead. I thought he was great. He just um, made a movie called The Harvest. I don't know what, hmm. what the fuck is that guy's name that stars in this? Um, I thought I thought all the characters and actors were good too. I, I mean, I, we didn't mention that, but everybody down to like the snarky professor who's like talking about like um, God, <laughs> like I. I liked it, man. Well, I, I I literally just mentioned that I thought the lead was amazing, but yeah, everyone was <clears throat> really good in this, actually. Uh-huh. So I really liked the professor, you know, from the opening scenes. Oh where, yeah, that's that's what I was talking about. Yeah, he but he's he's good, man. Just fucking just looks the, the costumes and you know the With wardrobe the sideburns was, and stuff, man. Yeah, like everything actually looks pretty authentic. Like they did a good job, man. Yeah. Really liked it. I like this. you know the scummy. One of the coolest things is when he rolls up to that necromancer and, you know, he's like, it's literally like a sideshow. It, like, it looks like a total sideshow. You're like, you're not going to fucking, you know, think twice about this being a joke. You know, I thought I like that setup. It's literally by a river. It looks all scummy. How you, you want to know who wrote people this around one? And shit like that. So do I want to know uh, what? Mick Garris wrote the screenplay. For what? For this movie. Which one? Heckles the one Taylor, that we're man. talking about now. Oh, uh, based off of a Clive Barker story. Mm-hmm, but uh, he wrote the screenplay. Yeah, he did the teleplay. Um, yeah, well, I think McGarris did a couple of them, right? Or am I thinking wrong? No, I think he did a couple of them too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I don't have much more to add to it. I, yeah, there's not I'm, really a whole lot more to say. I'm really high on this one. Jeremy, what's your rating? <laughs> yeah, like I said, I couldn't get into it. And I, maybe I could come focus. I have to watch it again. I promise. Six and a half out of ten. Ooh, um, me loved it. Eight and a half out of ten. Yeah, this is really entertaining, man. Um, <clears throat> I'm gonna give it an eight out of ten. It's a good episode. It's fun. I think the one thing that really surprised me about this is like actually how gory it was. Yeah. And some of the gore is just like, damn. It, it might even be the goriest episode, but <laughs> you know what's fucking funny? Hot. It sticks out. Out of the ones I didn't see, this was the one I was least looking forward to, simply based on the title and the box cover that I remembered seeing. I knew nothing about it, and I was just like, "It's like, what the hell's Heckle's Tale?" You know. So it, it's funny how that works out sometimes. 
Mm-hmm. All right, so moving on to the final episode, which is number 13 of season one of Masters of Horror, which is titled Imprint from 2006, directed by the infamous Takashi Miike. <laughs> now, Takashi Miike's done like, he's directed like 100 fucking movies. Yeah, um, should we list them all? <laughs> no, we should not. Notables. <laughs> What's he no, most notable for? Audition. The killer, Audition. I would you know, probably say to. Audition is probably his most notable. Yeah. Overrated. But uh, yeah, no, he's done a lot of, he's done a lot of, Visitor Q, Visitor, Visitor Q is a fucking great film. He's done a lot of interesting, he does a lot of crime kind of gangster films and shit that are really actually outrageous. There are a lot of really gory films. You know, he always pushes the boundaries of that shit. But yeah, but imprint the episode that was actually banned from the cable broadcast. This for one some never, reason, for that, never aired. Well, it's for true. obvious reasons. It's for obvious reasons. Yeah, to be honest. it was originally supposed to hit January 27th of 2006, and it was shelved due to yeah. concerns over its content from Showtime. Uh, it was never aired on the uh, Showtime network. It was later ported over to DVD once those was released by Anchor Bay. And it's actually – it is episode. actually the longest episode at over an hour. It's like an hour yeah. and three minutes. So. Yeah. Yeah. But it is not the longest episode in the series. You're <clears> correct. <throat> that would be in season two, the last, the last episode. episode. It's actually a full-length episode. It's like 90 minutes. Yeah, it's long. It's crazy. Um, all right. So synopsis in the 1800s, an American returns to Japan to find the prostitute he fell in love with, but instead learns of the psych, the cycle <laughs> and existential horror that befell her after he left. Um, I love that. That little dude reminded me of that guy from machete maidens. The one that you just watched the Kung Fu movie. The little the, guy that you said, oh, I never laughed so hard watching. Oh, Wang Wang. Yeah, that guy reminded me of him. <laughs> uh, so where do we start with this episode? Like, Who has some initial thoughts? It's bizarre. It's bizarre, but it's also slow. Bore. It's a really slow burner. Really? Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah, it's slow <clears throat> burn. I didn't really feel that. Hmm. You know, the structure's all over the place because it's kind of jumping all around. It's telling stories. and Yeah, that's why I didn't feel like it was slow burn because I was constantly trying to think, okay, what's what's going on here? Where, where is this? What are they doing? But Who like when everybody these? like talks about this season, this is the movie they talk – this is the episode they talk about just because of its reasons. But Well, in, in retrospect, it's probably a little more memorable due to some of the content that's in the episode it doesn't necessarily make it a better episode i think it's just mm-hmm. it's one that people note because of you know oh it was banned and for I mean, its content yeah um, well judging from somebody strange, who hasn't though. seen all of these episodes the two that i've always heard people say are their favorites is cigarette burns and imprint yeah see, me too. see i wouldn't say this one's one of my favorites to so, be honest <clears throat> i thought i I thought what happened in the middle of the film when she was getting, you know, was tortured was fucked up. And that, I think that was like the one, you know, I don't, gr- you know, grudge very often, but the fingernail stuff is. Oh, dude, that looks oh. so good. The way the blood filled up after, oh, after that the tortured that, made, that made me cringe. The torture scene is like, it's excessively long too. Like yeah. they keep putting her <laughs> doing different things to her and it's fucking brutal. Man. And it, it ends with brutal. Pee. Oh, dude, yeah. that's heartbreaking. That's rough stuff right there. 
Yeah, and unfortunately it was her own. Yeah, because it well, it's like the lowest you can possibly go. You know, it's like it's like yeah. you've been tortured so much, and oh, now now there's this. Like it, to me, that that's always so much more effective. Something simple like that than the actual torture itself, because it's degrading. And I feel feel like sometimes that's the worst kind of torture. So, more of the short and long of this is about you know a couple. I don't want to give too many details about them, but anyways, they kind of live on the outskirts of the city. They have a baby. The mother <clears throat> basically proceeds to abandon the baby. <laughs> I'll use the word abandon in the river. Uh, I throwing it in. Unfortunately, or fortunately, well, there's two. There, there's two backstories. Yeah, though. that's there's that, like the real thing and the fake thing. Yeah, and I feel yeah. I felt like that was really interesting to me. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, it actually is kind of interesting. I but think- anyway. Wouldn't you but, be I mean, fucked up if that shit happened to you? But Fuck. yeah, so anyways, you know, this the baby ends up living. She's found a couple days later and all deformed, short and long. Uh, <clears throat> she's essentially taken away or is given away uh, by her parents because they, they can't afford to, you know, raise the baby. She ends up in kind of like a whorehouse. Um, hence, you know, this is where kind of Billy Drago's character of Christopher, he's the American that's come to Japan to find a whore that he has fallen in love with. Um, and you know, the girl telling the story is, you know, friends with her and it's kind of where your story is. Um, there's so much taboo in this one, man. That, you know, okay. <laughs> first and child foremost, molesting man, undertones, <clears throat> abortion undertones, like, no undertones, literal. Oh, abortion. That's a, that's a full blown <laughs> yeah. overtone, man. I mean, you're fucking I, I, fetuses. I, I, flying can't say, into... I can't say I've seen that before. Oh my uh, God. That was quite, I'll be honest. The, that was shocking to me. The, like the first time, the first time. And it's just lop, And you're yeah. like, what the, wait, is that a fucking, <laughs> yeah. is that a, f- oh my God. <laughs> I swear to God. Yeah. You know, Cause I never knew anything about this one. You know, I just knew people liked it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, first thing I want to say, man, you know, Billy Drago is the uh the American that, you know, comes to Japan to find his love. Um Okay, now I mentioned earlier in the show that I was talking about acting. Man, Billy Drago is so fucking bad in this in this movie. Huh. He is such a bad actor. He's definitely the worst character. God, he's film. fucking bad. Like just the way he's it's so phony and shitty and like I can't take him fucking serious, man. He's having these conversations with, you know, You're the girl lying. that's telling you the story. Tell the yeah, and it's just so poor. Really? He's like a really really shitty fucking Billy Zane or something like that. I, I don't did, know. I didn't really notice it, and that's kind of oh. surprising to me because like it's not the only almost everybody in this movie guys. sucks at acting man yeah but i almost yeah. thought that that was like the style or like i i, I thought that it was no like i've seen films like this i've seen films exactly like this that are <laughs> fucking better acting man just it's simple and plain it, it's just bad it's just terrible acting all over the place and it really hurts the film because you need a strong performance by somebody like billy and you know your lead and you know the other girls you just need like the way some of this shit is executed it just comes off laughable to me you know you know put all the shocking shit aside it is what it is it's not what makes a good film in my opinion um i have to be you know engulfed in this story and you know the act like this is exact like a lot of the times okay when i'm watching low budget films i'm expecting to have subpar acting which i accept it's fine but when you're you have a film directed by takashi Mike, you know he's an a-list director he's he's a good director he generally has good acting in his films what the fuck is with this casting man 
it really hurts the overall product for me and it drives me nuts. He's so yeah. much better than this is the final product of this movie is not as good as it should be. You put a like, different main lead in there and it changes the whole outcome for me. I just I hate Christopher so much in this film. He sucks. He fucking sucks. Sorry. Yeah, but he, I think he also I like uh, I I honestly had no issues with it. It didn't really even notice it, like I wasn't like to the point where I was like, oh, this is good acting. I just never noticed it. It just I was just like, it was, it was normal was, acting for me. I just wish that it was fucking subtitled instead of fucking... Oh my like god, that brings English. up the one thing I wanted to bitch about at the very beginning of the show. Like, why can't None of these fucking, fucking discs have subtitles. And it pissed me off the whole time watching these. Just had to get you that know, my chest. I actually... I've actually uh, thought that before too, Jeremy, that this episode shouldn't have been done in English. No, it should have been done in It should have been done. It should have been. This is in fucking, this is taking place in Japan for like, I mean, let's face it, man. Yeah, I, I it found that It should be in the native too. language. I felt, you know, it's I found fine. That too. But it's we know fine why, if Billy right? Drago's character was in English because he is American. That's fine. But come on, man. When they're we like alone why, right? without him, it's like, that's okay. We Like when they're like, when, uh, you know, the girl and him are together, or whenever, you know, he's in the scene, they should be speaking English. But, like, when they're all upstairs and she's getting, you know, tortured, it's like, you should be speaking in Japanese, you fucking... no, oh, it just bothered me. Yeah, but she's telling the story. So she's telling it to him in English. So he's picturing it in English. Hmm. Yeah, that's fine, but everything is in English, though. Yeah, and, I, and you know, I felt like that... I, I kind of understand what you're Japan. saying. Yeah. But uh, you, you, we obviously have to just accept that it was made for an American audience who typically won't watch movies read in subtitles. So it's just something we have to accept. Suspend our disbelief a little bit. Yeah, I agree. It should have been, you know, they should have been speaking. I, I, I even thought that out loud. I was like, why? This is weird that they're all speaking English. You know, so. it actually struck me as strange the first time. I was like, why is this in English? You yeah. know, it's so weird how we think like that because most people are like, oh, God, thank God it's in English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, like, I don't want to fucking read this shit. I thought the but lady, like, the main lady, her acting was fucking bad, too, Moods. Oh, when she's, like, in the room and she's looking for a ring, it's like, what the fuck? This is no, bad. Almost everybody in the film is not good. It's yeah. really, really poorly done. It's for like she lost, wise. like, fucking, she's like, uh, uh, where is it? It's like, Jesus yeah. fucking Christ. Because basically what it came down to is they had to find, you know, Japanese actors that could speak English. Yeah. You know, and this is what they came up with, right? So, like yeah. I said, if you had used a native language and you had, you could hire, you have a wide spectrum of people you can hire for this, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's just the way I kind of look at it. But you know, this story is is definitely not spoon fed to you. It kind of, it's an interesting structure how it's telling stories and it kind of switches and it tells another story. And yeah, I love you know, that. I, I love that about it, though. Yeah, it, it's good. You know, I, I enjoy that. Um, to to me. I think the the overall like end product when you like the final twist I wasn't that crazy about it and that was like really the only thing that I like kind of had an like it's so weird that you guys had such a problem with the acting when I didn't even like it was so normal to me and that's weird because it makes me feel like okay was what did I miss um, but, but the story wasn't that interesting either I mean it was interesting it kept my it kept me wanting to hear what was happening but it's like it wasn't like amazing or anything well, my, like that. My thing with it is like I'm wondering is this – because this story isn't real. Like this isn't 
a real kind of story. So I was wondering, is this like hell or something? Or like, what's going on? Like, this is the worst fucking place on earth. When they go into there on the boat and there's bodies on the like what? Like, this is the this is the worst. It's an island. This is literally the worst place that can exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're in like cages of like. It's just like to me, it's like what the <laughs> hell. What yeah, the setting place? is kind of you know you kind of got to suspend. It's your very mysterious, a bit. and you're not quite mysterious. sure what it like. Was it supposed to be um, real, like real, or is this like a hell? What is this? I think it was intended to be real. To be honest, I think it's just so outrageous. You know that there's like bodies just able to be floating around and mm-hmm. skeletons of fetuses in the water, and <clears throat> and and no one really gives a shit. It's like, okay. or is it just like weird Japanese shit? All could be weird too. Japanese shit too, but yeah. you know, I mean, it I does really its job. Problem, it saying. definitely well, does. You know, what did you guys you think of uh, like, what, like, see, this is the stuff that, are, like, okay, right here, here's a prime example of why it's like, is this real? Like, because no kid is born with blue hair. Really? That's what you picked up out of the whole fucking thing. Well, that, that is a good note, though, because, yeah. you know, I, I thought of that. Well, I mean, I didn't think about being born, but I was like, well, they are super poor, but they they're able to just like dye her hair. I just kind of took it. Well, like she's that. a kid. Why would they have dyed her hair? She was <clears> obviously <throat> born that way. And then the other ones have red hair. So that's why I wonder, like, this is, is this either weird Japanese shit or is this supposed to be like an alternate? Is this supposed to be like hell or something similar to that? Is it, is it supposed to be just like this terrible uh, world? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we're not supposed to. Kind yeah. of just supposed to accept the fact that it's just weird. And it even <laughs> makes more sense because they're um, Japanese, which typically have like a darker color hair and definitely not blue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, man. Like, I was just really surprised by just the weirdness of this one. Um, the thing that, like, it, it's such a silly story to me. Like, this guy was in love with this prostitute and he left and he promised that he would come. It's just so ridiculous to me. Mm-hmm. But for some reason I was just buying it. I was like, all right, I'll roll with it. Well, um, he wanted to play, he wanted to save her, you know? So what, I, why I, did he leave her? I don't know. See, that's the thing, right? If you want him so bad, why did he leave? It's like, why don't you just take her right there now? Yeah. And why did he love her so much? I don't know because she had red hair and Japanese <laughs> ladies don't have red hair. Yeah, what did you get? He's lonely, man. The, He's lonely. Yeah, but I there's know. a bunch of I don't people. know. Maybe maybe he wanted to like have her. No, he said it reminded him of her sister. That's why. And that so he gave wants him to fuck his vibes too, man. Yeah. Incestual pedophile yeah. vibes, which is even worse. Mm-hmm. It's even weirder. I don't know. This one is weird. There's a lot of taboo shit in here. And um, oh, yeah, the beatings of her I father thought, on her mother and stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah and yeah. then there's even more. The priest, it's hinted at that he molested her. And then the father, it's hinted at that he molested her. So there's a lot of alleged molestation going on. Yeah, yeah. So it's just so fucking taboo. And the fetuses, like the way they're all clear and stuff, like it, I thought they looked great. I was like, wow, this is disturbing. Um, it, It made me feel really uncomfortable. And it's that stuff, man. That stuff is above all. It's funny. I never, to get, me. I never get uncomfortable anymore, man. I don't get it. Yeah, I feel like, like you, have to allow it. you have to allow you it. You have to want to be. You want have to want these feelings. Like you, have to, next door you have to. You have to let yourself 
be vulnerable to these feelings. And I still get, I can still get creeped out or slightly scared by movies because I want to be. I want to watch it. I want to get creeped out. If it's supposed to be a scary movie, I'm going to try to let it do that to me. I'm going to try to make it happen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know, man. This one definitely has, you know, a big following. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Is it due to the, you know, the, the taboo subject matter and content? Is. Or, or is it actually legitimately a good ep- episode? It's a good episode, but it's good for different reasons. Like, it's not a well-told story. Like you guys said, the acting. But it's just so out there and interesting. That, and, you know, great use of the... Uh, <clears throat> the storytelling mechanic in terms of like, you don't know what the hell's going on. If that was the intention, well done, sir. Um, and I think it's good in different ways. It's, it's not, it's not like your typical, like good film. It's just not, it, it's done in a different way that, that if there's, if the things that was done in it work for you, then I think that you can see it as a good episode in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, <clears throat> Uh-huh. Curious on, I'm curious on your guys' ratings on this one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you want to do it? Want to do it? Guys? I don't, you guys have anything else to. Not no. really. No. You know, I, I mean, we can't really. I was, keep going I honestly on on. did expect this to be your favorite episode for some reason, though. And I don't know if it was because, um, the, just like, I thought, I thought I remember you and Tat talking about it before, but I guess it was mis, misinterpreted or misremembered it. But, uh. Yeah. Let's roll into ratings, guys. Me? Show. Six and a half out of ten. <clears throat> I'm going to go with an eight and a half out of ten. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it's actually quite interesting. I'm right in the middle with a seven and a half mm. out of ten. So I, I, I knew that was going to happen on this episode. <laughs> we'd, we'd be all kind of separated, but... Yeah, I, I, there's a lot of elements to this, man. Honestly, like I said, if the acting was better, it just fucking hurts it for me so bad. And mm-hmm. you know, if it was in, if it was actually in the native language and a little better acting, I, this one would have worked a lot better for me. But man, well, it I takes me out that... of so many scenes. Almost every scene with Billy Drago was just like, oh, <laughs> dude, stop! I just You're kept looking horrible. at him like, like I want you to be McGarris because you kind of have similar hair. Like that's what that I kept looking at. <laughs> yeah, I totally slap right. him in there, but. It's funny because you mentioned that maybe if it had better acting, but I mean, that kind of shows, right? Like you had an issue with the acting. I didn't, and I liked it just a little bit more than you. So maybe if it did have better acting for you, then you, you would have liked it as much as I did. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's one instance where it just really hurt the film for mm-hmm. me, but you know, it is what it is, right? So, so yeah. Do you guys, I mean, really quickly, if you could have one person do a Masters of Horror episode for the newly renewed season four that's going to come out after we put this show out because we're that important, who would you pick? Ryan Nicholson. Oh, you fucking asshole. That's exactly who I was going to go with. Um, Well, if you're going to take Ryan and I'm going to take Dustin Mills. I'm going to go with Rob Zombie. Fucking hypocrite. <laughs> Me? That's such an easy choice. Why don't you pick somebody cool? It's who I want to see the most. I would love to see what Rob Zombie would bring to network TV. Why don't you pick the guy from like Lost Pieces or something? I mean, yeah, but I just, it's, if I had to pick one who I'd want to see most, it would be Rob Zombie. <laughs> hmm. 
All right. Interesting. So you guys want to do our ranks? Yeah, we'll start from the bottom. What do you, what, we'll just what do you have for thirteen, Jeremy? Chocolate moods. Why don't we just Why don't we just list them off in order? Yeah. So that they're easy to remember. Okay, I'll go then. Okay, thirteen. I have chocolate. Twelve. I have fair-haired child. Eleven. I have dance the dead. Ten. I have hackles tail. Nine. I have imprint. Eight. I have incident off and on the open road. Seven, I have dreams in a witch house. <laughs> Six, I have Jennifer. Five, I have sick girl. Four, I ha- wait. Where's number four? Oh, four, I have pick me up. Three, I have homecoming. Two, I have dear woman. And one, I have cigarette burns. Yeah, so our list are definitely <laughs> different. It was funny because um, there was a few that we had exactly the same though placement. Uh, I guess I'll go next. Uh, Number 13, Fair-Haired Child. Number 12, Chocolate. Number 11, Homecoming. Number 10, Dance of the Dead. Number 9, Dreams in the the Witch House. Number 8, Incident on and off a mountain road. Mountain road. Close. (laughs) He said open road. Uh, 7, we have Sick Girl. Uh, 6, we have Cigarette Burns. 5, we have Dear Woman. 4, we have Pick Me Up. Three, we have Imprint. Two, we have Heckle's Tale. And number one is Jennifer for me. Cool. Number 13, Homecoming. Number 12. <laughs> <laughs> Mortem number 12. kills all. <laughs> yeah, number 13, Homecoming. Number 12 is Chocolate. Number 11 is Dance of the Dead. Number 10 is The Hair Fair Child. The Fair Hair Child. Number nine is Dreams in the Witch House. Number eight is Imprint. Number seven is Incident on and off a mountain road. Number six is Heckle's Tale. Number five, Sick Girl. Number four, Dear Woman. Number three, Jennifer. Number two, Pick Me Up. And number one, Cigarette Burns. So both of you guys have Cigarette Burns as your number ones. And mm-hmm. I have it at number six. Well, Jeremy's number two is my, or number three is my number 13. What was, oh, I'm <laughs> It's my number eleven. Is this um, going to be the new maniac? God see, damn it. Heckle's Tale to me, I, I, like or that no, was this my gonna most. No, this going to be the new ABCs of death. Oh fuck. Well, I, me and Jeremy both had Sick Girl at number five, and Heckle's Tale. Would you have a number two? Yeah, number two for Heckle's Tale and Imprint is number three. I think those four final episodes, Sick Girl, Pick Me Up, Heckle's Tale, and Imprint. That's a great ride right there, man. Well, it's, that's what I said. I said it's a good way to end the, you know, the, yeah. uh, the season. So. But yeah, very interesting. So yeah, I, I kind of expected some of those episodes to be completely opposite in rankings, but that's the way it goes, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that is going to conclude episode 48 of the 22 Shots and Moods in Horror. Hope you guys enjoyed the Masters of Horror talk, you know, breaking down every episode. Pretty fun stuff, man. I, I really enjoyed this one. So if you yeah. want us to do season two, definitely Let's let us see. know. What's your favorite episode of Masters of Horror? Let us know. Yeah. Jeremy? All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the 48th episode of the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror podcast. Thank you. As always, if you want to follow us on Facebook, please do. Facebook.com. Go to the search bar and, of course, type in 22 Shots of Moods and Horror. See, I changed things up today. If you want to follow the man Moods himself, you could do so at YouTube.com slash Moods. 616 and of course if you want to follow jp you could do so at youtube.com slash double shot j 
And as always, you can follow me on my channel, youtube.com slash NESRuler22. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so, twitter.com slash 22shotspodcast. And if you have any questions, please do yourself a favor and email us at 22shotsofmoodsandhorror at gmail.com. It's 22shotsofmoodsandhorror at gmail.com. And if you want to visit us on our website, it's 22shotsofmoodsandhorror.com. It's 22shotsofmoodsandhorror.com. And if you have any questions or leave us your most influential film of the last 50 years, please do so at 724-426-6665. Once again, that's 724-426-6665. I hope everybody enjoys the WrestleMania Sunday and we'll be back. (laughs) And we'll be back next week with a oldie, but a goodie, the bad seed from 1956. Yeah. So make sure you guys check out that episode because we're going to be off for a little while before we bring in the 50th episode and uh you know give us those voicemails yeah i have a couple more weeks to do that 